Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 431. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co host, David Biggs and Span. And Biggs, we got a big show this week. We're not no more BS between the sheets. We still we're still big. We still have big shows. <laughs> yeah, we got two of them. In fact, two weeks in a row here of uh, mm. fairly lengthy shows here. But we had two weeks of smaller shows, so I guess we're due. Well, enough of the bullshit. Let's get started as we uh, go to the year two thousand, November eighth through the fourteenth, and we start with World Championship Wrestling. And some of this might be familiar to those of you that have listened to patreon.com slash twenty sheets when we discussed uh the WCW sale and all that stuff going on. So uh if this is repetitive to you, well, this is the way it goes. Alright. Absolutely nothing new except for new lines of rumors regarding potential sale or potential new leaders of the company. At this point everything's in a holding pattern because the bookers have been told to make no major changes in the product under the guise that Vince Russo will be brought back and they don't want to mess up his plans. This week's rumor concerned Jerry Jarrett being brought in to help run things. In England, the talk was things with Eric Bischoff had cooled, and the wrestlers were told the TV was purely maintenance television because they didn't want to do anything Russo didn't approve of. Let's go to the torch. The WCW ownership situation has been quiet in the trade media for a couple weeks, but it could be calm before the storm. One plugged in source says he thinks the deal is done and it'll be Eric It'll be announced later this week, and it's not with WF, which definitely appears to be out of the running, mainly due to Viacom's objections. Although there were other stumbling blocks also. Eric Bischoff's name has come up this week again with two key sources, with one saying he's the top candidate to be involved in the new ownership group. However, other sources continue to insist that Brad Siegel has not contacted Bischoff about renewing talks. Prior to the WF entering the picture, Bischoff was a leaning candidate to buy WCW. Now, last Wednesday, for only the second time in two weeks, Brad Siegel was at the WCW office in Smyrna, Georgia. He was in and out of the office leaving once for lunch, apparently, but in no time did he address office staff before leaving around 5.30 p.m. Key sources say that Siegel remains opposed to selling the company to Bischoff or anyone who would put him in charge. One source says Siegel believes Bischoff ran the company to the ground when he was in charge of it and now wants to buy the company at a reduced price. Other sources say two members of Turner's upper management team in the financial division, Vicki Miller and Steve Heyer, won't allow Siegel to sell the Bischoff. Those who know say Heyer still upset Bischoff for announcing the million dollar giveaway contest in 1999 before gaining the company's approval. Heyer and Miller were also part of the team that investigated Bischoff's financial practices during his final weeks running WCW the first time around. And WCW office personnel continue to point out signs that Siegel may have decided not to sell the company. A high-level source recently told The Torch that Siegel wants to begin interviewing people to oversee the company for him. There's belief among some office staffers after dealing with Vincent Mann, Siegel became inspired to try to compete with him rather than sell to him. Siegel also may have learned a lot about the wrestling industry during his negotiations to sell to Vince and earlier Bischoff, and now believes he could be part of turning WCW around. The price potential buyers are willing to pay may have been so low and no longer was financially prudent to sell it and lose control of the relatively highly rated WCW programming. Siegel's telling friends that he doesn't have the time to oversee WCW on a day-to-day basis. One source says Siegel's looking for someone at Bischoff's balls to deal with talent, but added the person must be more trustworthy than Bischoff. Now, longtime promoter and former WWF and WCW consultant Jerry Jarrett met with Brad Siegel on November 13th. Jarrett once consulted a Bischoff 
has been talked about as a candidate to take over WCW. However, Jarrett made it clear in the past he didn't want the job because his land and housing development business was going well, and had commitments he couldn't walk away from regarding that business. If Siegel had reached a deal with WCW to Bischoff, why was Jarrett interviewed? Perhaps Bischoff agreed that Jarrett might be a good person to bring aboard as part of a new office administration. Or perhaps the sale is a finalized. And Siegel had a number of people telling him to give a last-ditch effort to get Jarrett involved instead of selling to Bischoff. But once Siegel realized Jarrett wasn't available, then he shifted back to finalizing a deal with Bischoff. You had a lot of double-talk here, kind of, sort of. You know, um, is he is Brad Siegel going to sell the company? You know, is he going to keep the company? Is he going to, you know, keep Bischoff around? Is he going to get rid of Bischoff? You know, you're getting a lot of, um, you know, undecisiveness here. Yeah, one thing I want to clarify real quick. So the the name you read is Steve Hayer or Steve Hayer or whatever it is. Is spelled differently from the one we're familiar with. Instead of H-E-Y-E-R, it's H-I-E-R-E-R. And from the job description, it sounds like it's probably a different person, right? I mean, I guess. It's the financial division. Yeah, and that's not not where the Steve Heyer who wanted to, quote-unquote, kill Jamie Kellner was working. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's a different person. I just wanted to make that clear for those who have listened to the shows where we've talked about Steve Heyer before. Um, There's something going on at this point. I mean, whether it's that he doesn't trust Bischoff, whether it's that he's frustrated by the WWF deal not going through, all of the above, I don't know. And of course, as we're going to get into in various ways later, there's, you know, there's the mysterious Lenita Erickson and how she fits into the Jerry Jarrett stuff. Like, at this point, I'm guessing it's just all bets are off. Well, as we talk about the Patreon, I mean, it just really, it just really seems like that Brad Siegel, if he was going to keep keep the company for, for Turner itself, was only going to sell events. You know, we that's basically you know where we were at on the Patreon show, thanks to Stu Schneider. So. But at this point, there is no Vince. Not right now because of the Viacom situation. Yes, which because at this uh, point in time, go ahead. Because at this point in time, the deal was a Vince McMahon owned WCW would still be on Turner programming. That was the idea, and what had happened was is the way basically Vince explained it to Wade Keller at an XFL press conference was that which was after our week, yeah. They had made a deal. Yeah, it's already known that WWF's not buying it, but the reason isn't 100% yet. Um, they had, WWF had made a deal with Viacom where they would buy out the exclusivity provision of the contract they had for what Vince thought was a fair amount. From the way he described it, probably in the mid to high seven figures. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. But according to Vince, uh, Viacom went back on that and came back with a new deal that was much higher, presumably somewhere in the, you know, lowish eight figures that he did not think was worth it. And that killed the WCW purchase. And just think about how different everything is 
if that doesn't happen and they're able to get, you know, WCW with the Turner, pro, you know, Turner programming clearance. I mean, it changes everything. Everything. Well, also because Jim Ross would have been in charge. <laughs> and they would have had, I mean, and they wouldn't have had to worry about TV slots. I mean, it just, the, the, the wrestling business from then on would have been completely different. But. And because of the all the different TV deals, it would have been in Vince's interest to keep it viable. And not oh, just God. completely just bulldoze it. They just would probably would have put, you know, we talked about all this on the Patreon show. Yeah. They would probably put it on another night. They wouldn't have competed against head to head. So, but yeah, if you want to hear us talk more about this, patreon.com slash training sheets. If you haven't heard it yet, we go in depth on all this stuff. So, uh, you definitely want to listen to that. So, all right, well, let's go to Thunder. And Brian Alvarez, Fearful Weekly's review of the show. I'm off for longer matches, but the problem with this show is that most of the guys on it just aren't capable of going more than five or six minutes. <laughs> that was his quick review of the show. Let's go to the summary. Jamie-san and Evan Courageous, who, boy, <laughs> he just was in the news uh, this past week, uh, had, got arrested uh, for some... Uh, so issues there in his home in North Carolina. And boy, he is aged. Hasn't he, Vix? <laughs> he, he has, has. aged. Yes. But, but, but here's the thing. You know, it's somebody like that that, th- that makes you realize, holy shit, this has been over 20 years ago. Yes. 23 years ago. So, yeah. How old is he anyway? He's, four, he's, okay, he's 49. Be... He's about to turn 50. Yeah. Yeah. But still, you look at Jamie San, Jamie Noble. We see him on WWE television every week. He looks almost exactly the same. He looks almost exactly the same. So, Well, okay. Keep going before we talk more about it in Courageous because there's something I want to point out here. Get to the next line. <laughs> Where the cursor? Jamie San is now known as Jamie Noble. The latest example of the WCW's inexplicable desire to spell every common word wrong. Because it's K-N-O-B-L-E. Now, here's the thing. I know he's also talking about Midnight and others, but in context, it seems like he's also talking about Evan Courageous, but that's how Evan Courageous's name is actually spelled, because that's his real name. It's just pronounced differently because, I mean, he's Greek. Yeah, I'm guessing in real life it's not Courageous. It's probably probably Karagias or something. Karagias or something like that, yeah. Uh, a bunch of jerks started chanting boring literally two seconds into the match. Stevie Ray, who was back, claimed his six-year-old daughter like Evan more than the Backstreet Boys. Noble won after two, two count, laid out Evan behind the referee's back. Better than you think, and Noble's pretty good. Gene interviewed uh, Disco and Alex. Disco hyped up his match with Conan. Gene mocked Disco's attire. Crowbar beat Reno to win the WCW Hardcore title. Brian still wondering what happened to Daphne and Ozzy. <laughs> yeah, well, where did they go? Um, Stevie claimed the trash cans were made of brass. <laughs> These two just beat the hell out of each other. Vito Super Kid Reno leaned to the pin. Okay, yes. Of course, Vito Super Kid Reno. 
I forget. Are they are they officially brothers yet? Vino and Re- Vito and Reno. Yeah. Has that been revealed yet? In the in the WCW 2000 timeline, I get confused. I, I'm uh, I'm trying to re- yeah I don't remember how far into that feud that got revealed that they were secretly brothers which of course because the, <laughs> you know the storyline that made it that um, Reno was fucking his sister um, <laughs> yes I probably should have put that a little bit more tactfully but well no I mean it is what it is <laughs> which, I mean, that, and which was not what was intended. But they got rid of the Marie. Vito sister character. Well, Marie or Maria. No one. It, it, it went back and forth which it was. <laughs> and then in one of the greatest moments oh, in the God. history of Wrestling Observer Live on IATA, uh, Brian Alvarez explains how he's doing a, a Women of WCW. Or no, he was doing a Women of Wrestling article, I think, for Penthouse. And, you know, he reaches Just out to WCW done. to get, you know, background information on all the women. One of which was Marie slash Maria. And I guess by she's off TV, though, by that point, but not for long enough that you don't think she can't possibly still be in the company anymore. And the response he got back from WCWPR, presumably Alan Sharp, was there has never been a Maria or Marie character on WCW programming. (laughs) Just wonderful. Uh, and, then, and, then, and, then, and then they reveal that her boyfriend is actually her brother's brother. I suppose it's possible there's a half-sibling thing where she's not related to Reno in there. But, yeah. And now, Ozzy was Ashley Hudson do as the Russ to Crowbar's Ross from the Russ episode of Friends, with Rachel dating Russ. Yes. And he just faded away after being on TV in that gimmick for, what, two weeks? Basically, yeah. Gene interviewed Crowbar, Mike Awesome, and the Misfits in action in succession. They permission nothing to say. Well, what else is now? Conan beat Disco. Really, Conan won a match. Kidman did commentary and said Boogie Knights were the worst tag team ever. Worse than the Ding Dongs, Tony Schiavone asked. Shockingly, Conan managed to leave ringside without being stomped into the mat. <laughs> I should know by the way. My you should know yeah. by the way, though, that you know Disco and Alex Wright have only just gotten back together as the Boogie Knights not long before. Well, under the new name of the Boogie Knights, not long before this, which just coincidentally came shortly after Disco worked an indie show with the the Boogie Knights of Mike Tobin and Danny Drake. Yes. All right. So Gene interviewed Mike Awesome again about his title match with Booker T later. Awesome talked tough, but it was impossible to take him seriously bedecked in his groovy threads. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the fat chick thriller. Well, uh, that's Mike 70s awesome. guy. Yes. Yeah, to but all of it. A pre-tape interview aired with Mark Madden and Shat. Yes, Brian was calling Ernest the Cat Miller Shat at this time because he was the cat, but like Shaft. No, that's not why he back. called him the Shat. I thought that's what he called him. No, that. because he thought his wrestling was shit. Oh, sorry. They <laughs> argued back and forth about why they hate each other. Mad noted that Shat was no longer commissioner. Shat said that was disgraceful. I was the only one to put in that position to get the ra- there to get the ratings that I got. Shat said this was quite hideous. As Madden tried to take it somewhat seriously, but Shat was on another planet. 
Lord. Scott Steiner met with Mike Sanders. Steiner was speaking in a low-key manner and uncharacteristically quite calm. He said he was afraid Ric Flair was serious and was going to screw him out of his title shot. Sanders suggested that Scott go to Turner and enroll in anger management classes. That way, he reasoned Flair wouldn't be able to hold Steiner's anger problem against him because he was seeking help. Brian was laughing uncontrollably through all of this. Sanders said Steiner really had to attend the classes or it wouldn't work out. Steiner calmly said, okay, and shook Mike's hand. Then he leaned close and whispered, if you don't get me in these classes, I'm going to rip your freaking head off. Mark my words, Brian said, this will make for some fun skits. (laughs) Oh, good old Mike Sanders and yeah, Scott Steiner. He needed him. He needed every anger manager class he could get. David Flair came out and said he wanted to know who the father of Stacy's baby was. He blamed Ray Jr. <laughs> Ray came out and denied it, which resulted in the match. After seeing the match, Brian wished he just admitted to it and we could have avoided having to see them wrestle each other. Ray beat David. Ray worked for 10 men, but David worked for an entire handy promotion. <laughs> Ray won with a springboard leg drop, which the announcers could barely call since Stevie was laughing uncontrollably about some un- indecipherable one-liner. Uh, the greatness of Stevie Ray Thunder announcer. Okay, I'm curious to see what the heck is going on here. <laughs> okay, let's see, because the finish comes right after the face full of stuff. So let's <laughs> yeah, pick up... Face let's... full of stuff. Although that was... That was was that Conan or Stevie face full of stuff? I think that was Stevie. But I figured let's start with the face full of stuff and then go from there. He still cannot. And now Ray Jr. has got him set up. Wait, Ray looks for Face full of stuff. Wait a minute. Face full of Ray Jr. is a Tigress. It's Tigress. Face full of yak. Face full of yak. Face full of yak. Face full of yak. Don't strike back. From the mouth of Stevie Ray. And here comes Ray. That yak's still hanging there. Enough with the Madden impersonations already, Stevie. Oh, that yak is still hanging there. That was great, Stevie. What? Messi was. Yes. I don't know if that was good or bad for David Flair. I don't know. But he's in trouble. Neither does David. I mean, he can barely stand it right up top. Oh, that was a finish, guys. That was a finish. Oh, boy. In the back of the head with a guillotine leg drive. It's over. That's a finish, Tony. <laughs> so Stevie was was talking about Tigress uh, having the face full of yak. The, the Davis face. Yes. Yes. So that's what got them all laughing. Which, actually, um, Stevie said he didn't know if that was a good or a bad thing for David to have that happen. So it is something that Tigress never got never got into wrestling after WCW. I mean, it depends on how you interpret certain things about her time there. I mean, I'm not necessarily that surprised. Yeah, but still, she was one of the few Nitro girls to really be out there with charisma and doing doing her thing, you know? Yes. All right. So next, Kevin Nash and his Natural Born Thrillers came out. Stasiak came down for his match accompanied by Chronic. Mike Sanders told Cronin they'd be fine if they didn't head backstage. 
which led to Nash going to a no contest with Stasiak when the thrillers all turned on Nash. Booker T made the save. What a swerve! Announcer said nobody saw this coming. Yeah, because it makes absolutely no sense. Also, why was Cronin down there in the first place? By the way, this is lit like a collision tape. I hated the fans D- on the hard cam side. <laughs> How about that shirt Brian Adams is wearing, too, by the way? Wait, um, I hated that they broke up the Nash, uh, Natural Born Thrillers group. Yeah. Nash with young guys always seemed to work. Whether it was uh, the Thrillers here, TNA, he made oh, it entertaining. His, uh, his X Division understudies, like uh, <laughs> Baby Bear, Alex Shelley, and Paparazzi, yeah. uh, Paparazzi Productions, uh, whatever Sunday yeah. thing was. Yeah. Who did the Jackass gimmick? Eric Young? Oh, I don't know. Well, Chuck Palumbo sucker punching Nash or something else. I, probably. How did Chuck Palumbo have so much of a better working punch than everyone else he trained with? <laughs> Just a natural, I guess. All right, so we got to watch. Uh, all right, so we got Kevin Nash getting uh, getting massaged here. We got to watch the Scott Steiner video. Okay. Is that next or is that because I see Lance? Yes, yeah, next on the Brian. It's next on the Brian. Uh, the Brian rundown. He has it in order here. It's before the Lance match. It's before the Lance match. It's after the Nash segment. That's not on the network for some reason. And the ne- I should note the network version is at less than an hour, 11 minutes. So there's something. Oh, man. All right. So a quite comical Scott Steiner video package aired showing him running around acting crazy with this spastic organ music playing in the background. Hmm. Maybe they couldn't find uh, who to license the spastic organ music from. Well, this also isn't on there. Gene interviewed Bam Bam Bigelow and Lex Luger. Luger said he, him and Bigelow were going to retire Goldberg later. Some of you might remember the famous line of Jerry Maguire when the girl says, you had me at hello. Well, Luger had me at retire. <laughs> okay, so based on also some, we know at least one other segment that is not on here, which actually I just remembered. I should probably pull it up on YouTube, but uh, I'm guessing there's just issues with the master tape on this one then. I guess. Lance Storm beat Ming by countout. Ming was accompanied by Kiwi and Paisley. Primetime and Hacksaw attacked uh, Ming outside, but Ming put them both in the tongue of death grip. Then wildly shook his afro and roared as the referee counted them out. Storm and Kiwi got into a stare on afterwards. Yes, this is uh, Team Canada era Jim Duggan with uh, Elit Skipper. Oh, boy. Booker T beat Mike Austin to retain a WCW World Heavyweight title. This isn't a main event of the show. Austin gave Booker a German through a table, and the fans popped huge, believing it was the finish. When Booker kicked out, they booed. Booker hit the Urinagi for the pin. This was a damn good little match. Next, we get this. Some new chick interviewed some dude. Some new dude. This was Horrible till the bang. The chick who Tony said was the newest member of the WCW interviewing crew was absolutely horrendous. And if she replaces Pamela Paul shock, I will call down hellfire and brimstone on this company. The guy who was some football dude talked in a low baritone for what seemed like a decade. In a low bass voice, he rambled on and on about facing William the refrigerated Perry in a tough man fight. 
I cannot say how enough horrible things about this. It was, and I absolutely swear to God, the single worst thing I have ever seen on Thunder, and maybe any wrestling show in history for that matter. Worse even than that three-way with the girls. Well, this is not on the award-winning uh, World Wrestling Entertainment <laughs> Network, but it is on YouTube thanks to our dear friend Monsoon Classic. So here we go. Lenita Erickson interviewing Bob Sapp. Here on Thunder, I'd like to welcome the newest member of our broadcast team, Lenita Erickson. He's standing by talking to Bob Sapp, the newest addition to the WCW Rock. We have a very special introduction to make tonight, a sneak preview, if you will. I'm standing here with the one, he's the only, he's the bee, he's the, oh, he's the beast, he's Bob Sapp. Bob, how are you? <laughs> the last time. Uh, the beast. <laughs> Why do you not beast. do another take of this? <laughs> this was not live. Yeah, no. This was pre-taped. She has quite the <sighs> outfit on, too. Yeah, she's showing cleavage, yes. and uh, I was thinking more that definitely... she does not appear to actually have a shirt underneath the jacket. It appears to be, to be just a bra of some kind and a leather jacket. It's a halter top. I mean, you, I guess possibly, but it's a little hard to tell. I mean, she... <sighs> She has the look of like Kellyanne Conway, the Trump advisor. Do, uh, I mean, she does. She really does with that hair there, the blonde hair. Look, and she does resemble her. But uh, Bob Sapp is not as big here as he was going to get too. That's another thing to notice about this. He's for Bob Sapp. He look. He's looking pretty svelte. He does not look like a science experiment at this time, no. The bee. Ooh, the bee. Yeah, I gotta hear her say that again. <laughs> we have a very special introduction to make tonight, a sneak preview, if you will. I'm standing here with the one. He's the only. He's the bee. He's the oh, he's the beast. He's Bob Sapp. <laughs> oh. How are you? <laughs> the last time that I saw you, you might not remember, I interviewed Bob Sapp coming in from the NFL draft coming into the Chicago Bears, and now here we stand today, the world of pro wrestling. Take me through this. No, you didn't. Well, I've decided to make a career change. Being in the NFL, I thought, hey, going to the world of pro wrestling was going to be easy. I took a trip, several trips, in fact, WWF and WCW. I walked through the WCW power plant doors, a pro athlete, big, bad, decided, hey, it's going to be a cakewalk. Offensive lineman, <laughs> You know I like to eat. I decided it was going to be a cakewalk. Walked through. Was brought right back down to my knees. By little four foot one, maybe a buck 25 weighing man by the name of Buddy Sarge, Dwayne Bruce. I was privileged enough to spend two weeks in the Buddy power Sarge. plant when you came in. I could see the conditioning that went on. I could see the athleticism beyond anything I had ever imagined, you know, outside of the sport. And the conditioning that you've had to go through in comparison to the NFL, it breaks you? Yeah, it broke me down. But like I said, the transition from being a boy to a man, I think I'm ready. You think you're ready to be a man? Well, speaking of men, speaking of big men, and you are, my friend, a big man. 
I now hear through the grapevine, you're about to step into the ring in yet another arena, pro boxing, tough man competition with one of the premier tough guys of the NFL, legendary William the Refrigerator. Perry, are you out of your mind? No, I'm not out of my mind. I'm not taking him lightly. <laughs> we all know the refrigerator is someone not to be taken lightly. <laughs> but this is going to be in the ring. Once again, I'd like to prove to everyone that I'm a man, just like the men that we see today, the Booker T, Stevie Ray, Bill Goldberg, Scott Steiner, or even Kevin Nash. And what has the WCW, as far as conditioning, how have they prepared you for a boxing match? Well, I'll tell you what. We've got a secret weapon. Sam Greco's been training me. Sam Greco, K1, kickboxing, super heavyweight, world champion Sam Greco. <laughs> Our WCW Sam Greco <laughs> is training you. That's right. Any chance of a future bout, Sam, you, and who would win? Well, I'll tell you what. There's always a chance that the grasshopper is going to show up the master. Challenging words. <laughs> And then going up against this fight with Refrigerator Terry, I've got one motto. The bigger they are, the more they eat, what? the harder they fall. <laughs> the words of a very big man. Good luck, Bob Sapp. What? Oh. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Oh my God! It's a shame that WWE didn't keep this on on the network <laughs> because this is the type of bad stuff that needs to be on there. Yes, for, the, for people to. See. But with how much missing is missing from this episode, I'm guessing it's a master tape for sure. Good Someone God. sabotaged it. <laughs> Had to. Lenny Erickson probably. <laughs> David Crockett after the after the show aired went went to the library with a degausser. <laughs> oh my god. And uh is there more Lanita coming up in this uh in these notes? Uh there... yes. Yeah, there's a little bit more. So yeah. should we save the discussion for why she's actually there? Okay, I see there's more coming at yeah, moment. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, Dave Dave has his thoughts on it. <laughs> yeah, so let's we'll so. finish up Brian's thoughts here, then we'll get to Dave's and we'll go from there. Luger and Bigelow came out for their match with Goldberg. Before Goldberg appeared, Chronic came out and destroyed the referee. Brian's not sure what this accomplished since another ref just replaced him. Brian's sure he missed a storyline somewhere. No, you didn't. <laughs> it's WCW. Uh, Goldberg beat Bigelow and Luger. Better than you think. Luger walked out on his partner, allowing Goldberg to Jack Hammer Bigelow for the pin. Actually, Goldberg couldn't get him up the first time, had to try again, but they actually edited the first screw up off the show. That's a miracle. Yeah, it is a miracle because they're what we what we saw made television. All right, Dave said, "Was that Thunder interview with Lenita Erickson, the new announcer slash interviewer, who the wrestlers jokingly referred to as Missy Hyatt's mother, although she's actually two years younger than Hyatt?" With former footballer Bob Sapp, one of the saddest things in recent memory to make air. Well, at least until this weekend's ECW television. Erickson was actually first training at the power plant to become a pro wrestler but was injured, and they decided to make her an announcer. All right, Bix. The people that don't know, let them know. Lenita Erickson. Basically, she's trying to buy the company or something, and 
this is basically cover for her sniffing around, if I remember right? Yes, she was in the power plant training to be a wrestler as a cover to get information on how to purchase the company. Yeah. I mean, I'll... (laughs) Yeah, we go through her side of all this in, you know, that's in the Nitro book on the Patreon show, but uh, so strange. And she's, I, uh, she's tight with Gene Simmons. Didn't he, she have some kind of existing relationship with Brad Siegel, too? I forget. Or was it someone near Brad yeah, Siegel? There, there was something there, yes. I mean, in all honesty, like, I'm not saying it's what happened. I'm absolutely not. But, like. You see how bad this is? You do get why people just thought, oh, she must be Brad Siegel's mistress. Yeah. Like, cause this should not make air. No. There's no reason this person should be working here as an interviewer. No. There's no reason she should have been on television. Right, so wrestlers being wrestlers, of course, are going to be like, oh, well, why is she here? Which, it's a shitty thing to assume about someone, but in this case, I kind of get it. In the context of the year 2000, I kind in the context of knowing the history of this company, I kind of get it. And the fact is, you already have Pamela Paul shot there. Yes. You know? Younger and bikini-er. But, but blonde, you know? I mean, yes. you got, you got th- that going on. And Pamela Paul shot turned into a perfectly decent wrestling interviewer. Yeah. But... I don't know. It's just mind-boggling that this was on television. Yeah. Completely mind-boggling. But it's WCW, so. Thunder drew a 2.02 rating and 3.0 share. So there's that. Nitro, on the other hand, was in London, England. They're on 13th, but taped on the 10th. This is now Dave's review. The positives is that there was a little in the way of amateur hour stuff and the real insulting entertainment. The emphasis was more on the wrestling. Downside is quality of the wrestling in this company for the most part isn't that good. So it's basically more watchable but below average and kind of boring in spots. Shobano Ric Flair coming out. They still call him a 14-time champion. You need a calculator to know the real number. Flair announced a lethal lottery with a tag team that won facing each other on Thunder and the winner of that match, staying, challenging for the title. Steiner, question mark, on the day after Mayhem, which would be November 27th in Rockford, Illinois. Flair really had nothing to do, but with the possible exception of The Rock on a good day, nobody in the business can cut a better promo when they got nothing to say. Well, he's back then. The segment with the Battle Royal Light Brawl, of course. Crowbar. Beat Vito to retain the hardcore title. Fans were into the show early, went nuts when Vito brought out a table. After a rep bump, Reno hit Vito with a bat and Crowbar pinned him after a superplex to a table. And a match that went 7-18. Not a great match, but a really good effort from both guys. Natural Born Thrillers did an interview with Nash coming out to set up a four corners match later. Either Skipper tried hitting on Miss Jones. She was blowing him off. He asked what the cat had that he didn't. And she said the cat was over. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, that's not exactly the best reason to have a relationship with someone. It was kind of funny. It poorly delivered. <laughs> oh, my goodness. In a lethal lottery match, Sting and Scott Steiner beat Mike Austin and Bam Bam Bigelow. 
Stinger Steiner fought each other a little bit. Steiner beat Austin after Billy Blitz Superplex. Well, Dave thought that was the idea. What it actually was was a tougher to describe and a Steiner recliner submission. Bigelow jumped Austin after the match, giving him the Asbury, greetings from Asbury Park. In what Dave swore was a video from 1982, Jimmy Hart did a promo challenging Montana Taylor, a DJ in Augusta, Georgia, where Nitro is on November 20th to a match. If it's almost a dark match, that's fine. But if it's a dark match, why are they spending time on national television plugging it? Oh, we got to watch this. We got to watch this one. See if this made the uh I'm trying network. to find it. So where are we? This is after, This is before the it's first match. Or after? No, it's after. It's after the, first it's after the match. Okay, let's see. Yes, after um, the, the, the tag match. Sting and Steiner against... Uh, Bigelow and uh, Awesome. Okay, wait, so it's before it's the at- veto thing. No, what's well, after? I just read it in order, Bix, so we're sorry, past this. It, no, you said first, but sorry, that's why I got confused. Okay. So, but before Natural Born Thrillers, right? Uh, no. After that? Okay. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Okay, we just breezed through this first half hour very quickly, then. <laughs> And that yeah, half hour right, with the, the commercials removed, too. Well, there's the Miss Jones with either Skipper segment. So it's after this. Well, after it, yeah. Because we've got well, here's the match. The lottery. Okay, so it's not here. Or is it after this? It's after the match. It's Sorry, the match. I keep forgetting which match you're talking about. Get it together. <laughs> On the bright side, this is unlo- there's so much less happening than the Russo uh, 2000 shows. Well, they're in England. I right, rewind. Now. Okay, it's now, here. Here we go. All right, I'm giving it up. All right. See, now that there's no chapter marks on the network, we just. Oh, here we go. We we do it as the show goes. All right. The following is a paid announcement by Jimmy Hart. Here we go. Awesome is up. We're coming back. Following is a paid announcement. You know, when me, the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, issued a challenge to all the radio DJs all over the world to step in the ring with me on a Monday Nitro, little did I know that a little local DJ right down there in Augusta, Georgia, named Montana Taylor, would be the first one to accept my challenge. Well, let me tell you something, Montana. I want all your DJ friends to to shine up that old red pickup truck that you drive and park it by that back door because they're going to be the ones to have to take you after that match is over back to that trailer park home where you live, sweetheart, because after all, I am the man who knocked out Andy Kaufman. What? <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> Preceding was a paid announcement from Jimmy Hart. <laughs> it's what? so weird. I mean, why? And why is it in this format as a paid announcement? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Montana Taylor, right? Yes. I, uh... Montana Taylor does some type of uh, radio still today. Um... Tiger... Oh, that's old. That's from 2014. Maybe not. (laughs) So, internet radio then. So, maybe not. No more. That's all really the thing I can find, other than an actual country singer. But that's obviously the same person. country singer, yes. Uh, did so you search they, for Montana Taylor Augusta, Georgia at all? I did, with, in, in quotations. So, anyway. 
Oh, well. Obviously not a successful DJ. Alright, uh, Alex and Disco gave up potential title shots by paying off Kronik to take their place in the tournament. The filthy animals were watching on the monitor and thinked off to Ric Flair about it. Flair told Wright and Disco they had a match later. They aired a Battledome video package and pretend the Battledome guys had flown all the way to London to do a five-second backstage brawl. It was actually taped the previous week in Chicago. Oh, so they did actually follow up on the Battledome stuff a little then. That's yeah. good. Rick Steiner and DDP were also not even on the England tour. And they were part of the Battledome time. Uh. Um, Chronic beat Luger and Booker T. Luger looks a lot worse since he's come back. He aged a great deal, which at 42, it starts to get noticeable, and he's much slower moving in the ring. Oh, I did find oh, you want to watch the battle? Yes. All right, so, yeah, so Doug Dillinger is sitting backstage. So let's well, it go starts with a recap, though. Antonio, it was certainly a wild confrontation last week of Nitro as the returning Diamond Dallas Page, along with the Cat, Buff Bagwell, and Rick Steiner, went nose-to-nose with the Battledome Warriors. The WCW stars promised an invasion of the Battledome, and they delivered when they took over the announce booth. Then earlier today, the Battledome Warriors invaded London. Yo, Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Yeah, Santa Claus, yo. Where the fake-ass wrestlers at? Where that Steiner at? Huh? Terry Crews. Yo, we come all the way from freaking America to England well, to bust that ass. Well, you can go on back. Yeah, I ain't going back. Yeah, 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 the Battle Dome Warriors. How about that? What happened backstage? We have not seen the end of this. This is escalating on a weekly basis. Well, fans... Actually, we have seen the end of this. <laughs> yeah, Terry Crews, uh, Rick Steiner got him. I don't know if he wanted that one or not. <laughs> uh, Booker uh, gave Brian Clark a missile drop kick and something you're when Steiner hit Booker with a pipe, and he was pinned by the high times. Brian interview gigantic. Holy shit. And old. Looking older, yes. And also the bleached uh, hair is something. Oh, yes. He looks so bad. So bad. Oh, he can still move at, at this point, though, somewhat. He looks younger now than he did then. Despite everything. Yeah, kind of. Yes, he does. Despite having a spinal stroke. Yeah. Cronin did an interview basically saying that they won a tournament, they wouldn't wrestle each other. Before we went, Nash, Palumbo, Stacey, I know hair was pretty bad. It had little heat, and it was all the guys trading off on Nash, so it wasn't much to it. When you listen to Steve Ray's commentary, you think Palumbo must be some sort of secret love interest, the way he puts him over, like he saw Michaels. <laughs> Nash, against all odds, had Stacey had ready for the powerbomb when Reno and Sanders have interfered. Although five-on-one weren't too much for the mightiest of all team players, six-on-one was. As Ginger had took him out, and he was laid out by O'Hare Sean Tom Bomb, and they do need to change the name of that move or what? Why not just put subtitles on the screen every time O'Hare comes out? We copy the WWF. Next, the cat beat the skipper with the feliner. Highlight was Miss Jones taking Skipper out with a high kick. Aside from that, it wasn't good. Goldberg destroyed Alex Wright and Disco, pinning both in a minute 48. That counts as two more wins. Do they realize that by making the street bogus that inherently nobody cares? 
someday someone should sit down with WCW and explain exactly why things did and didn't work in 1996-1997 so they wouldn't continue to screw up ideas that actually did work in the past. Too late for that, Dave. <sighs> Lance Storm again the U.S. title from General Rexha when Major Guns turned heel, saving Storm from the moonsault, and Rexha was put in the half crab. He actually didn't tap. It was nearing the ropes when Guns threw the tile in for him. Storyline was good, but the match was pretty bad. General action. Major Guns joining Team Canada. Oh, God, that too, yes. Yeah, and then we get Sting and Scott Steiner beating Chronic, another bad match. They did the high times on Scott, but Medasia got involved, distracting Brian Adams. I'm sure she did. Brian Clark went for the meltdown on Sting, but it was reversed to the Scorpion Death Drop for the pin. Steiner hit Sting with a chair after the win until Booker made the save. First hitting Scott with a chair, then Mysterious hitting Sting with a chair. And this show teasing he had just turned heel. Of course, WCW. Yes. I'm curious to see what kind of conversation Medeja and Stevie Ray are having on commentary, though. Okay. Asia, what do you think about Sting and Steiner coexisting as a tag team tonight against Chronic? Well, let me tell you something. It's obvious that they're going to win tonight. Well, you, you and think, you'd better, well. You think it's obvious? It's they very got obvious. In you've got the genetic freak. He's got the biggest arms in the world. But you've got the most dominant tag team of all of WCW on the other end. So we were just kind of oh, talking please. and thinking that maybe the great tag team will prevail over the two great athletes. I don't know. No, let me tell you something. They're both going to win tonight. Sting and Scotty are going to win tonight. Sting's in trouble already, guys. And let me tell you, Pam Thunder. Look out. Scotty's going to be Sting. No. Oh, Devastating pile driver by Brian Adams. Oh, yeah. High impact move here in the early going. Has Sting in trouble? Medeja's look here makes her look like, uh, I don't know if you saw last week on uh, Twitter that for Halloween, uh, Masha Slamovich, uh, got dressed up in a, with her costume basically being as a bad baby, AKA cash me outside girl. She, yeah, uh, she kinda, she looks like, um, Ringo's wife in a way. Um, peace and love, peace and love. Barbara, Oh, uh, Billingsley. No, that's Beaver's mother, Bix. <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bar- um, oh, f- Barbara Bach. Are you right? Barbara uh, Bach. Yes, B-A-C-H, yes. Bach. Yes. Because her sister married uh, Joe Walsh. Okay. It's the Ringo and Joe Walsh, her brothers-in-law. Yeah, Medeja looks like Barbara Bach in a way here. And she's not tanned. What, so, what about uh, Maureen Starkey Tigret? That's the well. That's the original yeah. wife, you know, because all the Beatles remarried. So, but anyway, I mean, yes, yeah, she looks like Barbara Bach in a way here, but uh, yeah, not tan. Medeja was usually tanned, so she's kind of a pale, palish here. Well, when in but London. Scott, well, Scott Steiner and uh, the Chronic Boys um, want to make up for that. Especially Brian Clark, but I mean, what hey, you got to give them this. I mean, this Nitro in London was was a good show for them. They had a hot crowd. I mean, in general, even though they weren't awesome wrestling shows, the London. I mean, well, it wasn't just London. I think they did Manchester too. Australia, the, the UK, and Australia tapings were a breath of fresh, fresh air. Yeah, because they had better crowds. And the shows were a lot more wrestling-centric, which was needed, even if the wrestling wasn't that good. 
Yeah. That's a bigger bump than I'd expect from Brian Adams at this stage of his career. Yeah, well, they drew 9,138 fans here for a $335,093 I mean, $335, $335, $93 gate. What venue is this? The house that – it's not the O2. Well, the O2 didn't exist yet, I think. I think – I'm guessing it's either London Arena or Wembley Arena, right? Um, I'm going to search right now to give you the proper arena. So let's see here. It is the London Arena. Okay, there you go. All right, Newcastle on the 11th, drew 5,709, paying 187,657. Thunder on uh, the 12th in Manchester, did uh, 7,001, paying 221,606. Birmingham on the 13th, drew about 6,500, paying 205,000. Newcastle Sports, good show. Bad thing was fans was throwing so much debris after the Steiner Booker main event that a bottle hit Medeja across the face and caused her to be knocked out. But she was okay. She worked on the next night. Holy shit. Almost none of the fans live knew about Lance winning the U.S. title the day before the Major Guns turn. Top matches were Goldberg winning his typical two-minute match over Luger and Booker T. Pitting Scott Stein, Rick Steiner. Uh, best match said to be Team Canada versus Lieutenant Loco, Corporal Cajun, and General Erection. At the show in Birmingham, they put Booker over Steiner on top. Booker talked about being in London. Whoops. <laughs> wow. Steiner had a blackout for the previous night. Finished on Madeja, put on a referee shirt, Steiner killed the ref, but Booker slammed there and gave the Uranagi on Steiner. And then the ref counted the pin. Goldberg beat Bigelow in a typical one minute Goldberg match. Mike Sanders put Kevin Nash gets chronic, but Sting came out in Nash's partner in a match. Send me not as bad as you think. Report was that Jen Drake on the air versus Ray and Kidman was the best match due to the challengers who stood out in the ring over everyone else on the show. How, how does it happen that we still had these issues today sometimes where people get mixed up in the cities? You got to know what city you're in when you're out there. You know, write it on your hand, brother. You got to know because you're setting yourself up to be majorly heckled if you don't. Mm -hmm. Can't do that. Bret Hart was scheduled to appear on the uh, November 14th episode of Good Morning America, but due to all the hoopla around the presidential election finish, he was bumped from the show. Hart's Congress son comes and ended up being pulled due to their to his controversial nature. I wonder what he said. That's so controversial. Yeah, I'm curious to take this up. Well, it's pulled, so never, never, never ran. I guess. Well, yeah, and then I yeah. Wait a second, because because. Slam Wrestling is part of the same newspaper chain, so it probably wouldn't have gone online either. Yeah. But do we know what this column was about? No, I don't. I don't remember. I mean, no it, idea. It's a year before Helen dies. He's not talking about anything nine eleven related. He's still in WCW. Mm, by November, I think he's released, isn't he? Um. It's around this time, isn't it? Um, isn't it? Let's see. I don't know what it could be. I'm Googling. When did WCW fire Bret Hart? I mean, I just realized, wait a second, I can just go to the 2000 results on history of WWE, and it'll probably have 
if I search for in reverse for Bret Hart. Because he no, he retired at the end of October. But was that after so he, he was retired? Released? Well, I guess. Uh, his last appearance was September fourth. So I'm guessing he was fired right around this time. And probably already fired by our week. So, but still, I don't, I don't know what it could have been because, like I said, I'm doing a Google search now, and there's nothing. Nothing on anything November 2000. So I don't know. Don't know what it could have been, but anyway. Although the whole angle has fizzled out, so this may not happen. The plan for the Stacey Keebler angle was to stretch it out until March and then reveal that Vince Russo was the father. What a shock, huh? But the big revelation would have been that Ric Flair was Stacey Keebler's father from a fling in Baltimore 21 years earlier and that Rick and Russo worked together to break up the marriage because they were only two who knew the secret. There was an incestuous relationship revealing that at one point David had, in fact, had sex with his own sister. Dave Gibbs Russo had been waiting for that one ever since Ken Shamrock turned down the sex with his fake sister angle. Well, oh, then yeah. he decided to get together with his fake sister in real life. <laughs> well, that's different. <laughs> and they're not really a, I mean, not really a sister. Yes. They didn't name, name her after his real son, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean... But... Yeah, given some of the things Ken has said about Bob Shamrock also makes you realize just how much worse this whole situation is. But but there's been people that play siblings on TV shows that got together in real life. Yes, or even just... uh, parent and child on TV shows. Yeah, there's that too. There was, uh, what Jolie Richardson and the son from Nip Tuck. Yeah, although he was actually like thirty when that. Show well, started, I was talking about those rumors about Florence Henderson and Barry Williams. Oh God, I forgot about that. Well, that that didn't really go anywhere, though, did it? Well, no, but I mean, Barry Williams, and Marty McCormick had a thing, so of course they did. But I mean, still, that's kind of weird, though. It just is. I don't care. It's just kind. Of, it's still kind of weird. Even though you're not blood, but you're actually pretending to be, you know, step siblings on a TV show. I know it's acting. I know. I get it. It's still kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also. Still kind of- I mean, there's also the whole thing with on Brady Bunch. It's like they're never really treated like they're steps. No, they uh, they. Basically, I like brothers and sisters. I mean, that's basically the conceit of how they go into that kind of sending that up in the second Brady Bunch movie. Is that you have these step-siblings whose parents got married in the pilot, but they act like they're blood relatives who have known each other their whole lives. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. I'm curious, like, yeah, I'm trying to pull up the archived Red Heart column archive. To see if it's like skipped over or anything that week. So this would be. So what week would we say this is? I mean, this our week's November eighth to the fourteenth. So uh, there is no missing week. Okay. There's. I mean, I'm going back a couple months. September not second ninth sixteen twenty third thirtieth October seventh fourteenth twenty first twenty eighth November fourth eleventh 
Okay, 18th. I, I skipped over it. Okay, so <clears throat> the November e- there's no November 18th. So that's I it I guess. Yes, it. Okay, cuz I was I was I didn't go I wasn't going that far because it's past our week. But I'm sure somebody will know and let us know. I I hope so. But what would have been so controversial that it would not have been right? I don't know. I don't know. All right, let's go to the torch for the first and time. And wait a well, second, did you go time. back? Did you go back to see if it was mentioned in any previous tor- observers? It wasn't. Nothing was. Nothing was mentioned. You you get why I say that because Dave makes it seem like he's talked about it already. It's Dave. Well, there's that. All right. First time I mentioned the torch since the beginning of the show. Some believe Terry Taylor and Johnny Ace are competitive with each other since each sees themselves as a possible creative director in the future, which would entail a big raise. Oh, they were competitive, I'm sure, in many ways. Yeah, I'm sure they both would have loved to oversee a new women's division. <laughs> they Although were the in Terry's case, it would have been an all-white – well, no, excuse me, all-white and Asian women's division. <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. Debbie's officially inked the deal to send younger wrestlers to work for Bill Barons on the NWA Wild Side shows every week to gain experience. Uh, Bill, got more boys for you. <laughs> Bob Sapp being one of them. Bob Sapp and Greco. Yeah, a lot of them. Bobby Heenan's contract with WWE expires on December 28th. So strong indication one way or another regarding WWE's potential interest, other than he's said to be interested if they are. He didn't want me to do it worldwide or anything else for the company, but it's being paid through the end of his contract. Larry Zabisco is trying to get himself worked to a storyline to avoid that same inev- inevitability. <sighs> I mean, it, it, at least he did get that one more one WF run, that one show. He did get WrestleMania 17. This would have been better for, you know, something, did not say had better thing to close out on, but. Sad that it happened, but still, at least he got to do it. Yeah. The battle done pretty boy blonde bodybuilder built as Michael O'Dell is actually Michael O'Hearn, a former Muscle Magazine cover boy who's the husband of Medesha, Melinda O'Hearn. I thought Medesha was her real name. No, it's Melinda. Okay. Bill, Gold, Bill Goldberg has refused to wrestle on the November 16th show because it's in Germany, apparently because he had relatives killed in the Holocaust. That. It's 2000, Bill. I, I, it's, here's the thing. I have no, I, I, this is you. I can't talk on this. No, I kind of get where he's coming from, but it's like modern Germany is not that, and not, not only not responsible for that, is the country that has gone furthest in doing Holocaust education and banning, you know, Nazi type speech and stuff. So, I, you know, having the concentration camps, you know, converted into museums and everything. Like, I just... Some people do, Bix, when something like that happens. I mean, it's just... It's, it's something that they're never going to... Yeah, that's what I was let, about to let, say. Let, like, let, go, let go of. That's what I was about to say. Like realistically it's not something someone should have a problem with but i still kind of get it it's just it there's no actual logic applied to it it's all gut yeah but you know yeah 
Alright. Next. We, yes, we close with this lighter note from Vigor Four Weeks. <laughs> yes, from Brian Alvarez. I wish I could take credit for making this one up. According to an Associated Press report, a man named Peter Goldschmidt is suing his former friend, Robert Catel, for $10 million in actual punitive damages. Wait, Robert Catel? Is he going to try to sell me a copy of Hey Soul Classics? <laughs> Catel, Catel, whatever. An actual and punitive damages for holding up what Goldschmidt said was a derogatory sign at that Monday Nitro event. According to Goldschmidt, Catel, Catel, attended the September 25th Nitro event at the Nassau Coliseum and right in front of in full view of TNT cameras held up a large yellow sign that said, P. Goldschmidt steals from Saks. Saks Avenue. Despite the fact nobody at home would have any idea what the hell this meant, Goldschmidt filed his, filed his multi-million dollar lawsuit. According to court documents, Goldschmidt suffered mental pain and anguish as a result of viewing this sign on television and claims that Cattell held him up to public contempt and ridicule, disgrace and prejudice. The article went on to alert readers that this was not the first such sign that Cattell had held up during a national televised wrestling event. Goldschmidt's lawyer, a man named Michael Mossberg, claimed Cattell had displayed other signs, one of which read, Peter Goldschmidt, loser for life. <laughs> According to court documents filed by Goldschmidt, the two former friends grew up on Long Island and went to high school together. Then one day, Cattell asked Goldschmidt to help him move. Goldschmidt apparently said he wasn't able to do this because it was a work day. And the friendship came to a bitter end, causing Cattell to travel around the nation and hold disparaging signs at wrestling events. According to the story, Cattell, a Long Beach resident, and a salesman oh. at WFN Radio, called the sign a prank done in humor. He said Goldsmith should have called him rather than a lawyer if he had a problem with the sign. What the fuck? Oh. <laughs> I didn't realize he was from Long Beach. Yes, uh, you're old neck of the woods. Yeah, uh, and also not the only WFAN uh, person living in Long Beach because uh, uh, McGurk from Imus uh, lived. Bernie McGurk. Yeah. Oh my God. All right, let's uh, let's read the New York Post on this, shall we? Yes, that is the only big Google hit that shows up. A Manhattan Department Store executive is suing a childhood friend for waving a sign in a televised World Championship Wrestling match to accuse him of being a crook. In a 10 minute lawsuit filed in Manhattan Supreme Court, Peter Goldschmidt, an executive at Saxon Avenue, claims ex pal Robert Cattell held up a sign to public content and ridicule when he was showing a sign saying Pete Goldschmidt steals from Saks. The sign showed up on a national broadcast episode of TNT's wrestling show Monday Nitro. It's just bizarre, said Goldberg's, Goldberg, Goldschmidt's lawyer, Michael Mossberg. Cattell works at WFAN and Goldsmith, who are childhood friends, who grew up in Oceanside, Long Island together, yeah. who had a falling out about two years ago, the lawyer said. My understanding is Cattell had asked Peter to do him a favor and have him move. Mossberg said Mr. Goldsmith couldn't help because he was a business day, and Cattell got mad. For a short time later, he says, wrestling loving client was watching TV and saw Cattell sitting ringside over the sign that said, Peter Goldsmith, loser for life. It was a sign Goldsmith saw on TV numerous times over the next year, Mossberg said. He just ignored it, Mossberg said. At first, he was annoyed, and he just kind of laughed it off. He figured that's his opinion, that's his opinion. 
But the court papers say he didn't find anything funny about being accused of stealing from his employer on a sign that he saw Cattell waving the broadcast on September 25th. He was appalled. He's a very straight-laced guy. Your basic Boy Scout, Mossberg said. He was like, how could he do this to me? Cattell, who's in his mid-30s, said he didn't remember what the sign said specifically, but called it just a childish prank. It wasn't anything malicious. It was all done in humor, he said. But the suit chains that charges the sign exceeded the bounds of decency and injured Goldschmidt's good name, business reputation, and social standing. So here's the thing. I remember the version of, of this in Death of WCW only mentioned the loser for life sign, if I remember right. So it sounds a lot more ridiculous with that, but you are accusing the guy of stealing from his employer. You know? Yeah. Um, wait, actually, wait, or did I just see that now in Newsday? Or what, was the fact that Goldsmith works for Saks Fifth Avenue mentioned in the other one of the other articles? It was mentioned in the Post. Okay. Well, now I have Newsday. So this is your local Long Island version. Um, that has additional quotes by uh, Thomas Frank, staff writer. And yes, I checked the New York State Court Records website. It doesn't go back that far. Uh, Peter Goldschmidt says he's a quote-unquote very level-headed, calm, soothing type of guy. And then blah, 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 sign, blah, 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 blah. When it came on at the dinner party he was at, everyone said, Peter, Peter, look at the TV. And I was shocked. What he saw was a spectator holding a sign that read, P. Goldschmidt steals from sex. And when Goldschmidt... A personnel recruiter at Saks Fifth Avenue in Manhattan looked closely. He saw the sign was held by an old friend from Oceanside High School, Robert Cattell of Long Beach. Goldschmidt, 36, was no longer calm and level-headed. I was fuming, he said. How dare somebody go on national TV and harass me like that? Now Goldschmidt has given Cattell a body slam of Hulk Hogan proportions. He sued him for $10 million. This is character assassination. This is a statement that you are engaged in criminal activity, said Goldschmidt's lawyer, Michael Mossberg of Mossberg and Glotzer in Manhattan, who filed the five-page suit Wednesday in State Supreme Court in Manhattan. Uh, the suit says the episode caused Goldschmidt, who lives in Manhattan, quote-unquote, great mental pain and made him, quote-unquote, lose esteem and respect of friends, acquaintances, business associates, and the public of the public generally. Goldschmidt said his colleagues at Sachs asked him who would do something like that. Despite fearing how his superiors might react, Goldschmidt said, At this point, no one has said anything to me. Cattell, 37, a salesman at WFAN Radio and son of Keyspan, of Keyspan Corporation chairman Robert Cattell, so the big uh, power one of the big power companies on Long Island, or at least the gas company, I always get all that mixed up, uh, could not be reached for comment on Friday. But he told the New York Post the sign was, quote, just a child to prank. He added, you know, blah, 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 what you read, you know, loser. So there was Peter P. Goldschmidt, loser for life, and also P. Goldschmidt equals loser at Nassau. Mossberg, the lawyer, who is also Goldschmidt's brother-in-law, said Goldschmidt had contacted him, and he advised, just ignore it. But when Goldschmidt saw the sign accusing him of theft, he taped the rest of the wrestling event, which showed... Cattell, hold, hoisting the sign again, called Mossberg and said, that's it. Goldschmidt suspects Cattell was angry at him at blah, 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 not moving because he had to work. 
who have not spoken since, ending a friendship that started when they were 13 and worked together at Camp de Bon in Oceanside. Cattell, who attended Goldschmidt's wedding in 1993, even quit their recreational softball team, Goldschmidt said. He was a great guy. We had a lot in common, Goldschmidt said. But now he wonders, how could somebody go about doing something like that to affect someone's career? Camp de Bon. I never went there, but I knew some people who went there. It was a day camp so, in Oceanside. So Peter Goldschmidt now is currently an executive recruiter for Macy's. Okay. So there you go. So I don't see anything about Robert Cattell, though. But What did you try searching for? I mean... I see it. Wait, let's see. Robert Cattell licensed real estate? Yeah, there's a, there's a Long Beach, New York Robert Cattell who's a licensed real estate salesperson who looks about the right age. Okay, well, there you go. So Works for Dean Miller Real Estate. Uh, let's see. He's been doing real estate for the last two years. Previously was with Cy- the president of Cyclin Sanity Fitness in Rockville Center. President of REC Media uh, in ad sales. Okay, yeah, it worked as a sales That's manager him. in radio yeah. for WNYZ FM for a dozen years. Uh, He's in real sponsorship, Yeah, sponsorship sales director at WINS uh, at, at WEVD, former home of Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Was an account executive and sports account executive at WFAN from June 1993 to September 2001. So, yeah, same guy. Well, there you go. So, so basically, he does what anyone does when they're getting older and they're, uh, the business they work in is dying. They get a real estate license. Pretty much. So, there you go. WCW, everybody. What a, what a closer that was. All right, let's go to the land of the rising sun now, and uh, we'll start with New Japan Pro Wrestling. All Japan's not doing anything at this, during this week. Big story, probably in all the wrestling world during our week, takes place in New Japan. Shiyashimoto, who headlined more big gates at the Tokyo Dome than any wrestler in history, was shockingly fired by New Japan Pro Wrestling on November 13th after a weekend filled with turmoil. After news got out, he was negotiating with Pro Wrestling Noah. The story was among things that threatened the future of the All Japan New Japan relationship, which started off with a big success on October 9th at the Tokyo Dome, and has seen, since seen the start falling apart. There are already some cracks noticeable in the foundation, the angle for word getting out of Hashimoto's negotiations to appear at the December 23rd Pro Wrestling Noah show at Arai Coliseum, which at this point is scheduled to happen. The firing scenes open the door for Hashimoto joining Noah as a regular to go along with doing his own shows, which at this point appears to be scheduled if everything works out early next year. There are some who are speculating all this is an angle. Rightfully so. Although Dave's best source in Japan say it should become clear over the next week what is or isn't, and as more evidence comes out, it appears more and more evident that it isn't an angle. All the stories regarding the heat between all Japan and Pro and Noah are not publicity stunts, and the feelings run very deep. Well, that's definitely not an angle. Hashimoto 35 has wrestled sparingly this year, including losing a retirement match to Noyogawa on April 7th and what was the most watched pro wrestling match in Japan in 14 years. Since the match of Antonio Noki versus Leon Spinks. He came back for one match on October 9th Tokyo Dome Show with Tessumi Fujinami in the opener. He's been announced Riki Choshu, the booker, for some time, some of which is legitimate and some of which has been played up for storyline purposes. His role in the company, larger than menace since January 4th, 1999, in his now legendary bachelor Ogawa, 
which destroyed his reputation as a tough guy when Ogawa in a match that was pretty well issued destroyed him. The Ogawa Hashimoto program was the most heated program pro wrestling over the past two years, stemming from that first match. Headline three dome shows after that point. There's been some resentment within each fan among the younger wrestlers since Hashimoto has rarely wrestled, but was pulling on full pay as one of the highest paid wrestlers in the company, earning more than $400,000 this year for only working four matches, one of which wasn't even on the Japan show. Hashimoto would like to take a huge pay cut if he becomes a no regular and have to work a full schedule, but his switching instead of dream matches against Eliza Misawa, Kobashi, Akiyama, and Vader could just could be just as smart no one need to heat up, particularly combining that with getting network television in the spring. Kensuke Sasaki was most vocal in the meeting on the New Japan Booking Combine, headed by Choshu, regarding Hashimoto not being a team player, since there have been reports of Hashimoto being reluctant to put over Yuji Nagata, Manaba Nakanishi, which Choshu had wanted on the October 9th Tokyo Dome show, but Fujinami instead wanted to give Hashimoto a barely needed win and volunteered to put him put him over himself. These are part of New Japan's major plans for 2001. Although the wrestler was supposed to be stone-faced at the announcement of the firing, Sasaki wasn't able to hide his smile, since he was one of the since he was the one who pushed the hardest for it. The decision was apparently made at a four-hour booking meeting on November 10th with Fujinami, Choshu, Sasaki, Masahiro Chono, Shiro Koshinaka, and New Japan General Manager, Kesuji Nakashima. There are some reports of Fujinami as company president and as the closest of the group to Hashimoto, and the only one the company seemed to care about doing storylines for him was unhappy at being outvoted, and even may resign his presidency over the next week. Fujinami is going to Los Angeles to talk about the situation with Antonio Inoki, who, although divorced from the political structure of the New Japan Company, is still one of its major stockholders and something of a business father to Fujinami as he broke him into the business. The basic bottom line is to believe to be that Choshu and Nagajima in particular chose continuation of the New Japan feud ahead of keeping Hashimoto when faced with a political either-or situation, while the rest involved in decision-making have both those and perhaps other motives regarding feelings currently on Hashimoto. Hashimoto has been talking with Masawa for at least five months, including conversations regarding Hashimoto legitimately quitting New Japan when his contract expired and going to Noah full-time. Which, as it turns out, New Japan's decision may have been forced. Hashimoto opened up his own gym called Zero One. With the idea of running his own shows, the idea that the backer who put the money up for his gym and for him to run his own shows has led him into making some bad business decisions over the last few months that have led to this. Hashimoto announced on October 23rd he wanted to promote his own shows with the wrestlers he was training and work with other promotions and had been in contact with Masao for quite some time about working with Noah. His contract with New Japan didn't prevent that because when it was signed, nobody ever thought the possibility even existed he would promote independent shows. Of course, this put all Japan and New Japan in a strange way because Hashimoto, who was at the time a New Japan contracted wrestler, talking about working with Noah. All Japan hates Noah, but it's working with New Japan. Because of that, Fujinami told Hashimoto New Japan would have a problem with him working with Noah, and the company had this meeting on November 10th. Well, afterwards, Nagashima met with Motoko Baba to attempt to smooth out their problems. Tanuka Nichiro, who's the one person who can be the intermediary between All Japan, because he started wrestling the Baba, and New Japan, since he's friends with Choshu for a long time, has stayed out of this situation. It's difficult for New Japan and Baba to talk directly on a regular basis. Those in the New Japan Company have remarked that they've heard all the stories going in about Motoko Baba and how difficult it is to do business with her, but still didn't realize how difficult it would be. There are already signs of the angle falling apart when Koshinaka, as part of the angle, had joined All Japan, the company he started his career with, the few in New Japan, 
So John Japan started battling you to death. Work the last New Japan tour instead of all Japan tour, killing that aspect of the angle. New Japan's recognized and unlikely successful New Japan UWFI angle, which led to record business in 95-96 and was a predecessor for the NWO angle that revised American business. After Eric Bischoff saw the heat and box office this angle was getting from attending the Soda Tokyo Dome show, this all Japan angle is totally different in the previous angle. Totally different. In the previous angle, Choshi was in complete control of the booking because UWFI was in a financial situation where it needed the money from the angle to survive. However, all in Japan, every interpromotional idea has to be negotiated and renegotiated, making both short and long-term booking of it far more difficult. While Choshi did destroy UWFI a little early to gain maximum box office value, and thus there was booking for Ego ahead of business and making his company look strong from the start, the angle itself ran smoothly and was the biggest angle in wrestling history up to that point in time. Motoko was more upset with Fujinami and Hashimoto because New Japan had hinted that they were interested in using both All Japan Pro Wrestling Noah Wrestles to appear at the IWGP Heavyweight Title Tournament on January 4th. She initially wasn't upset about the stories Hashimoto negotiated with Masawa. At first, believing since Hashimoto was an employee in New Japan, it was all an angle and nothing would ever result from him. But became upset when the realization was there with some smoke to the story. The realization that her to threaten to pull All Japan's involvement out of the next New Japan pay per view show. Fujinami to Hashimoto in the morning on November 13th, and that's what we made later in the day, which turned to front-page news and many Japanese sports sections as more than 50 reporters at the press conference for the announcement. Hashimoto, at the announcement, talked more about starting a new promotion than going to NOAA. He also talked about potentially working for UFO next year to continue his feud with Ogawa. It is said that Ogawa has done any jobs anywhere since the January 4th, 99 Hashimoto match, which made him a breakthrough superstar, would be willing to put Hashimoto over at this point, even though it would be against the wishes of Inoki. Anoki's trying to recreate his success with Ogawa, and Anoki almost never did jobs during his prime years of the late 70s. Ogawa's apparently questioned Anoki coming in at the last minute and changing the finish of the Ogawa Hashimoto match on April 7th after the Hashimoto retirement stipulation was announced, but then never giving any kind of follow up storyline plan for Hashimoto to make his comeback. Which shows she also doing nothing as a follow up. His return came off clumsy as a WCW angle, only a thousand times more high profile. Also, when Hashimoto's career is suffering greatly, larger through making Ogawa, and Ogawa basically owes him. Now, while there's all sorts of uh, new source speculation regarding Hashimoto doing shoot matches, that would be career suicide at this point, and it's highly unlikely to happen. He knows to appearing on a Pride show would be a gigantic draw. Hashimoto himself has denied the stories and makes for good copy, so the stories will likely continue. It is expected two protégés in the New Japan promotion, Tadao Suda and Kenzo Suzuki, his protégés. Would remain with the company. With Yasuda, his recent trouble due to gambling debts, what a shot, and had disappeared from New Japan, expect to return later this week. <sighs> There's a lot here. The first is that if by any chance this was a shoot at this point, it turns into a work. And we got more to come, and we do have more to come, so I just stopped yes. right here for a moment. And it turns into, but then it turns into a shoot again, regardless. The thing was, was the Hashimoto and Masawa. I mean, that that was a plan that was always going to. I mean, that was what was going to happen. Um, it just was. Um, they didn't expect Motoko Baba to be like she was, obviously. Yeah. And now you know why Shiro Koshinaka's All Japan deal was so short-lived. He didn't want to have to deal with her. I mean, she basically killed... Well, she no, she just basically killed the angle. 
I mean, it's... If for those of you wondering why the New Japan All Japan deal, you know, wasn't as coherent as it could have been, that's why. She didn't see All Japan was in, was was at a point of weakness. In her mind, All Japan was All Japan. Yeah. You know? And to a point you can almost understand that because business did hold up decently well at first. But they lost so much. Yes. No, I agree. But still, it's not as completely outlandish as it sounds on the surface. No. But it's still ridiculous. But the, the Hashimoto and Choshu had problems. Yes. They did. Honestly, you know what I, the most interesting thing about this might be to me? Towards the end of what you've read so far, how the seeds have clearly been planted for Ogawa to end up on Hashimoto's side. Yes. And, you know, here's the thing with Choshu. I get it. I understand, you know, Hashimoto at this point in time should have been putting over Nagata and Nakanishi. Yes. Especially Nagata. I mean, Chono did it in 2001. Mudo did it in 2001. You know? But, I mean, the crux of all this is, though, is at this time, Zero One is a shadow New Japan thing. Yes, and it is through at least the end of the winter. Because New Japan, I mean, New Japan folks are working the shows. Yes. Nagata's in the main event on the first show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. What was it? Was it Hashimoto and Nagata against Masawa and someone? Yes. Um, fuck. I can't remember that match. I'm checking. I love that show. I mean, I love Zero One. I can't remember who was in the main event. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Okay, uh, your first show headliner was Akiyama and Masawa over Hashimoto and Nagata. There you go. And that's on March 2nd. Yes. And then on the second show, you still have some New Japan involvement because you have Tadao Yasuda teaming with Hashimoto in the semifinal. Yeah. And that was... That was April 18th. June 14th is the first Shingeki show. And I don't think there's any New Japan talent on that. That's that's when everything starts changing. Because Shingeki are the first backers that Hashimoto has. Although even that's complicated because Shingeki were only backing the pay-per-views. Yes. Not any other shows. Well, so, I mean, they had the the first non-pay-per-view show is July 12th. Right, it goes a little bit before that anyway, but the pay-per-views but, for a little while are still Shingeki. But the New Japan participation is done after that. After April, yeah. Yeah, that's it. So two shows. So, But, like, as this angle is ongoing with new heavyweight Otani, like, he main events the uh, February New Japan pay-per-view with Sasaki. But that's the, la the, that's, the, that's the last show. That's the last New Japan show he works. Yep, I'm checking. I'm looking stuff up real quick. Okay, wait. He's done after that. Uh, yes, he doesn't work until work there again until '05, and he had been working on that tour. I did forget that that he had. He was been a working. member of Bat. 
Oh God, I forgot about that. He was one of the first members of Bat, <laughs> including Jason Anderson. <laughs> which yeah, I he was that's the sledgehammer. He was, he was one of the first members of Bat. So. Is 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 Jason Anderson like the least notable wrestler with the most ring names? Probably, but anyway, I mean, so this is a, a highly elaborate work shoot going on here. But it All seems right. like there are legitimate elements to it. But it's still oh, there definitely is a work more broad. While Hashimoto's still in the contract, yes. And also remember, Otani's bitter. Just and he ends up on Hashimoto's side because of the whole weird excursion they sent him on in two thousand. See, Kensuke. I mean, Kensuke. Kensuke is still Shoshu's boy at this point. And 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 he's also like, why are we paying this dude all this money? He ain't doing shit. I'm the champion. <laughs> yeah. Now, so also they're, though, they're losing sight of they're losing sight of the fact though that probably the biggest money match. Or one of the biggest money matches they have for the old Japan feud, though, is Hashimoto Kawada. Yep, which doesn't end up happening till uh, four, like right at the end for Hashimoto. Yeah, because of the problems of working again, New Japan's yet to come up with lineups for their big shows on December tenth in Nagoya and their second live preview show in Osaka on the fourteenth. Which originally was going to be headlined by New Japan's G1 Tag Tournament winner facing All Japan's Real World Tag winner. Because Baba wouldn't agree to work together on the shows until Hashimoto said he won't do business with Noah or New Japan fire Hashimoto. There'll be no All Japan presence on the de- December 10th show, with Chono announcing the card on the 14th. There may, may also now be no All Japan presence on the 14th, which is going to make a difficult sell about the promotional feud. All Japan did make the strange announcement this week that his tag tournament will not determine its vacant double world tag team championship as was the original plan. Instead, the titles will be determined in the second tournament next year. The feeling of this may be that since All Japan owes New Japan a big win, since they've come out strong thus far, in particular, Kensuke Saki put Toshiko Kawada clean, as did his top foreigner, Scott Norton and Steve Williams, this may be his turn to return the favor. All Japan still has a mentality to protect its world championships. And it's doubtful the company ever allow an existing world champion to work in a promotional match and do a job. In addition, the December 1st release date for the home video and DVD of the October 9th Do Judge interpromotional show has been delayed indefinitely because all Japan refused to sign a video release for to allow Kawada, Masafuchi, and Dr. Death's matches to appear on New Japan's home video because of the problems, which the best evidence is problems are a legit deal. Because why would people cut their own throats in that marker for work? Without those matches, there's no point in even releasing the tape. This is similar to a situation years ago when Kawada worked the UWFI Stadium show, but Bob refused to uh, let Kawada's match air on the home video. Okay. Does there end up being a two-judge home video? I don't think so. Which also, you know what makes sense with that, though? Come January, All Japan has the Stan Hansen retirement show at the Dome. There is a home video, and through VAP, who was their previous distributor, which, you know, before the split, which I guess VAP was tied into Nippon TV in some form, right? Yeah, yeah. And the home video was a mess because the key matches had New Japan guys, and they're not on there. Yeah. There was a TV special that had clips of the of the key matches with the New Japan guys, but it wasn't on there. And then I know at least the main event ended up coming out eventually on the Tenru DVD set, but I'm not sure about the other matches. And, of course, the New Japan stuff in 1990 never making air. So, 
you know. Yeah, remember, remember how when New Japan World launched, the interpromotional matches from the uh, Super Fight Dome show were on there, and then they realized, oh shit, we don't have the permission to hit. <laughs> yeah, oops. Junokiyama was publicly critical of Masao and negotiating Hashimoto. Saying that while Hashimoto would sell tickets for the company's first big show, his presence would overwhelm everything else in the company's major show and put the company's own internal angles in the background, which isn't good for the company at this point in time. That's a valid argument for a one-time only appearance if the company was going strong, but not valid if Hashimoto would become a regular or the company needs something from the outside to sell tickets for a big show. Kobashi is more receptive publicly doing a program on Hashimoto. Masawa said he would call a company meeting, and if the wrestlers don't want Hashimoto in, then he wouldn't bring him in. Here's the thing with this too: when all the, when all the dust clears, Hashimoto doesn't work Noah at all after the the first 2001 shows that he does with them, the co-promotional shows. I mean, where he shows up in main event, him and Otsuka and all that stuff, and then the Noah guys don't work uh, the or the zero one shows anymore. So that deal ends the same time New Japan's deal ends. Huh. Interesting how that worked out, huh? Yeah, when exactly? Yeah, wait. When exactly did the Noah guys stop working zero one? The second show. But they because were still they, so. They but they were still. Go ahead. They don't. They don't work the Shinkegi shows. Okay, so yeah, Hashimoto only works the Christmas Great Voyage show for Noah, and then um, the Osaka Prefectural Gym pay per view in January. Like said, I'm looking through all the 2001 results right now, in order. And there's no Noah representation at all. Mm. Now, I mean, 2002, same thing. So, that deal ends at the same time. So, it's through the second paper. No, but doesn't Takiwa work Noah for a while as a zero one guy? I think that ends, too. I'm checking. Weren't they? But weren't they basically at arm's length with Noah for quite a while? Takiwa, I mean, Takiwa does work more. He works a lot in 2001 with Noah. Yes, he does. So there's still a deal there because he's a zero one yes, roster member. Yeah. With him and Hoshikawa. Him and Hoshikawa weren't Noah in 2001. This is like New Japan. The junior heavyweights have their own deal. True. But even then, the, but even then, the D, the Noah Zero One thing was still primarily junior heavyweights in the first place. So New Japan. Mm-hmm. In fact, the New, New Japan replaced Zero One in that deal because Zero One ends at, two, at the end of two thousand and one. New Japan starts at the beginning of two thousand and two. You mean the Noah feud? Yes. The firing is considered probably the oh, biggest. Fire. And I, I did want to add real quick because I forgot to mention as far as the thing about pay per view stuff. They do end up settling some stuff in time for the pay-per-view because the main event ends up – the December 14th show ends up being main evented by Kawada and Fuchi in the 30-minute draw well, Nagata and Azuka. Yes, yes, yes. Which is the probably fire- the best match of this era that no one talks about anymore, by the way. The firing is considered probably the third biggest firing of superstar in the history of Japanese wrestling. It ranks behind the Japanese Wrestling Association's firing of Minoki on December 13, 1971, after a failed power play, which ultimately resulted in the formation of New Japan Pro Wrestling in March 72 and paved the way for an entirely new concept of wrestling. It also ranks behind the May 1, 1988 firing of New, by New Japan of Akira Maeda, after he refused the punishment imposed on him for the famous shoot kick on Choshu the previous November, which led to the formation of the second UWF, and paid the way for an entirely new concept pro wrestling. Given those two historical precedents, perhaps it's an even bigger story than it seems right now, as those two those two firings proved to be historically. 
Well, Zero One doesn't pave the way for New Concept Pro Wrestling, but it was a success. To a degree, yeah. It was a success. Yes. And of course, the irony with the Anoki thing is that his issues with JWA were trying to expose all the embezzling in JWA. Yeah. And then, you know, come 15 years later or less or whatever it was, he's able to maintain his position in New Japan despite all of his embezzling from New Japan. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, wrestling. Hashimoto has made the six, six Tokyo Dome sellouts, holds an all-time record in that category, as well as all-time recorded for wrestling records as a main event drawing card for headlining seven shows that have drawn in excess of 60,000 fans and ten shows that have drawn in excess of 50,000 fans. Allegedly. Well, yes. Other In other non-Hashimoto news, Masahiro Chono announced that Team 2000 had their set, set their sights on Shiro Koshinaka since he helped All Japan against Team 2000 a couple matches last month before that angle was dropped. Don Fry, who was scheduled for the tour that starts on November 17th, was announced this week as being ill and may miss some dates early in the tour, but would be coming in. And he ends up uh, leaving Team 2000 for bat. That's in 2001, yes. Yes, shortly after. Former WCW wrestler Kid Romeo, who had some good matches earlier this year as part of the Super Junior Tournament and was then fired by WCW, large for an attitude problem, returns on this tour in the Junior Heavyweight Division. How do you even get fired by WCW for an attitude problem? You must have really did something stupid. <laughs> Alright, Pro Wrestling Noah, but Junakiyama already having broken from the No Fear Heel group. They met for the first time since the breakup on November 11th in Kyoto with Yoshio Takayama Takamori beating Akiyama and Kataro Shiga. Apparently, there was a lot of heat when Akiyama faced both men, but Shiga ended up being pinned after a high German suplex by Takayama. Alright, the show was at Kyoto KBS Hall with the big glass window. Masashi Oyagi beat Takeshi Murashima in your opener. Rush Kimura, Mitsumomoto, and Torosako defeated Haruka Egan, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Makoto Hashi. Scorpio and Richard Slinger defeated Daisuke Ikeda and Namichi Marafuji. Takeshi Rikyo single match trial match number three saw Vader beat Takeshi Rikyo. Mitsuru Masanya Shinaragawa defeated Tomon Honda and Masan went away. Team No Fear, Takama Mori and Yoshiro Takayama defeated Junakiyama and Kitaro Shiga. And Akira Tawe and Junior Zamita over Kenokabashi and Shoshu Kuchi in the main event. So, there's Noah. All right, now let's get to the indie scum. Capture. We have two capture shows this week, Bix. Capture International Basic Matches number 39 and 40. 39 was at Numazu Kiramas and Shizuoka, where we had Kenichi Serizawa going to a 10 minute draw with Takafumi Hanai. Yusuke Kikuchi over Yuki Kubota, Yusaku over Masato Fujita, and a five three minute round boxing glove match. Tomohiro Ishii defeated Daisaku. And in two out of three falls, Kokitahara and Mongol Man defeated Nihao and Kazunobu Nakamura. And show number 40 was in the Nishikuta Shop's karaoke box Paru Paru and Kawasaki. We have Mongol Man over Yusuke Kikuchi. Ni Hao over Yuki Kubota. Then Tomohiro Shii won another boxing match over Yuzo Suzuki. Daisaku won a boxing match over Masato Fujita. And then Kazunobu Nakamura and Yusaku defeated Kokidahara and Hideo Toda in a 2 out of 3 fall match. I forget, are they still running today or have they been effectively replaced by Wallaby? <laughs> I have no idea if Cash are still going or not. I wouldn't, be, wouldn't tell you. 
I wonder if that guy who sells the individual matches from Mutoha shows and old other old indie scum, I wonder if he sells any capture. I should ask him. Maybe you should. DDT ran Club Adam in Shibuya on November 9th. We have Takashi Saki over Chitor Kamae. Showa over Black Showa by disqualification. Yuki Nishino over Kingo Takai. Super Uchu Power over Tanamas. Oh, excuse me, Team Autonomous Sakutoba to go over Tomiko Hashimoto and Issei Fujisawa. And then in the main event, Sancho Takagi and Assigning Yoshida over Poison Swanda Julie and Hebekaje. Yep. And Toba's still good. He looked great on that uh, Battle Arts tribute show a few weeks ago that people can watch on uh, Wrestling Universe. We are the Fighting Detectives. There you go. FMW ran this November 12th pay review from Yokohama Bunker Gym before about 2,500 fans. Announced it's 5,400, <laughs> which is a weak crowd for a major show. The car was headlined by Koto Fuyuki against Hayabusa for the world title. Hayabusa was clearly bothered by problems with his elbows and hands, and it was a good match, although Hayabusa hit his trademark Phoenix Splash, Falcon Arrow, and Firebird Splash before being pinned after a clothesline in 2301. Fuyuki then did a bayface promo regarding what a great fighter Hayabusa is and welcoming him to return next May after operations on both elbows. The operation is scheduled for the November 22nd. When Hayabusa was shaking hands after the match of fans, Tetsuya Kuroda went heel and DDT'd him. Katara Kanemura kept the WWE Hardcore title pinned Masada Tanaka in a so-so match. Kanemura had big fans Ryuji Yamakawa in his corner as the manager. Tanaka's head was all taped up as he got 20 stitches from an earlier fluorescent light tube attack. Kanemura splashed Tanaka through a table leaving from the balcony. It isn't unusually high. They remember jumping off of it years ago. And it wasn't what you call a high-risk jump. Excuse me? <laughs> Say what? You're just going to drop that there? It's part of his pro wrestling training, Bix. That's not where his pro wrestling training was. His pro wrestling training was in Wally's basement. Well, obviously it was also going to come a bucket gym, too, because he's jumped off the balconies. I'm trying to picture what that balcony looks like. Katamara also used a flaming barbed wire bat. Kuroda pinned Mr. Ganesuke in a match where if Ganesuke lost, he had to retire, which dates figure nobody by this time believed. Kuroda used the pedigree to win. Hideki Asaka and Masasaki won the hardcore tag titles from XPW's Homeless Jimmy and Supreme. Sure. In a bad, in a bad match, saw them brawl outside the arena. Crash Ring announced his car as the highlight. Christy Miss worked the show, taking off her jacket right for the finish. Ah, yes, Christy Mist. Christy Miss, who was, you know, a very notable porn star in this era that worked for XPW. Okay, I, I found the picture that's on Wikipedia of the inside of Yokohama Bunker Gym. It's like a, uh, maybe a 10, 12-foot drop. Then we had Ghetto, Jado, and Kurenakiyama keeping these six-person titles over Pat Tanaka, Brad Elliott, and Blade. What? And a match where the Americans were big guys with real green. They also had a match where Flanky Ichihara wrestled Shinjuku Shark with the winner getting Karuko Arai, which Ichihara won. But then after the match, Arai told Ichihara that she was in love with Shark and she left with him anyway. The name of this show, by the way, Deep Throat. Well, who's in the opener, Chris? Ricky Fuji defeated Chocobal Makai. <laughs> well, Christy Miss is working the show. Ricky Christy Miss is working the show, too, so... Yeah. Uh, flying Kiyohara over Shinjuku Shame 
uh, Jado Gato Nakayama over Elliot Bl- Damian Blade and Pat Tanaka. Oh God, I can only imagine the jokes uh, Zach Arnold made about this show. <laughs> oh, Kyoko Inoue defeated Nohiko Yamasaki, big. So there's Kyoko. Well, <laughs> we know that name wouldn't fit her. <laughs> Handicap match: Hisakusa <laughs> Oya defeated Azusa Kudo and Amy Murakawa. Sure. Then we had the Street Fight for the tag titles with Asaka and Mammoth over Supreme and Homeless Jimmy. <laughs> Ornero defeated Goimon. <laughs> Kuroda over Ganasuke. Katamura over Tanaka. And Fuyuki over Hayabusa. This is the rematch from the Iron Man match, right? I think so. Because that was October, wasn't it? I think so. Actually, a very good match. The Iron Man match. I don't remember seeing this one, though. I know you were such an expert on Kyoko Inoue's deep-throating skills. Well, that's not what I'm saying. Hmm. No, I did but... No men, brother. Yeah, Three but there is, such, there is such thing as toys, Biggs. I did, but that's not the... This isn't this isn't the movie Deep Throat, Chris. That's not how that I works. I know, but I'm saying you can still Deep Throat a dildo. But never mind. Okay. <laughs> All right, Mishinoku Pro. They ran a uh, Kukurita Kita Gym in Fukuoka on November 14th. We have Pentagon Black Viper and Rocky Santana over Kendo and Hitaro. Jinsei Shizaki over Kazuo Yuasa. Grand Hamana and Tiger Mask 4 over Naoki Taira and Junji.com. No, say his name correctly. Junji.com. In an NWA World Middleweight title match, Great Sasuke retained over Pantera in your main event. Not yeah. the band. Taxes, Pantera working one Mishinoku Pro Tour a year. Yep. Osaka Pro. We had Osaka Pro LOV presents Violence Party at Club Ozan in Nagoya not November 12th. Where we have Torikichi Kuramawa over Shusakuwada, Masao Yakasuji and Yoshido Shigamoto over Monkey Magic 2 and Takahiro Murahama. Policeman over Atakiman, Super Delphin over Kenshimbo Kamen, and then Violence Parties, Black Buffalo, Dialqual, and Dick Mania, Dick Togo, defeated Kaiju Zeta Mandora, Nehirishikawa, and Subasa in your main event. Early Osaka Pro. Yes, the Violence Party era of Osaka Pro. Actually, not yeah. that early, now that I think about it. Wait, they launched it's, it. They're, they're, they're a year and a half in. Yeah, it's still fairly early. It's not well. Dick Togo's run's not going to last very much longer, so he's about to be gone. Yeah, so, I mean, the that, that's your dividing line, really. That makes it early Osaka Pro that Dick Togo and Yakushiji are still there. Yeah, Dick's going to be leaving in two thousand and one. So there you go. Oh, Dick's pulling out. Yeah, Dick pulled out. All right, Torimon. They ran Kobe Chicken George on the Rave for four hundred fans. We have a Madden Tokyo over Stalker Chikawa, Darkness Dragon over All Cap Saito. Sumo Fuji and Sua over Dragon Kid and Genki Horiguchi. Then we had a Captain's Fall six-man match as Shima, Stalker, and Taru, Taru was the captain, over Masaki Mojizuki, Suzuki Mojizuki, and Yasushi Kanda, M2K, where uh, Masaki eliminated Stalker, and, and it had other eliminations too, but there you go. Uh, they got cut off. But anyway, so that was your main event. Wrestle Dream Factory ran Itabashi Green Hall on November 11th. Ooh. We have Ghost Boxer <laughs> over Takumi Abe. Asian Cougar over Arakue Umibozu. Asian Cougar who may have worked on IWTV the other night. 
Eh, maybe. Jin Kamen Faron, Kamen Tenshi Rosetta, and Shiba defeated Kaizo Kaizoku Maijin Viking, Kyoketsu Nezumi Majo, Double Ats, and Shinigami. Then we had All Cast Makoto and Orn Road defeated one of my f- favorite names of this era, Jack Geist and Shigeo Kato. And then we had our main event of Taro Hiro Fujisaki over Hentaro. So no Mafia Tag on this show. No. And Unless also, ass gimmicks. that's a good reminder why no one realized at first the Tarkin's Dragon was Makoto, because he was still working elsewhere as Makoto. Yeah. Motegi could have been under, under one of the gimmicks, so who knows. Oh, we I had think Tony- maybe he was uh, <laughs> Kiketsu, Nazumi, Majo, Devilats. It's possible. <laughs> possible. Uh, we talked about U- UFO earlier. Antonio Noki's plan on doing a UWFO, UWFO, UFO show in January with the idea of getting a former world heavyweight boxing champion from the United States to job to Naoya Ogawa in the main event. As Anoki's attempting to promote Ogawa somehow how he became a legend in the late 70s. Ogawa suffered a torn tendon in his middle finger from his Halloween match with Masaka Kusatake and won't be able to train for four weeks. So he's probably out of the New Year's Eve Osaka Dome show where no doubt his presence was needed. Torn tendon in his middle finger? Was he flipping him off? <laughs> it's probably in some type of uh, funky submission hold or something. Mm. No o- Ogawa versus a heavyweight Boston champion, so there's that. Yeah. All right, let's go to Joshi. Zenjo leads off. They ran Cork and Hall on November 12th. We have Tag League the Best going on. LCO, Mima Shimon, and Escomita over Carl Madora and Sir Okano. That sounds like Tag League far from the best. <laughs> Miho Wakazawa and Karaito over. Not a Momo, not Takahashi, Momo Nakanishi. Yeah, so far this sounds like ta- tag league, not quite fa- as bad as Neo. <laughs> Manami Toyota, Miyuki Fuji over Mikadishino and Yumiko Hota. Handicap match, y- Yumiko Hota over Manami Toyota, Miyuki Fuji, and then Kumiko Mikao over Tomoko Watanabe. So there's that. I'd love to know, like, given all the issues with paying everyone that led to the other promotion starting and all that. And then, you know, so many of the rest, uh, remaining wrestlers leaving for Gaia and whatnot. I'm curious, what is it that got the likes of Toyota and Hoda to stay? Who knows? RCN. Well, this promotion isn't that good anymore either. Toyohashi General Jim. Oh, actually, wait, it still is. Uh, Kong's still there. Excuse me. Michigo Makai J over Reina Takase and Rie Tamada. Soshi Yamato over Gami. Sky have RCN match. For the title, as uh, Al Kamano retained, going to a 15 minute draw with Akano. And then Chaprito Sari and Mariko Yoshida over Fabio Pachi Naja Kong in your main event. Okay, I was remembering the timeline wrong. It's uh, Kong leaves in early 01, then? I guess? Some, something like that. Yeah. JD ran Cork and Hall on November 13th. Oh, no Athrases, though. TWF World Tag Title Match. Drake Morimatsu and Fang Suzuki went to a no contest with Sumi Sakai and Megumi Yabashita. Yabashita, whatever. Where Morimatsu and Suzuki retained the titles. And you get on me for those names. I said both ways, just to cover myself. Uh, Abashi Zuka over Shiaki Nishi. Masked Angel Rosetta and Kamen Tenshi Freya. What are these uh, from the uh, other show earlier? Over Ranmaru and Skuki Maru. No, yeah, no look, relation to today's Freya the Slayer, uh, indie woman wrestler, right? Or uh, 
porn star Freya Parker. No. I have no idea who that is. Uh, I'm not shocked by that. Elimination match. Sachi Abe, Megumi Yabashida, Sumi Sakai, and Royomuto over Kazuki, Yuki Marumatsu, The Bloody, and Fang Suzuki. And then we get to the PA Stead Love Resistance. Neo Super Friday Night. They did Ibashi Green Hall in Tokyo, where Tanny Mouse beat Bone Cold. Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I know your bone doesn't get cold watching it, 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 Neo, ladies. I tell you that. It's How a hot opposite. Uh, Yuki Miyazaki of Yuka Nakamura. Double in away, Kyoko Takako defeated Masai Genki and Kyoku Chiki. Yoshiko Tamura over Emi Murakawa in your main event. Well, at least there's a good wrestler on the show. Well, maybe two. But the big news with Takako, woman wrestler Takako Inoue had a new photo book come out recently. Oh, she sure did. If this is the one I'm remembering from this time frame, uh, calling it a nude photo book is an understatement. Yes, that was, it was a big deal in uh, this era for her to do that. <laughs> She'd already done her nude photo books. This is the one which, because if I'm remembering right, I won't say who, but it was a certain mutual of ours that uh, went to Japan and brought some stuff back. And uh, when it, he got a copy of this book, he remarked, it has muff diving. <laughs> so, yes, calling it a nude photo book is a bit, uh, bit of an understatement there from Dave. I'm actually looking at the pics right now. What's the name of this one? <laughs> I don't know the name of the book, but I just put it in the Google image search. And uh, well, I don't think. What did you put in the Google image search? Takako Inoue nude. Okay, so that I uh, that's probably the stuff from the earlier photo book that's been well, on for, for like 25 years. There's a lot of there's a lot of material here. Let's put it that way. Is there, in the words of our certain mutual acquaintance, is there any muff diving in these photos? Yes, oh, there is. Okay. Is that a phrase anyone uses anymore? <laughs> we have muff. We have muff. <laughs> from oh, the wait, great that, booger from Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> I was going to say, I couldn't remember if it was that or Porky's or what. <laughs> no, uh, Porky's would be, there's enough wool on there to knit a sweater. <laughs> Are you looking at the image search results, or are you looking at one of the the gallery in the top of the results? No, I'm looking in the image search pigs. Okay, but um, we can't make we can't have movies like that today. Sadly, a Porky's or a Revenge of the Nerds. It's a shame. But anyway, yes, Takako is in her full glory in this thing. And then it's how many years after this where she bumps into uh, Johnny <laughs> Ace? Well, she didn't get hired. She got close to getting hired. And he was like, ugh, you look so much younger than you are. <laughs> she did hold up very well. I mean, I, you got to give her that. She did not age much, no. And God bless her. So. Oh, okay, oh. yeah, there, there's what you were talking about. <laughs> so there you go. Some, some hot uh, new Japanese women wrestling, huh? I thought you were going to say HLA, brother. Well, that too. All right, let's go to Lucha next. Let's start with CMLL. No AAA this week. The plan to televise the December 15th uh, CMLL pay-per-view in the United States live has been dropped. There simply wasn't enough lead time to put it all together, and CMLL hasn't finalized the main event. I believe it be Pedro Aguayo in either Caballero Contra Caballero Manchester and Caras, 
or Cambiota Contra Mascara Match with Universal Mill before what would have been the U.S. advertising deadline. They're working on the idea of having the March show air live in the United States. Sadly, none of it aired live in the United States. Yeah, none of this stuff. ever happens. I mean, and they don't air the matches on TV after, so they don't air in the U.S. at all. Sucks. And I had to buy them from Fredo. Yes, also the December 15th pay- uh, pay-per-view was not headlined by anything resembling those matches, if I remember right. It was a tag match, wasn't it? I'm checking. I re- uh, who was it? Was that, was that uh, Pero and Ryo against Petoff and Mascara Angelos Meal or some shit like that? Okay, I'm looking. Okay, Jason Campbell's site has it. Oh, no, it was Aguayo uh, and Cien Caras. Well, there was something I remember that was in a hair up. match. I have no memory of that being the main event. I remember it being something completely different. So Sammy was uh, Ray Book and yeah, Aaron so. Ultimo Guerrero over Santo Negracasas. Um, before that, Atlantis Niebla and Satanico over Shoker, Tarzan Boy and Muriel, Charlie's Jr. Vianos over Los uh, Laguneros, and then your first two matches. So yeah, it was not. Yeah, okay. It was that then. What was I thinking of? Was I thinking of the August? Were we both maybe thinking of the something. August pay-per-view? August, August. That's what it was, August. Yeah, that's it. August had the Tornado Cibernetico mask for the mask where Rencor Latino ended up unmasking you. Yeah, it, was breakup, it was a big, big breakup with the Bariquas and the Dinamitas. And then the main event was Mascarano Dismil losing his hair in an Inferno L ring. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's what we were confusing with August. And yes. then March, which also, of course, does not uh, air uh, in the U.S. Pero's last match, that well. Yes, is uh, Universal Dos Mil winning Paraguayo's hair and, quote-unquote, crippling him with the uh, Martilla Negro. Yeah, Martilla Negro. Yeah. I love how we both used his specialized uh, name for it and not calling it Pile Drive or Martinette or anything. Uh. Um, and that show also included the... Uh, Pseudo uh, infernales of Satanico Shoker and Black Warrior over Ultimo Guerrero, uh, Ray Bucanero and Tarzan Boy, and uh, Ola Azul of uh, Safari Olympico and Mr. Niebla winning the uh, national tag title, tri- excuse me, national trios titles from Puerto Guerrero, Signo, and Blue Panther. All right, November 8th, Arena Clausel Capoco, Ray Bucanero and Ultimo Guerrero defeated Brazo de Oro and Tony Rivera. To, to retain their similar tag titles. That would have been a fun match to see on tape. Yeah. Uh, Rimeko on November 10th had a very strange main event, as both Tarzan Boy, as expected, and Emilio Charles Jr., unexpected, <laughs> turned on Santo in a trios match against Dr. Banner Jr., Shulka, and Bestia Zavaje. After both turned on Santo, Emilio and Tarzan Boy argued with each other as well. The other match was seen to build for the pay-per-view um, which Dave talks about the main event. Saw Cien Caras, Universal Dismil, and Black Warrior win two straight over Pedro Aguayo and Lantis and Miss Niebla. Cien Pin Aguayo with a low blow in the first fall. Second fall saw Aguayo get DQ for unmasking Universal. All right, so we have Cinco Cito Ramirez and Luzbos Recasito over El Fierito and Pedro Pito. Agana de la Muerte, Dato Borman Jr. and Rico Latino over Mascara Magica, Starman and Tigre Blanco. Felino, Olimpico, and Safari over Gran Marcos Jr., Veneno, and Violencia by disqualification. And then we had Black Warrior, Cien Carlos, Universal over Atlantis, Nieva, and Pero. And then Bestia, Wagner, and Shulker over Santo, Emilio, and Tarzan Boy. 
So not not one, not just one turn, two turns in the same on the same match. Well, you have all these different shifting alliances in the promotion in this period. Well, this is set in two thousand and one. Yes. Because yes. you've got you've got Black Warrior and Shulker kind of setting up turning fate, turning Technico. Well, not really. It's, I mean, Black Warrior turns Technico. Shocker. I mean, he gets there, but it's a while because he's still with. The Wapos, yes, deep in two thousand and one, he is. But there, you know, there's them hooking up with Satanico after Satanico turns. Yeah, it's a lot of gray area going on here. Yeah, thanks, thanks, bro. <laughs> is that how you enjoy your wrestling? <laughs> it was fun, though. I mean, a lot of. I mean, it was good, no, it good was good. Stuff. It was good here. Yes. Newcomer to Remeco, working the mid cards, is Veneno, the brother-in-law Negro Casas. And a promoter in Panama who said to be a real bad wrestler. Fuck you, Dave. He was okay. He was a star in the skits with the Vericos. Well, he, he was a great Panama charismatic. hat. Yeah, I mean, just amazing charismatic guy. Yeah. With a mask. Yeah. I, I mean, it was a shame when he lost his mask. Yeah. And yes, that's Dolly's brother. So there you go. Oh, that's right. So he's been with Dolly's the whole time? This long? Yeah. Oh, for a long time, yeah. Okay. She's been his beard for years. Oh, All right, we're in the knife. Actually, do we really need to say that after the stunts he holds <laughs> with death in uh, Mania Weekend? Uh, maybe not. All right, TV taping and knock upon on the knife. Io de Diablo, Io de Gladiador, Negro Navarro over Black Dragon, Suicida, Mickey Segura, and Otomo Vampiro, and Blue Panther, El Dandy, and Silver King over Io de the Smart, Mission Ebla, and Tarzan Boy. Then we got Monterrey, the big Sunday show, Arena Call Cell Monterrey on November 12th. La Bruja, La Serpiente, and La Tigresa over La Intrusa, Polistar, and Princess Yara. Crazy Demon and his Finge over Shushamar Jr. and Jr. Just Jr. Is, ju- is just Jr. like <laughs> the king? <laughs> He's senior son. Uh, Acaro de la Muerte, Diluvio Negro, Du, and La Marada over Hetano de Norte and the Orientales. Damian Cesses, Psicosis Nicho, El Millionario, and Pimpinian Escolata over Brasa de Oro, Silver Star, and Super Calo. And then we got our Monterrey Atomico Special, main event. Blue Panther, El Dandy, Mascara in Mil, and Zumbi 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 Dosky defeated Lantis, Miss Niebla, Safari, and Viano Tessero by disqualification. Then the Tuesday show at Arena Coliseo. We have Android and Baby Rock over Baby Rocker and Guerrero Grigo. Diamante Negro Jr. and Garadero over Chacos and Cosmos. Etano de Norte, Hakon Galatico and Macabre. Defeated Arcana de la Muerte, Crazy Demon and Neon. Centurion Negro, Damian CCCs and Psicosis Nicho over Brasil de Oro, Fakiro Rumbo and Subacalo. And then Bupanto, Zumbido and Pimpi over Miss Diablo, Safari and Viano Tesero. Wait, Sir, uh, Sergio Romo Jr. and the Caro Romo are the same guys? Exactly, yes. Okay. It would flip-flop over what name he would use. <laughs> now, Su- Super Vicaro was someone else, right? That, yes, 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 yes. Super so basically, Vicaro... the crew... Okay. Yes. Basically, the, the, most of this crew that was there Sunday worked Laredo on Monday and then came back and worked Tuesday. Super Vicaro was one of the better local guys here, but they never really pushed him that hard. Speaking of Laredo, Damian beat Subacolo in, in uh, Caballero Coach Caballero match on November 13th in Laredo. 
If that sounds weird, it should. It wasn't a book match. Dummy, I was supposed to win the hair of a local priest. But the, but the priest wasn't allowed to wrestle by the commission. So to save the show, they used Kolo as a sub. Damian won the match. Kolo removed his mask, put his hands over his face, and they shaved his head. Fans were not upset because they saw a head shaving of a big star. Even if it was a mask guy, and nobody actually ever see bald. There was a national AP story that ran in the U.S. regarding this show because the idea that a real priest was doing a pro wrestling match. The story rep- reported the crowd for this show had almost 10,000 fans. Did you try to find this report? No, I did not. Okay. I'm curious to see if I can find it. Um, what would I look for in a wave of Laredo wrestling in November 2000? I don't know. It ain't on Google. Uh, here we go. Okay. Got it right away on newspapers.com. We've got the uh, two, is it Tulare or Tulare, California? Tulare. Okay. Oh. Please raise money in pro wrestling. Oh. It's the classic matchup of good against evil, but the results are good, Associated Press. And there's a photo and everything. Nuevo Laredo, Mexico. Uh, It was good against evil. Mano a mano. Wrestling priest looking to win money for God's work against an opponent with glam rock makeup and a devil of a name. Damian Ceseses. And it wasn't just professional wrestling so much either. The priest, Frey Tormenta. So wait, why is Dave not mentioning that it's Frey Tormenta? Who knows? Uh, I guess technically it should be Frey. It's Frey Tormenta, but everyone always says it as Frey Tormenta. Uh, or Brother Storm, a real Roman Catholic cleric, has spent much of the last quarter century in the ring raising money for charity. The blows are hard, said Tormenta, whose wrestling costume includes a clerical collar. Even though I'm a priest... I've suffered a broken nose, a couple of broken ribs, an ankle, and an arm. Tormenta, whose real name is Father Sergio Gutierrez, which, by the way, he's got to be one of the only luchadors who had his real name out there while, before ever losing his mask or anything, right? Yeah. Okay, wait a second. No, it was a different... Okay, I'm seeing in the photo caption. It was a different priest who was going to wrestle. I'm not saying it's Tormenta. Well, say that again? Tormenta weren't weren't putting his mask or nothing like that on the line. I know, but the way this was phrased initially made it. Well, they don't know wrestling Damian, but the no, but the photo caption is correct. So let's see where where we get from here. Um, Tormenta, whose real name is Father Sergio Gutierrez, used proceeds from his fake fights to help fund the 200 bed home for underprivileged boys. He opened 15 years ago in uh, Tulancingo, south of Nuevo Laredo, in Mexico's Hidalgo state. On this day, he was passing his unlikely tradition on to a younger man. There we go. I don't want to be a full-time wrestler, but there was an opportunity that popped up to raise some funds, said the wrestler in training, Father Manuel Raul Ortega, 28. Professional wrestling has been popular in low-income neighborhoods in Mexico since the 1950s. Oh, I'm glad they didn't shoehorn a reference into Super Barrio here, because, you know, they would just love to. It's a mainstream story about Lucha Libre. Uh, As in the United States, it mixes largely staged throws and body slams with occasional outbursts of real violence, all of which just happened to happen in Vampiro's matches, I'm sure. Uh, Gutierrez and Ortega are apparently the only pro wrestling priest in Mexico, where many fans see the sport as kind of a morality play good versus evil. In front of a crowd of nearly 10,000 in this border city, the less battered Ortega got into the ring this week for his first match, 
wearing the karate black belt he earned before entering the priesthood. He looked threatening, but when the opening bell rang, it was turned the other cheek time. The bishop of his diocese prohibits his priests from engaging in any kind of violence. So Ortega stood there as Damian, with the number 666 on his forehead and flames faint around his eyes, mocked his courage and his creed. You ain't got the guts. I am God. <laughs> the crowd was booing. Uh, the, the crowd was booing the Antichrist. Now that's a different luchador, don't they know? Antichristo. Yeah, but they wanted some action. They got someone. Gutierrez stepped from the ring. He's from a diocese where headlocks are not so unholy. But Fray Tormenta was still recovering from a recent operation to remove his gallbladder and was not at his uh, stormiest, so another wrestler took on D Damian and lost. Still, evil did not triumph. Damian donated half of the ticket receipts, estimated $5,000 to help Ortega build his parish church, a modest single-story building in a poor Nueva Laredo neighborhood. So this says it was not the commission. This says it was the diocese that the other priest is part of. Okay. Which makes more sense, I think, right? Yeah. So there you go. That's that's what actually happened here. Well, there you go. Alright, so we got that clarified. Alright, so let's get back to here. Torimon, Mexico. That's right. They ran a real Lopez Mateos on November 10th. We have Takamichi Iwasa over Toroito. Tarosito over Paisito Crosti. Yes, Crosti the Clown. <laughs> Oyunagi Nitohei, Kenya Oyunagi, over Raimu Mishima. Otomiko and Takikimori over Chikano Infanal and Yasushi Sushimoto, Brother Yashi. And, of course, uh, Mori and Anthony W. Mori. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's pretty, I mean, yeah, the ones that are pretty obvious. Yes. Um, Masada Yoshino, Mototo Shimizu, and Negoro Navarro over Moriki Dai, Sky Day, and Turbo. And our main event, Rio Saito over Milano Collection AT. It was really fun in this era to get the Torimon Mexico stuff on tape, whatever would show up. Yes. That were in Japan. See the see the next generation. And also when those guys would show up in IWRG as well. Yeah. And in IWA Puerto Rico, with Tape TV Vega Baja. Oh, and real have... quick, because since this one's a little less obvious, Toruito is Toruwashi. Yes. Andres Borges over Paparazzi. Andy Anderson and Visago, not Trivago, won the IWA tag titles over Chiki Star and Victor the Bodyguard. Nuevo Gran Apollo defeated Huracan Castillo Jr., Glenn Borshane and Ricky Banderas by disqualification. Faraon Zarooks over Payne by disqualification. And Ombre Dinamita, Savio Vega over Miguel Pérez Jr. by disqualification. Is her booking it from the grave? Uh -huh. There's a lot of promotions that did shit like that, but... Uh I forget who Pain is. It's Pain. Will you return it? I'll say it again. Pain. All right. That is it for the first half of the show. It is halftime. So some great 2000 commercials. We'll pivot to halftime segment where we'll talk about Patreon. We'll talk about our streaming friends. We'll hit our plugs. And then we'll come back and we go to America where we talk about Scott Hall debuting for ECW and... Some drama there. And all kinds of other stuff going on in ECW, including an update on Center Center's health. Then we got all kinds of other indie scum news. 
as well as Seb, Sabu winning the NWA World Heavyweight title, Memphis Power Pro against um, Music City Wrestling. Not Music City Wrestling. Memphis Power Pro. Memphis Power Wrestling. wrestling yes. against Memphis Power Pro. Yes, there he is. And all kinds of other stuff. All that more after the break. What if you had the freedom to take only what you wanted? Introducing Free to Go Wireless from AT&T. The prepaid plan that lets you buy the minute you want. With voicemail and caller ID. Without credit checks and monthly bills. It's everything you want in wireless without everything you don't. Free to Go Wireless from AT&T. Your world close at hand. With prepaid rates as low as 15 cents a minute, there's no better time to go wireless. How about some food worth slowing down for? Food made slowly to be enjoyed slowly. Like the individual meals starting at just $4.99. Come in and place your holiday orders now and remember Boston Market Caters. Boston Market. Slow down. Controversy over how to protect kids from the latchkey rapist at 11. Stay tuned for an all-new Michael Richards show, followed by Third Rock, Frazier, and the premiere of DAG, NBC Tonight. My name's John Woolard. I rescue alligators for a living. John Woolard is one brave guy. It's pretty exciting. But would John Woolard ever insure his car with some kind of cut-rate car insurance? Cut-rate car insurance? I'm not that brave. When it comes to car insurance, why take a chance? Be like this State Farm customer and get an agent you can rely on, plus competitive rates. Go on now. What's all the rage in Paris? The latest trend to take the fashion world by storm? New Rugrats Talking Watches, now $1.99 at Burger King. In four bold, vibrant colors, featuring the cast from Rugrats in Paris, the movie, only in theaters. Available for the ready-to-wear price of $1.99 each with any value mail. Wow, isn't this neat? Just pick something already. She's a, such a prima donna. Welcome to NBCI.com. One site with everything you need. Need a vacation? How about two? NBCI.com and LoisFair.com want to send you and a guest home for the holidays. Hi, Mom. Are you married yet? And then there's trip number two. You get a vacation from your vacation. Five nights in Aruba. So log on to NBCI.com for all your travel needs and register for your chance to win. NBCI.com. One site with everything you need. Now this is the fierce snake, the most venomous snake in the world. One bite from him, and it's all over. No! Oh, no worries, mate. Luckily, we've had the anti-venom sent from America by FedEx in my line of work. If you're not absolutely sure, you're absolutely dead. Oh, crikey. It appears we've used a different courier who hasn't arrived yet. It's okay because... It's NBC Superstar Thursday. First on Friends, Sex in the City's Kristen Davis, plus the return of Janet. <laughs> then following Cursed, it's Will and Grace with Cameron Manheim. And Jack meets his idol. Academy Award winner Cher. Are you kidding me with this? Plus, Just Shoot Me has Jenny McCarthy as a woman who used to be a man. Oh my and then... Is this the way to the ER? Sally Field joins the ER. It's NBC Superstar Thursday. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed those great 2000 commercials. That's the fifth to halftime segment of the show. We're beginning to talk about Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And 
At the record this segment, where we begin recording the next Patreon show, the show for the month of November, as we look at the One Warrior Nation, Ultimate Warriors, uh, <laughs> I don't know what you would call it. His run. WCW run. Yeah. His run, uh, it's <laughs> it's something, in, in 1998, and uh, boy, there's a lot, a lot of insanity. And uh, the short time span that he's there, I mean, between the skits, between people getting injured because of the trap door for him, that set up for him to enter the ring, the match with Hogan, I mean, just everything that's going on while he's there. I mean, in a time when WCW was having some turmoil anyway, then you add this to that. And, uh, yeah, just a, a crazy, crazy period in wrestling in WCW, and Warrior was a big part of it. So we're going to do a show where we're going to talk about all that, lots of clips in that as well, and just a lot of just insanity going on in and, and, uh, the One Warrior Nation. So this should be a fun show, lighthearted show to, t- to uh, talk about. So it uh, should be good stuff. So um, we'll get that going. And uh, we hope that you'll uh, want to uh, listen to that. And if you do, Fight Awesome Up gets you access to that show. Plus all the other shows we've done in our seven complete years, now in the eighth year of the Patreon. So a ton of audio there for that $5. And we got a lot of great shows coming up, too. So be on the lookout for that. So um, it should be really good stuff and well worth that money. Now, there's other tiers that we offer as well, of course. We got the uh, dollar tier, which you can do that. Gets you access to the Between the Sheets Discord and gets you a thanks in this segment, which we'll do in just a couple of minutes. And yes, in that Discord, uh, as I noted on Twitter the other day, aside from the discussion, you might include things like uh, someone explaining that, uh, what was it, their father misheard Thunderbolt Patterson as Thunderbolt Paddington. And then someone putting Paddington Bear as a pro wrestler into being image generator. So, that kind of fun. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> and uh, all kinds of other stuff. Uh, $25, I just pick a show for the week. Now, you can uh, just have two shows in your mind just in case that show that you may want us to do could be something that we've already touched upon or it could be something that somebody else has picked on the calendar. Um, let us know why you want to do the show. That would help us out in determining the availability of the, of the show. Follow the protocol on the Patreon website to do that. And we will uh, do what we can to get your show on the air. Remember all the other rules that we got, the 30-day 30, 30 rules in effect. Get this information before 30 days of the show. 10-year rules in effect. Wednesday to Tuesday on the timeline. So... All the questions you have will get answered and we'll get your show on the air. $50, I'll just send for a segment of the show if you choose, and 100 I'll just send for the whole show if you choose. Patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. And yes, the annual fees count for all the tiers. So basically, a 16% off on the $5 tier, that means you get the 50 40 a year. Yes. So if you want to go that direction, that's perfectly fine. So. Patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. All right, Bix, who update this week is our new and or returning patrons. All right, we would like to thank Verb Abrams. Thanks, Verb Abrams. 
Yes, Twitter friend, Verve Abrams. John. Thanks, John. Roy, I don't know if it's Laserwitz or Lazarwitz or Lazorwitz, but thank you, Roy. Thanks, Roy. And I know this one's just going to shock you. And honestly, it's going to be very confusing, too, because I feel like lately there hasn't been a month without him, and I don't even know how that works unless he just... I'm guessing he just cancels so it never auto-renews, and then if it's something he'd like to see sooner, he uh, resubscribes. So thank you, Danny Cutler. Thanks, Danny. That's the only sense I can make of it, because I feel because didn't we have him doing like back-to-back weeks last month, too? Somehow. I mean, it... He just we just say his name a lot sometimes, and that could make it seem like that, I guess. But yeah, but thank you, Danny, as always. So we thank all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have left, come back, patrons that uh, if you have a uh, have left and hadn't come back, come back and join us at Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets. All right, Bix, what's going on with our streaming friends, IWTV and Fight TV this week? All right, let's see. Um, main on-demand editions on IWTV, besides the recent live streams, appear to be a little bit of a archival Dreamwave wrestling. A few shows from 2014, I think one from 2019 as well. Um, nothing too earth-shattering, but still good stuff to have up there and then live streams there's a lot and remember generally when i'm giving these i'm not i'm not listing all of the ones that are available just the ones that are worth definitely worth mentioning um so there's episode two of season five on uncharted territory on monday at 8 p.m eastern headlined by miracle generation defending the iwtv tag titles against marcus mathers and austin luke and not much else announced yet other than uh you know continuing their deathmatch discovery gauntlet and also advertising bobby orlando manders and more so that's coming up there then on friday at 7 p.m eastern our dear friends at uh, pwf crystal coast in north carolina have the have plymouth rock bottom on iwtv headlined by colby carino defending the PWF Oceanic title and the NWA Junior Heavyweight Championship against Patrick Scott. Bojack defending their undisputed title against Atlas Morgan. And uh, also listed right now a three-way with Caitlin Marie versus Rob Kiljoy versus Ryan Galeone. And it was definitely a three-way match with wrestlers that I would never have expected to be in a three-way match with each other. Especially Ryan Galeone and Rob Kiljoy alone is going to be interesting because... Ryan Galeone is very tall. I think he's more than just indie tall. And we've both met Rob Kiljoy, and he is not. So I think you must have met Rob at some point, right? I've seen him wrestle live, yes. Yeah, okay. Not a big guy. Hell of a wrestler, no. but not a big guy. No. So, sure, there are more. Sure, excuse me, there's more to be announced there on the PWF show. And then, hey, guess what, Chris? Two ICW No Holds Barred shows this weekend. Well, just how not? surprised are you? Well, I mean, it's a day of, it's a day of the week that ends in Y. Yes. So this is their return to Chattanooga at the, well, Chattanooga area at the beautiful TWE Arena in Red Bank, Tennessee. So they've got Pit Fighter X 
18 on Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern, including uh, Jaden Newman versus Matt Tremont, Cruel versus Isaiah Broner, Tank versus Tommy Vendetta, uh, Gary J versus Anakin Murphy, Danny Demanto versus Shaza McKenzie, part I don't know what, uh, and more. And then Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern, they've got No Holds Barred Volume 55, including uh, Hoodfoot defending his American Deathmatch Championship against Dr. Redacted, Jaden against Tremont again, Brett Eisen against Tank, Cruel against Adam Priest in a match that has at least a legit one-foot height difference, right? Uh, yeah. Because Cruel is what? Like a legit 6'5", six, 6'6"? Six, six? He's a tall fellow. And Priest is definitely south of 5'7". <laughs> He's so, not a tall fellow. Jacked, but not a tall fellow. No. So there's another match that looks like that uh, coming up this week. Uh, the Goons against the Rejects and more. So there are your ICW No Holds Barred shows. St. Louis Anarchy is also running on Saturday at 8 Eastern. Uh, first show headlined by Gary J versus Shaza McKenzie, who's replacing Charlie Evans, who, who had gotten injured. And by the way, congratulations to her and Everett Connors. They got married. Uh, yes, it was yesterday or the day before, I think. They tweeted about it. And speaking of which, semifinal destination championship, Davey Vega defending against Everett Connors making his return to his home, uh, St. Louis area. So that and more on the St. Louis Anarchy show. And then finally for IWTV this week, Beyond has one of their regular Beyond Wrestling shows, OK Corral, on Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Headlined by Alec Price defending the IWTV title against Marcus Mathers. Uh, anything else super recognizable in here? Oh, Masha Slamovich in action against Aaron Rourke. Ray Jazz against Richard Holiday, uh, Ali Catch versus Puff in a match that is definitely happening with wrestlers in it, and more. So that's beyond. Uh, oh, also Matt Mikowski for the wait. The image says Matt Mikowski versus Ryan Clancy, but that is not in the match list. So I don't know, but there you go. If you are not already an IWTV subscriber, use code BTS Pod when you sh- sign up. I said shine up. And uh, we'll get a referral fee for each month you stay at paid subscribers. That's independentwrestling.tv code BTS pod. Now on Fight Plus, let's see what we've got here. Uh, Revolver does have a show, Unreal, on Thursday at 11 Eastern. So, th- oh, that's the LA show with Rousey, right? Yeah, if it's Revolver in LA, it's, it's her show. Yeah, if it's starting at 11 Eastern, and it, it's... What's the charity that it's benefiting? I don't know. I'm pulling up their Twitter, because I'm guessing that has a more complete match list now that I realize. Is she promoting these shows? The way people talk about it, she is. Is there more than one LA show coming up? I mean, there's anything that's involved her in, in being in Los Angeles. I mean, I'm just curious. I don't and know. They were already expanding... Like, they had a Texas date and stuff. So, I don't... I don't I'm just seeing, I've seen people say that she's... I would say, I don't know if i say promoting or booking or whatever, but she is involved in the 
in the show. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, the actual proper match list I'm going to go to Twitter for, but, I mean, just starting with what's on the Fight website, the big, uh, I guess, I don't know if it's the main event or what, Ronda Rousey t- making her debut, teaming with Marina Shafir against Athena and Billy Starks, uh, Ray Orus versus Gringo Loco in their first singles match, and Speedball Mike Bailey against Brian Keith continuing their, I guess, series of matches they've had on the indies. And now as I go to their Twitter, what else do we have? Uh, wait, who the heck is some of these people? Okay, I'm skipping this match. I don't know who one of these people is. Uh, as I scroll down past the Gabe seminar, is that in LA? No, that's in Iowa on December 2nd. But okay, so there we go. John Moxley and Sammy Callahan against the Rascals, which, by the way... Being that this appears to be the only indie Moxley is now allowed to work regularly for, we think this is where Sammy Callahan is going in some form, right? AEW? I don't think he's going to WWE, put it that way. Well, no. But <laughs> if he's not staying in Impact, and it seems like he might not be, where else would he be going? I would get. I would guess that would be it. Yeah. Uh, first time ever, Jacob Fatu against Masha Slamovich. Wait, oh god, okay, this is weird, I didn't realize this was happening. And they put the first time, uh, ever thing on this. Paul Walter Hauser, the actor. Yeah. Taking on Matthew Palmer, Athena's husband. Yeah, I saw that. I had not seen that. So if, yes, if you'd like to see the star of Richard Jewell in a pro wrestling match. Uh, okay. I was not expecting that. No, oh, he's a big fan. I know. I know, still. Well, that's nice that Athena and her husband get to be on a show together for once, too. Um, Rocky Morbero will be on the show in some form. So there you go. That's that show. Uh, all right, as I go back to the correct tabs. And then GCW on Friday at... 10 Eastern has the has going going, which is the GCW versus Defy show, which is their Seattle debut as well for a show that includes Joey Janela versus Speedball Mike Bailey, Matt Cardona with Seth Delander, Seth Delander, <laughs> Seth Delander versus Santana Jackson, Blake Christian versus Shaft, Steph Delander, Steph Delander, uh, hit the Gaza. I mean, she does kind of say her own name as Steph Delanda, but I can't do it Australian. Miss, uh, miss um, Mrs. Mass Warner, well, Miss almost Miss Lance Warner. Hey, they're a couple. They're, they're, they're adorable. I did not see that coming though. They're very open about it, and that's good for them. Yes. Also, I guess now in Second Gear Crew, it's a thing to date much taller women. Well, I mean, not huh? much taller. Manders is a big guy, but still. <laughs> But anyway, uh, where was I? Oh, Violence is Forever. Our dear friends uh, Dominic Greeny and Kevin Koo taking on the Bollywood Boys, who just got squashed by the guns on uh, Dynamite. Uh, Squash ain't the word. <laughs> I mean, that match, don't even think that match went 90 seconds. That, I, I gotta say, that that's, uh, that's a weird team to put in that spot, because they're guys who really should have a job there. They did a job, I'll tell you that. Well, yeah. I mean, hey, I mean, if you get on AEW TV doing extra work, 
That's 800 bucks. So, not bad work if you can get it. It wasn't long. So, yeah. they got paid $800 for not, not 90 each. seconds. Yeah. Not bad if you can get it. So, uh, Maki Ito versus Nicole Matthews, Nick Age appearing in some form, Bussy, and more. And I would think the Defy show will be going up on their free streaming service thing, Remix. That's with a WR at the beginning, because wrestling. I don't think they've been doing live streams, though, so I'm guessing that'll be on demand after the fact. But uh, that's probably where the other half of the weekend will end up, the Saturday show. So that's that very interesting looking show there. Uh, I saw Joey and Speedball. I don't know if that was their first singles match ever, but I saw that live in Atlantic City last year. And it was definitely a hell of a match. So looking forward to this one. Also curious to see what Domaku can do with Bollywood Boys, Makito, Nicole Matthews. So that's very strong looking show there. And then, wait, is this the last one or the next to last? Oh, next to last, actually. Uh... As I make sure I close the right tabs. Black Label Pro, really real wrestling on the 18th. So Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern. I believe this is Blanton's secret location show. I forget exactly why it's a secret location, but it is. It's a secret. Uh, well, thank you. Uh as I try to remember what actually would pull up the... Oh, right, at B-Label Pro. See, but even typing Black Label Pro didn't bring it up on the search. Okay, that's weird. And then, oh, if I go... Great, if I go to the Twitter now, I'm just seeing a bunch of Slamilton stuff, and that's not till, you know, for a couple weeks. But yeah, okay, yes, this is the Mystery Location show. And I don't know if they actually have any matches announced for it or just wrestlers. I think it may be like the matches are a mystery deal. So I would hope the venue isn't a mystery because where would the fans go? The fans. It'll make more sense when the show is live. As to well, they put them on a fucking bus and take them in blindfolds. I mean, well, I mean, how does a fan get to a secret location? I, I don't know. But, it's not a secret if they know where it's at. I'm sure Kevin Koo will be defending his newly won Pocketable uh, Pro title, but otherwise, who knows? So there's that. And then uh, finally, MLW. Uh, They're still in business? Apparently. Has they still have a roster? I don't know how many of them are under contract. They've definitely been using more people who aren't signing with them lately, now that well. they don't have TV or anything. Uh they have Fightland 2023 on Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern. For a show that includes Alex Kane defending the world title against Jacob Fatu. Matt Cardona, promoted by Mr. St. Laurent. Oh, great. Uh, versus Vance Warren. That's Mr. St. Laurent. Thank you. I thought I said Laurent. I said Laurent. You said, La- you said Laurent. Well, maybe I'm tired. I know it's Laurent, so I don't know why I did that. Uh, but yeah, him and Matt. Cardona and Mance, loser lose MLW. Uh, ladder match for the tag titles with the calling and second gear crew. Uh, Lucha rules. Uh, Rocky Romero and Barbar Barbaro. Uh, Car- Babar, uh, Babar the elephant. I can't talk all of a sudden. Uh, Barbaro Cavernario. Against Ishivan and Mascara Dorada, which Ishivan is a guy from New England, so I'm not sure why he's in this. But I mean, he's good, but. 
So that's what's listed. Lineup subject to change. And I think, like most of their shows lately, this is a 2300 arena, right? I mean, I would think so. So yes, that's that's what's coming up on Fight. Uh, you want to sign up for Fight Plus. I mean, that, I should say, that's what's coming up on Fight Plus. If you want to sign up or also order iPay-Per-Views, go to tinyurl.com slash btsfight. That's B-T-S-F-I-T-E. And we'll get a referral from that. So, Is the West Coast Pro Show airing anywhere? West Coast Pro's thing now is that they live stream on YouTube and then put up the on-demand on IWTV after a delay. Well, let me pimp them then. All right, West Coast Pro is running the show on November 17th in San Francisco at the United Irish Cultural Center. We have Derek Dillinger against a mystery opponent. Then you have Rachel Ellering against Sandra Moon. Tank Man in Beef against Steve Macklin and Weston Blake. Brian Keith, the bounty hunter, not the actor, against Alpha Zoe. And the match that everybody wants to see, my dear close personal friend, Chris Hero, against Timothy Thatcher. And that's Friday at what November time? the 17th. Uh, 7.30 locals. So that's 10.30 Eastern. Okay, so check out their uh, YouTube page for that. Oh, also uh, Starboard Charlie against uh, Chris Bay in a West Coast Pro Championship match. Can't forget that. Yes. And... Uh, I know it's not next week or any or anything really extreme. Oh, also, South Pacific Savages against Los Suavecitos. Can't forget that. Or and Kevin Blackwood against Jean Jules. So I can't forget that either. But uh, what did they you have? Ju- put- did you tell Hero we were recording halftime, and that's why you're so enthusiastic about that? No, because it's an interesting show. No, it is. But, I like West Coast Pro a lot. Oh, but uh, you're so much more enthusiastic about Johnny Robbie's on this show as well. But. Uh, and by the way, yeah, for those who haven't seen her, Johnny Robbie is really good. Like, especially but, for her experience level. But West Coast Pro on December the 3rd is put the bounty hunter Brian Keefe against the legendary Masachi, Masaki Mochizuki. Yes, I am looking forward to that. For sure. So, uh, yeah, West Coast Pro, definitely a uh, hot indie promotion. And I'm not just saying that because I'm dear close personal friends Chris Hero, but they are. Yeah. So everybody go check them out on their YouTube page, on the live stream, and then uh, whenever it hits on the streaming side of things. Yes. And by all accounts, I've ever heard Scott also is someone who tries to do business the right way. So big fan of West Coast Pro. Absolutely. All oh. right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't see this. Uh, I mean, I guess we'll get to it after the plugs. I didn't see how much stock Vince is selling. That that came out a couple hours. Oh, we're gonna ago. talk. We're gonna talk about that. <laughs> we're gonna talk about that. But anyway, all right. So um, enough about the streaming. Let's get to the stuff that you can use to watch the streaming. Today's episode between the sheets sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, you're in search provider store in your browsing data, many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic to one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can understand to access geoblock content from around the world. 
private internet access guns, easy-to-use apps, and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customiz- customization settings, and it was just ranking the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. If you sign up private internet right now, you can take advantage of especially only for Between the Sheets listeners. We have three offers for you, or well, three packages. A regular monthly package at eleven ninety-five a month. Yearly package, which uh, you get down to three dollars thirty-three cents a month for thirty-nine ninety-five a year, or you can go three years plus four free months at a dollar ninety-eight a month. Seventy-nine dollars for the first three years. Usually thereafter, eighty-three percent off. The best deal in the game. Why is that? Because it's so much more expensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get it right now and take advantage of private internet's 30-day risk-free challenge, try it out for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just turn for a full refund. So you get that, you ask, well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we're going to go back to 1998 and a show requested by... William Lanham, one of our uh, more prolific patrons. We've said his name a lot in this section. And uh, he wants us to talk about Survivor Series 98, which is a very uh, newsworthy show. So we'll have uh, all the stuff going on there. The big uh, angle at the end of the show. The drama, the real drama between Steve Austin and Vincent Mann at the show. And there was real drama there. And all sorts of other stuff in WF in a big old section. Then we got uh, Japan, where Vader and Stan Hansen have formed a team and are running roughshod through all Japan and doing big business in the process. So we'll have news on that. We'll have uh, New Japan. They got their tag tour going on. Lots of Japanese indie scum stuff to talk about. We got a big show in AAA. We'll talk about that. CMLL's got a lot of stuff going on, including their uh, partnership with WCW about to start up. The Learning Channel airs the Secret World of Pro Wrestling. We'll talk about that. Chris and Tammy have issues in ECW and on a leave of absence. We'll have uh, Ohio Valley run one of their first big shows. We'll talk about that. Jess Ventura stories. You know, the election just happened, so we'll have stuff on that. And WCW, lots of problems going on there, even though they put on a, a pretty good Nitro. But lots of problems there, and Dave has some thoughts on that. Plus, we'll have Thunder... Uh, we'll have all kinds of stuff there. So uh should be quite the show next week on Between the Sheets. And we'll have some Warrior stuff in there, too. So uh, everybody got to check that out next week. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper BT Sheets Pod. Big set, David Bix. And, yeah, you, you just brought it up. So let's talk about it. Vince McMahon. Uh, hours before we recorded the uh, recorded this segment, sold off basically in money terms seven hundred million dollars of stock in TKO. Or is preparing million, to sell? Well, yes, preparing to sell eight point four million shares. It's over, folks. <laughs> this is it. I mean, he he is he's out. I mean, this is this is huge. It's a huge deal right here. I mean, um, oh, they put out a 414-page filing today, too. Yes, they sure did. They noted in that in that filing, they noted that from year from year to year for the first half of 2023, 
North American ticket sales went up 29 percent. Total live attendance up 30 percent. Average North American attendance went up 41 percent. Average international attendance went up 54 percent. Yes. They're and hot, this is still only 30, about 30 percent of his shares, though. Still in 30% of his shares, but that's a huge amount. $700 million. I mean, when you're selling that much stock, yeah. I mean, this is, in, this is significantly more stock than he sold in WWE when he was trying to start the XFL back up. Yeah, and supposedly Ari Emanuel and Mark Shapiro are going to be buying some of that stock. Not a lot. Relatively yeah, but, speaking. No, but still. So So wait, it's eight point four million, right? Shares? Yes. So okay, price as of this writing is eighty four ninety. So yeah, so hey. The thing is is that I mean this is I mean he is he's getting out. I mean he is the days it's already been started, but the days of Vince McMahon having power are gone. And clearly that was not his plan originally. Oh, hell no. I, I knew this was going to happen. I think I said it in this segment. This is going to happen. He's basically going to be a corporate mascot. He's a figurehead. He's somebody you trot out for for what they did for the Saudi Arabia thing. You just trot him out there. Now here's Vince. Hey, look at it's Vince. So yeah, you know, it's I almost mean, uh, seven hundred fourteen million dollars worth of stock. That's a lot of fucking money. <laughs> I mean, so okay. What just to make serious kids don't run the company. <laughs> so I mean, our theory here, by the though, I mean, I'm guessing you're going to be with me on this, is that. Endeavor still wanted the deal, but as due diligence went forward, they realized Vince could not be part of the company and was too big a liability. I think it was all a fucking front. I think. But I here, think no, the whole... here's here's how we know it's not though. Well, I mean, here's well, my... well, let me finish though. All right. Remember, Ari wanted Vince and gave up equity to keep Vince. Remember, it was not going to be a fifty-one forty-nine deal originally. I forget the exact stuff, but this is this is what they're putting in the SEC filings, and it's clear they do not want to lie in SEC filings. So they're not. I engaged. mean, yeah, Nick Khan. But when? <laughs> Why? I mean, I How? said that. I said that from the beginning that Nick Khan was going to that when this deal got done that Vince was going to get aced out. It was just, but it was Do you obvious. think it happened after the deal was finalized or do you think yes, the decision? Yes, they got the deal done and then, and then Vince got aced out. I'm, no, I'm thinking it, it, that the plan began before the deal was finalized in September. I'm thinking the deal, I mean, not the deal, I'm thinking whatever this plan was, I'm thinking this began during due diligence at they had to do April what they had September. to do to get the deal done and just kiss Vince's ass or whatever. And then when the deal is officially finalized and they don't have to worry about Vince no more, so long, sucker. But again, if the, if they didn't want Vince originally, that's then this would have gone differently. Uh, 
you, sometimes you got to do what you got to do to get a deal done. But the deal was going to get done. And, That's the thing. And then, and then when the deal is done, then you go back on what you. But Chris, the deal was going to get done. At whatever I forget the original percentage. Vince wasn't going to sell to them unless he was involved. No, that's the thing. In the filings, it says Vince was willing to sell, was was willing to do the merger and not be involved. Wow. They made a specific, or they made a specific deal to retain him, and what it took was the WWE side getting more equity in TKO. There's. Believe me, there is business stuff involved here that they had they had to do what they had to do to get it done with the get the appease Vince. But again, they were going to get it done regardless. Done. So, but why would they give up that equity then? I don't know. Again, if they didn't want Vince in the first place, they could have done the deal without getting Vince and gotten a better deal. So this doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense that they wouldn't have wanted Vince at the time. Ari clearly wanted Vince. I mean, honestly, you know what it probably is? He probably thought that based on how the Dana White shit had gone at the beginning of the year, that the Vince stuff was something he could manage. And then when he found out whatever the full scope and breadth of it was between April and September, he realized that they were going to need to make a plan where Vince would not really have any real role anymore, even though that was not the original plan. I still, if I remember, well, I, I think I was said exactly what was going to happen. He's going to get aced out. So I, I figured he might get aced out anyway, but the thing is, it, it was not the Endeavor plan from the beginning, is what I'm saying. There's the no way of, that it was. Well, okay. What, prob- what probably happened, and this is probably more realistic, was the more they got involved with Vince, they realized that he's not Vince anymore, as far as his mental capacities. And also probably too difficult to deal with, too. So, yeah, that's probably what happened. But also the due diligence, too. Like, there's stuff that's not public. We know that. About, I mean, we don't know about any further... NDAs and payouts because the numbers that the Wall Street Journal reported match what's being reported in the SEC filings, but there's definitely more stuff out there. So it's probably a combination of the factors. Anyway, he's out. Yeah. He's pretty much out. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it's been so obvious on television in, in the recent weeks uh, on, uh, that he has no power no more. So, yeah, so that's one big story. <laughs> uh, another big story involving them is uh, NXT's got a new TV home on CW in 2024, where they picked up a massive uh, increase in, <laughs> in rights. Which, um, by the way, we did, we had no idea what they were getting from USA until this. That yeah, was, so- It was small enough that it was hard to discern from the filings, and now the reporting is... What most likely that they went from fifteen million to thirty million, something like that. A substantial increase. Um, so, so yeah. So uh, they're on broadcast television, back on the CW, and NXT. Their ratings have gotten a lot better in recent weeks. Um, there's a they got a lot of positive momentum right now. 
And as a as we were talking about before we start recording, as a percentage of the audience that the show is getting, they're actually skewing younger than Dynamite. And there is, you know, some talk very early in the game that they're going to move move the night, so it won't be Tuesday night. So we don't. I don't know what what night it be. I mean, that's probably also dependent on what happens with Raw too. Well, that's another thing. I mean, Raw's still out there, so yeah. I mean, we'll see what night they end up on. Yeah, but but still, I mean, the speculation has been like, if it's FX, does Disney really now? If they control Raw, do they want Raw opposite Monday Night Football five months of the year? Well, another thing too is Amazon has started creeping in there more in discussion. So, yeah, I mean, that's going to be interesting as next year gets going, but. The thing about CW is CW had just, uh, you know, announced that we're going to hook up with Billy Corgan's NWA. Well, they didn't announce it. Well, it, what happened was Billy did an interview. I forget where, where he said he had signed two TV deals. Then Nick Hausman reports, and probably not coming from Billy, based on just things I know, and. Nick reports that it's with the CW for NWA Power and a reality show. And then everyone got, well, no, before everyone got blindsided, then he reports that after the cocaine spot at the pay-per-view that Jim Mitchell you did. You want to explain that? Yes. There was some segment with Jim Mitchell and his uh, people doing coke with hookers or something at the pay-per-view. And then Nick reports that Billy, having been told that they would not be watching the pay-per-views, which who knows if that was just a test or not, uh, did that, and NWA apparently got a lot of social media comments, and according to Nick, then decided that if they were sticking with this, it was going to go on their app and would not be on the air. Now, who even knows what's going on? It's not going to be... If 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 they if they have signed NXT to a deal, there ain't gonna be no other wrestling show on there involved in them. There's still other stuff that's unclear. Mike Johnson's reporting that the only other group CW actually talked to was Dave Marquez's. What is it now? It's Championship Wrestling from California, I believe. Well, Nick Houseman uh, had another uh, thing. Well, today. yeah, and yeah, so there was that, and then Nick reported today, and I think he said it was coming from the CW side, right? Yeah. That last year at the AWLA Forum debut in June, a CW executive went to Tony Khan about getting ROH on CW. And Tony said no, because he didn't want to do anything with the ROH TV rights until the AEW deal was up, which all which doesn't really fit with how he was talking about everything otherwise, though. How, how Tony was, because Tony... It seems clear Tony was trying to get a deal throughout 2022 and then went with the Honor Club thing when he couldn't. So I don't know how you reconcile those two things. But that comes on the news. I think it was also from Nick. No, it wasn't from Nick. It was from Sean Rassap that the current sticking point in the new uh, AEW Warner Brothers Discovery negotiations is what they value the video library at for putting on a, on, not HBO Max, Max. 
And apparently Tony's being a stickler about it. And now we have another story about him being a kind of a stickler about something. And I don't know. I, I, Maury's on, on the road to cutting off his nose to spite his face. And here's the thing about CW. That was brought up again when the NXT deal got done. Who has a piece of CW ownership wise? Twelve and a half percent, but Warner, but Warner. So there's that goes to both sides of the story. And you got that going on with the NXT side. Oh, okay. And then you got where Ring of Honor would have been on something that still had a Warner Discovery part of it, you know? Even though they have no actual control of the network. It's Nexstar's network. Yeah. They're my they're small minority owners, and so are so is Paramount. But it would have at least kind of kept them in the family, yeah. So who knows <laughs> with all that. Um so there is that, you know, we talked last week about uh AW and the dynamite and all the stuff that was going on that week. I mean, one thing we can definitely say was uh this past dynamite was uh, much better. Yeah. You know, as far as the show, lots more in ring stuff and a good show. So at least at least that, you know, we had that um, we'll see if that continues to be a a, tre- uh, a trend, or if that uh, was a one-off deal. We'll see how that goes. But um, real quick before we uh, yeah, I realize I should check how much time we have for halftime. Before we end this, before we end this segment, before we end this, um, you know, we did our show about the uh, Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Yes, where um, we talked about that and gave our ballots and stuff. No, we I didn't mean, we, give our ballots. We didn't give our ballot. We just talked about so we I feel like we need to give our ballot. So I'll go first for people that haven't seen this yet. Um for historical, I voted Ole Anderson, Bob Armstrong, June Byers, Wild Wild Bill Curry, Junkyard Dog, Spud and Monroe, Argentina Rocco Miguel Perez, and Johnny Rougeau. For modern, I oh, so voted, we have almost the exact same ballot there. <laughs> yeah, so there were eight maximum. On uh, modern, five maximum. Only voted three. What? That's obvious. Uh, Mark and Jay Briscoe, Paul Orndorff, and the Steiners. Mm-hmm. Uh, three uh, Japan maximum. Mine was Shima, Yoshiki Fujiwara, and Hayabusa. Three maximum in uh, Lucha, so Sangre Chicana, the Dinamitas, and Bupata. Four maximum in the rest of the world. Big Daddy. The original Ken Nagasaki, Jackie Paolo, and Adrian Street. And non wrestler six maximum, Dave Brown, Bobby Davis, Jim Melby, Ted Turner, Roy Welch, and the Graham Wizard. All right. So that was my ballot. So mine – and okay, keep an eye here because I feel like I missed who you voted for that I didn't on historical. So historical, huh. I went with the full eight. Ole Anderson, June Byers, Wild Bull Curry, Junkyard Dog, Sputnik Monroe, Rocca and Perez, Johnny Rougeau, and Steamboat and Youngblood. So you didn't See, vote for I'd... Steamboat and Youngblood. Who did you vote for instead? Bob Armstrong. Okay, that's right. I should have remembered that. Um, modern, I voted for two of the possible five. With hindsight, maybe I should also voted for Young Bucks, but I mean, they're going to stay alive and they're still making their case, so it's whatever. But I voted for Mark and Jay Briscoe and Matt and Jeff Hardy in that category. So, 
See, I've owned Orndorff and Steiners. Yeah. Um, what else do we have? Okay. Japan. Japan. I maxed out the three, which I picked the beauty pair, Yoshiaki Fujiwara and Mako Satomura. Okay. Mexico. Maxed out the three with Los Hermanos Dinamites, Blue Panther, and La Parca Triple A. Okay. Rest of the world, I went with Spiros Arion, Big Daddy, Dominic Danucci, and Johnny Saint. Yeah, that's the category we had the most differences. Yeah. Yeah. I think Big Daddy's the only one we both voted for, right? Yeah. And then in non wrestlers, I went with Dave Brown, Bobby Davis, Jim Johnston, Larry Matizik, Ted Turner, and Roy Welch. Well, we have some differences. Not what, exactly what did you do same. for Lucha again? Sangre Chicana was one I had that you didn't have. And But you did Armados Dinamites and Blue Panther. That is correct. Okay. So I mean, we have fairly similar ballots. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah, and if you want to hear our reasons and you haven't listened to the Hall of Fame show, you know, we go over how we feel about all the candidates, you know, including those we didn't vote for. But you'll have an idea of our rationale for all of these by listening to that. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Well, that's it for this section. Let's get back to the rest of the show. Let's go to ECW now as we head back to America. Scott Hall debuted in the weekend house shows. The word going around at first is that Hall agreed to work the matches for free. Whether true or not, nobody seemed to believe that story. Feeling his way for Paul Heyman to save face, bringing in a huge name while still being one month behind everyone's pay. <laughs> it's got to be Heyman because it's the same shit. I mean, he worked for free for Todd Gordon. So that's, that's Heyman. Absolutely. Hall was laughing about the story. He was doing the shows without being paid to friends when they told him that Heyman had been spreading around. The agreement to come in is that Hall didn't want to appear on ECW television and was just doing to keep his name in the public. Which makes sense because he only works this weekend and never works for ECW again. Justin Crable did allude to him in a promo that was safe for TV, and Dave sure they'll try to make a big deal on TV that he was there to try and spark interest in the product. If I remember right, they don't. <laughs> no. They were filming his match with Sally Graziano. It said to be up in there well now he'll work the December 3rd pay-per-view. As his conversations, he was using terms like, if I come, if I come back... After doing the weekend, he hadn't agreed to do the pay-per-view, but hadn't ruled it out either. The wrestlers weren't unhappy about him coming in, even the financial situation, everyone being no money, because he's a legit superstar. Although nobody expects him along with the promotion, the belief is it was done larger to show WCW's now in his best behavior, since WF doesn't appear to have any interest. Everyone brought up a few years back when his friend Credible brought him to a Florida house show, and Francine and Shane Douglas and Bam Bigler cut a promo on him at the entranceway and wouldn't let him in. Totally embarrassing Credible in the process. He said we went everywhere bragging about it at the time, like it was a badge of honor to kick a WCW superstar out of, their, out of their backstage. Funny how things work out. His reaction dwarfed everyone on both shows, and it was said his charisma was such that next to him, nobody looked like a star in the company. And I was also surprised how legit six foot five he dwarfed everyone on the roster, including being several inches taller than the build six foot eight Sally Graziano, who's apparently closer to six foot two. We can't promote as a giant because Guido and Tony Mamaluke are absolutely tiny for wrestlers. They're probably 155, 140 pounds. Hall appeared totally coherent both nights. ECW released his name in local radio ads, which caused a good walk-up on the River 10th in Schenectady, which ended up drawing 1,000 fans. They did an angle where Credible and Rhino attacked Spike and Dudley into a save by Lynn and Dreamer. 
Dreamer just said due to an injury, he couldn't wrestle, although he did the next night. He started walking around doing Hall mannerisms. We're talking about somebody backstage. Hall got a monster pop, working as Lynn's partner in the main event. He took few, if any, bumps, but sold all the way to build for Lynn getting a hot tag, and Lynn eventually getting pinned by Credible to win the match. The match was said to have been good. The next night in Poughkeepsie wasn't exactly the same. Hall came out to a big pop and said he came to Poughkeepsie to wrestle a friend of his who used to be a jabroni, but was now a big star. But he didn't see himself against Credible in the lineup. Hall asked Heyman why. Louis dangerously came out and said that Hall would have to prove himself before he could get a match with Credible. This led to Graciano coming out and he squashed Hall, who did nothing but except a two-pick throw and a crotch shot to Sal. Although Guido Mamaluke bumped for him because of the huge size difference, Hall wouldn't sell anything for Guido and let him know that in the ring. And took his big moves, fallaway slam, and outsider's edge for Graciano sat on him for the pin, which probably shot everyone in the building. After that match, Louis said he could wrestle Credible later. They announced the match as the final match on the card to keep the crowd, and it worked. It was said after they started locally plugging a hole on the radio, the walk-up was very strong, and the building was only packed with 2500 for the tapings. Some, but not a ton, of which was papered. Hall, who didn't get any reaction his second time out, pinned Credible using the edge in a match that would be really bad if you watched it close, but fans liked it as Hall didn't have to do anything as long as they saw his ring entrance, saying, hey, yo, his manner is his outsider's edge at the end. And he knew it, so it worked. The most crowd is a 1990 WF match, basically walking, talking, doing as little as possible, but all the posing they want. It worked to the crowd live, but we were told it would have really been exposed fair on television. Well, that's not the plan. They never mentioned on TV that he worked here. No. He just does these two shows, and that's it. So yeah. Do we want to keep going, or do we want to go to the club? Oh, we're going to keep, we're going to, well... We'll read this because this is the last bit Last bit coming here. Torch. Locker room sources say Hall was sober and in good spirits, but didn't totally avoid controversy. He worked the opening match, second show against Sally. Booking plans called for Tony Mamaluke to interfere in the match after Hall had his finish on Guido, who was supposed to interfere in the match. Mamaluke interfered earlier than he was supposed to, and Hall wasn't able to hit his finisher as planned. Once the wrestlers returned to the back, Hall told Mamaluke in front of other wrestlers that he shouldn't be in the business if he can't hit his cues. Hall's defenders say he was only ribbing Mama Luke. He busted his balls pretty hard, but everyone in the locker room was laughing. He was only ribbing, said one witness. Mama Luke was said to have been demoralized and believed Hall was serious. Aside from the Mama Luke incident, most ECW sources describe Hall as being friendly and professional with other wrestlers, regardless of their position on the card. Hall's defenders are claiming that he offered to do the job for Graciano and Pekitsi because he is high on the FBI. Meanwhile, Hamas telling friends he asked Hall to put over Graciano as a show of respect for the locker room, and the Hall offered no resistance. And there's some talk that Hall is using ECW's way to prove himself WWF, but those are doubtful. His desire is to return to a full-time schedule. <laughs> I mean, what do, you, what, what do you think Hall's intent was there? You think he was really busting his balls, or what oh, do you Mama think? Luke specifically? <sighs> If everyone else thought he was just ribbon, then I guess he was. But, like, how did he handle it? Was he like, ah, just kidding. It's fine. You'll learn from a kid. Or did he just play it up straight the whole time? Sounds like he played it straight the whole time, but somehow everyone else knew he was ribbing. Yeah, so they were making making, uh, excuses. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm sure this version of the story did not come from uh, 
PJ Polacco a, a subscriber. Well, just a tour, so it could have been uh, Jerry Lynn. Hmm. I mean, it's probably just incredible. <laughs> but maybe. Uh, and there's one thing though that people forget about this, and I think it. it if it wasn't in the actual newsletters that you read, I'm guessing it was on the Torch website, because that's... I remember it being a Torch thing, but one of the things I was talking about at the time was this was Hall basically doing Heyman a favor, because during Heyman's cup of coffee in Florida in 87, his main role was to be a heel manager who Scott Hall got over beating the shit out of. Yeah. Which... Did Heyman even make TV there? I don't know. But anyway, uh, before we discuss this a little further, sh- shall we go to the clips of the whole? I guess, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, this is both going to be quick, just kind of to see the crowd reaction. So first, Schenectady, where he doesn't actually get his own entrance. that with him? Beast me. That he's pointing to. That's Tom. Oh, okay. Who the hell is this ring announcer, by the way? It's local. Did they not bring D'Angeli or anyone like that on tour? They did a lot of local announcers. Okay. And then the clip people are more likely to have seen is, uh... Or did I click... Did I open that in a different browser by mistake? Is the one in Poughkeepsie, where he comes out to Ready or Not, which I am not able to find all of a sudden. Wait, I have this open, don't I? Okay, there it is. It does seem like most fans did not know he was going to be there. Yeah, I mean, that's a big surprise type pop. Absolutely. And just from the music on this show, you'd only have an inkling it was him if you uh, went to WCW house shows. Because yeah. for those who don't know, the Outsiders house show theme in WCW 
for their entire run as a team was ready or not. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So nothing comes of this. I mean, when does Hall start with New Japan? 2001. But when? Early in the year? Later in the year? It's early in the year. So that's where he ends up going. So I think the idea that this was just a favor for Paul, I think, actually makes the most sense. Yeah, I guess. And just trying to show that he can, he still can work and he may be sober. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if he's trying to stay visible, he would have worked more than one weekend, though. Yeah. It's all about the pay, too. Well, yes, and the ECW in 2000, so. Let's go to the uh, TV show and get uh, Poughkeepsie at the Mid-Hudson Civic Center. They had to take three hours of TV in Poughkeepsie because it was the final house show before the December 3rd pay-per-view. The November 17th and 18th shows Toledo and Cincinnati were canceled, as was the Thanksgiving weekend show scheduled for Kansas City area. They were canceled weeks ago. Because there may not have been enough tape for three first-run TV shows in the pay-per-view during midweek, there was work done to try and do a last-minute booking of the Elks Lodge and Queens, where ECW used to tape hot TVs, because only a 100-seat arena ECW can fill with a week of publicity for some time over Thanksgiving weekend that shoots the new angles for the pay-per-view. At press time, it appears 9% against that being able to put together. Because it's said to be very good. The best ECW shows is the Hammerstein Ballroom shows and the Missagawa show. Moscatini was said to be very bad except for Hall's match. Backstage was said to be the wrestlers had never trashed Heyman, who wasn't there, as much as they did that night. By the next night, with a hot crowd and good show, everyone was feeling better. There were people complaining that Heyman had seemingly really lost it by airing the footage of Jim Mitchell being attended to by the EMTs on a TV show this week. We'll have more on that later. In Poughkeepsie, Styles and Gertner did an intro with Styles ripping on a fan holding the sign saying Mike today was a better announcer. Well, he was telling the truth. Credible and Francine came out and mocked Scott Hall. Michael Shane from San Antonio beat local jobber Mike Bell in a nothing match, except one great Topeco Hilo by Shane. Julio De Niro, Easy Money, and Chris Hammer beat Mike Whipwreck super crazy, and Tajiri went crazy, actually hit Tajiri with a missile drop kick, and Tajiri was pinned, causing a breakup. So it'd be a very good short match. In the best match, Tajiri didn't pin crazy. Dave sold would have been a great match. Under other standards, but it wasn't a level of the matches those two used to have. But fans liked it because they broke two tables and hot finish when Crazy went for an assigned moonsault, but Whipwreck used the whippersnapper to set up the pin. Doring and Roadkill pinned uh, Prodigy and Bilbus Wesley when Prodigy pr- when Doring pinned Prodigyet. FBI had the ring, cut some of Doring's hair, and cut off Roadkill's beard to set up a match on the pay-per-view. Nova beat Guido. After the match, they tried to cut Nova's hair, but Doring and Roadkill saved him. Steve Carino defended the East 70 title against Jerry Lynn. Steve wrestled heel style and still had 25% cheers. Just Grubble Pants, number three, went to the preview main event by Kane and both guys. Lynn was up to the back. Carino said he wanted to wrestle Subwood. So Sandman came up for a 10 minute ring entrance. Carino won when he was using his old school expulsion on the guardrail in a good match. They touched another open with C.W. Anderson, Swinger, and Diamond coming out. Diamond chased Styles and Gurner around the ring. York and Matthews came out with Dreamer and set up a six-man. They brought all over the place with York and Matthews bleeding everywhere. His highest-profile performance thus far for York and Matthews. Gertner was at ringside, took off his shirt, revealing that classic physique with the Kamala stars on it. Splash Diamond and Dreamer DDT Diamond, allowing Gertner to pin him and win the match. Heels left them laying afterwards. Rhino pinned Ken Cash after uh, Paul dropped the middle ropes. Rhino was about to put Cash to a table when Spike Dudley made the save and gave Rhino an acid drop. Apparently, they're doing Rhino and Spike at a pay-per-view. Chili Willie beat DeVito. After that, Angel hit Willie with a chair, but Mahoney made the save and hit both Baldies with chair shots. So, 
There's your Poughkeepsie show, and yeah, there. I mean, these shows being canceled, guys not getting paid, guys publicly trashing Heyman backstage. Not not good times. It feels like a dying company, even if you don't really consider hindsight or anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, and they've been without national TV. I mean, they have the syndication network, but that's been dropping stations left and right too, which is a thing people forget. You look at that station list from near the end that floats around sometimes. That syndication network was whittled down to pretty much nothing. No. It was largely just America One affiliates. So they've lost TNN, very little syndication left. The signs are there, and Paul not being around, I'm sure, is not helping. No. We do have more Scott Hall, though. Oh, yes, we do. Five days after Scott Hall's latest arrest on probation violation, Hall and his strange wife Dana agreed on child visitation rights just before a judge was going to issue a ruling on the case. Hall, who filed a motion to get sole custody of his children, charged Dana with being emotionally and mentally unstable and unfit parent. The two agreed that Hall would get overnight visitation nights on Wednesdays and Thursdays every week and Wednesday night through Sunday morning custody every other week. So... Well, okay, I just realized something. Seems like Scott thinks he has no chance of going to WWF anytime soon if he agreed to a custody agreement where the most custody he gets is Wednesday through Sunday every other week. Yeah. Well, I mean, who knows? Who no, knows but point being, though, with this, since there was a discussion of him wanting to try to go to WWF. Yeah, but... I don't know. But, anyway. New Jack, who works connecting, was living really badly backstage at Poughkeepsie and didn't work the show. Angel worked the first night with his head and arm, nose with his color, and burned from the pay-per-view. <sighs> well, let's talk about some of that, shall we? Hardcore TV for the weekend was man of the from the pay-per-view. It's no secret ECW is desperate, and admittedly, with his niche audience, it may be the right business strategy simply to go as far as possible in that direction. Although, in doing so, the injuries are climbing. Desperate times often make people do desperate things. Even so, showing the footage of the man that's working on Jim Mitch out his fingers are blown off, blew my mind, Dave said. And even throwing out the question of taste, the footage as it aired made the show look like public access television. It was only something of a dying company would even do. It blew the mind of the officers in EMT's tenant situation who were threatening to arrest the cameraman except he wasn't breaking any laws except those of taste. But they kept him far enough away that he couldn't film anything and that somebody would actually be ghoulish enough to film the stuff. Well, how could you air it without filming it? Later, they had Sally Graciano holding scissors as if he cut the fingers off with scissors and doing the angle saying he was like OJ and they wouldn't rest until he found the guys who really cut off the minister's fingers. All this for an angle that isn't going to draw a dime anyway. Unlike in WCW, most ECW's audience knows it's a bogus angle, and Dave thinks ECW fans want a promotion not to insult their intelligence. We'll have more on Mitchell in a few minutes. They had a few new interviews. Dreamer did one from the crowd before the preview in Chicago talking about how bad WCW was and bragging about how they outdrew Nitro the next night. That was sad, too, because they didn't even come close. 4,600 paid to 2,600 paid. And if they had beaten a dying WCW, that's hardly something to brag about these days, let alone call attention to it. That they barely drew half of what a dead company drew. Diamond Anderson came out to attack him. Dave guessed for saying something only makes the company look bad. But York and Matthews quickly made the save. Interviews with unsaid programs, FBI and Dorian Roadkill. 
Let's see. If they're playing the finger stand for an angle, shouldn't the program be with Tajiri and Whip Rack? Uh, yeah. And Dreamer and Anderson. You know, Diamond's the one taking the credit for the injury, but they pretty well established Diamond, Swinger, Anderson as a trio for Dreamer to work six men's against. Maybe with York and Matthews to give them some credibility. They did their hot November to remember via package in November Rain, which is the best thing on the show that was new. Same used to be traditionally put together a musical video that song, but in the past it's been done the week for the show to hype it. The match highlights in the pay-per-view were also very good. Showing with a cliffhanger of Cyrus recruiting Lynn and Lynn seemingly concerned the offer. Same angle they did just a few months ago. They honestly did the, they honestly did the angle before in the interview. <sighs> okay. Before we get into the other stuff, and maybe we'll save the stuff about I well no, the Jim Mitchell stuff is less about that come that's coming up is less about the TV, so I guess we'll talk about it here, but <sighs> What says more about the state of this company at the time that they did not do the November Rain video before the pay-per-view and saved it for the week after? Probably because they didn't expect – they probably thought that maybe some people wouldn't be on the pay-per-view. Hmm. I didn't think of that. Um, th- that attendance thing. Do we just talk that up to Tommy Dreamer's particular brand of idiocy? Yeah, probably. Which do we know it like is Paul even editing the TV too? So like how much Who of this knows? how much of the Mitchell thing is Dreamer and how much is Paul? Who knows? But yeah, this was this was bad. Very. Thankfully, Jim recovered fairly well. Yeah. Well let's talk about that. Let's go yeah. to figure four weekly. Center Minister Jim Mitchell returned home last week after undergoing a nerve transplant operation. Nerves taken from his forearm and grafted into his hand. Doctors told him there was a good chance he'd regain full mobility in his hand. Mitchell explained what happened to Mike Mooney on the Charleston Post Courier. I've shot a thing a thousand times and that never happened before. I was round running it in there with my toothbrush and the thing just blew up out of nowhere. Mikey was sitting across from me and it was like a shotgun had gone off. I looked for a second, and blood started spurting up all over the place. I lost a fingertip, and my palm was like a chainsaw went through it. I've gotten shrapnel in my hand and basically a bullet hole in my stomach. It was like a little pipe bomb going off in my hand. It was made of brass. When it went, it went. The battery blew up, too. So I guess there's a little piece of battery inside me. The top barrel just blew. That's what's inside of me. That's what's inside my hand. The bottom barrel looks like it just got run over by a train. It was a mess. It was like when Elmer Fudd gets blown up and everything's all black looking. Like when he goes to shoot Bugs Bunny and Bugs puts his fingers in a shotgun barrel and it backfires on him. That's what my hand looks like. It was black. It was panic at this point. I looked down and my fingers are black. Some of my nails are blown off. At first it looked like I was missing some large chunks of fingers. Then I'm looking around and see holes in my coat and suit. Opening up and look like I've been shot. I had a hole in my stomach about the size of a dime. Where a piece of shrapnel had blown into there. I went into shock. They gave me oxygen, took me to the hospital, and I was going to do surgery today, but they decided they wanted to keep me on antibiotics another day. I was too blown away for it to hurt. But I still got a little piece of glass inside me. Mikey to Jerry would have been messed up real bad, but I was going to shoot a fireball at them coming down at the exit ramp. For whatever reason, the thing blew up without me touching the trigger, but if I would have somehow gotten it packed in there with the amount of stuff I put in there, I still would have blown up, but it would have hit them both in the face. Actually, would hit all three of us in the face and head. Mitchell actually asked to go back to work over the weekend, but Heyman told him to stay home and rest up. And a quite disturbing side note to the story to syndicate Hardcore TV this week was dedicated to him. 
The strange thing was they had shared footage of the cops and EMTs tending to him right after the gun went off. Apparently, you could could see cops screaming everyone to shut the cameras off, get the hell out of the room. Then the angle later actually continued to discuss the storyline and began the pay-per-view, searching for the people responsible for slicing Minister's fingers off. At one point, the shot air decided to grab on a big pair of scissors to animate that he'd done the deed. Brian understands that Mitchell almost certainly gave his okay to that storyline. He understands he's still be seeing hard times and he's do something to regain their edge. But Brian thinks that's one a bit too creepy. Plenty of people both inside and outside the company were very critical of this angle during the week. Well, rightfully so. He was in terrible taste. And, yeah, Jim probably did give permission. He's the type who would. It just wasn't worth it. There was no point in doing this. It wasn't going to benefit them in any way. It just made them look more low-ranked. Because everyone knew what the real story was. You know, especially to the whoever's left watching ECW TV at this point. That's not a big audience. Yeah. Um, and, and Jim in more recent years has elaborated on what happened. Kind of, he, he, he didn't leave a ton out at the time, but I think the way he explained it was like the little flash device. Like, you loaded flash paper into it, crumpled up. And he overstuffed it. And like he said, like, even if it had gone off in the right direction, potentially it probably would have still fucked him up. But basically what happened was he overstuffed the thing so much that there was nowhere else for the for the <clears throat> explosion to go other than just out. Not out yeah. of where it was supposed to go, out of the gun thing, but just blowing the thing up. Yeah. It was just a mess all the way around. But yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, it was pretty damn rough. And watching it on TV, I was like, mm, not good, not good at all. But like Dave said, desperate times, desperate measures, trying to, you know, get your shock angle out there to get people to tune in. And then you do this and then you don't even book the guys against his guys. You book them against another team. Yeah. Like, if you're saying you're trying to make money, like, which it's not going to anyway, still, like, what? Yeah. Alright, uh, a couple more things here in ECW. Heyman is said to be down right now on using Humans of Gadetta, but because of his price and because he worked at XBW the weekend. Oh, speaking of cutting someone's fingers off with a pair of scissors. <laughs> And we'll have more on XPW in just a little bit. And to the torch, a number of wrestlers said they're doubtful they'll be paid this weekend as scheduled since the company is running shows. The next scheduled show isn't until the pay-per-view, which has led many to believe the company has become a television-only promotion. To back up their claim, the wrestlers know that the only house show the company is running either the day before or after the taping. And a number of wrestlers are also concerned the company has yet to advertise any shows for the month of January. Yeah, that's not good. It's kind of interesting when you think about it. They have those sold shows. So did those not get bought until after this? Since those last couple shows in Arkansas and Missouri, are those are sold shows. Yeah. All right, let's go to Combat Zone Wrestling. They had Jersey Rules at Champs Arena in Sewell on November 11th. John Dahmer over Jeff Rocker. Nick Gage over Johnny Cashmere. Johnny Cashmere and Lobo over Nick Gage and Trent Acid. Uh, Justice Payne retained the CCW heavyweight title of the Rock and Rebel. Nate Hatred beat White Beater in an Iron Man title match. And then Sick Nick Mondo beat Rick Blade in your main event. 
pretty by the numbers early, early CCW show here before the roster gets expanded. Next, we go to the MEWF where we have Chris Candido collapsing backstage at the show on November 11th in Hampstead, Maryland. And it must have been very serious since Alistair Rotman's on the house mic and what wasn't an angle, asking the fans to say a prayer for him. Candido didn't work the show. His match was scheduled after the collapse as the main event, went, was back home the next day. Uh, I forgot about this one. Yeah, just not yeah. not good. Not good times. I mean, I feel like the fact that he died from unrelated stuff. I feel like people forget what a miracle it was that he turned his life around at all. Yeah. It was bad. Well, on a lighter note, let's get some uh, Maryland-ass indie wrestler names. North Carolina High School in Hampstead on November 11th. We had Dottie J. Caldwell over Steve Camry. <laughs> Dottie J. Caldwell? Okay. Short Dudley over Tony Hightower. Uh, Ruckus beat Hurricane Kid in a ladder match for the MEWF Maryland title. Is this when Claude Morrow Ruckus or a different Ruckus? Uh, no, no. Uh, tag title match. Playboy Bobby Starr and Lucifer retained over Morgan's the Maniac and the Patriot by his qualification. Tom Brandy. Buzz Stryker, Agent <laughs> Orange, and Otto Stark <laughs> defeated Troy Wareheim, Brian Wetzel, and John Piper. Oh, John Piper, huh? Yeah. Gowdy Johnny Piper. <laughs> Master Ash retained the heavyweight title, beating Dino Casanova. Oh. Who, Salvatore Sincere. Of course. Won, won a lumberjack match over Rain. Oh, my God. In a main event, Van Hammer over Max Muscle. Van Hammer defeated Max Muscle in the year, year of your Lord 2000. <laughs> in a 13-minute match. In... On a show promoted by Axel Rotten. <laughs> right? Because wasn't he MEWF? Wasn't he the yeah. promoter? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Otto Stark is the new one, too. Right. Oh, gee, I wonder where they got their ring from that Max Thrasher happens to be the champion. Yeah, that helps out. All right, Mid-Atlantic Championship for Wrestling taking Morganton, North Carolina at the Collette Street Recreation Center on November 11th. Colt Steele over Brett Page. Ethan Cage or Ricky Nelson by disqualification. Jeff Justice over Mad Max. Ricky Morton over Bobby Eaton by disqualification. Lodi and Curtis Thompson went to a double DQ with J.W. Boss and L.A. Stevens. Andrew Bain, A-N-D-R-U-E, over Show Nuff. Jeff Justice over Wayne Johnson. Curtis Thompson and Lodi over Tracy James and Brett Page. Kevin Kirby over Ethan Cage, and Bobby Eaton and Ricky Nelson over Mad Max Ricky Morton by disqualification. I guess the main thing to talk about here is uh, Double Duty Ethan Cage here is uh, High Spots proprietor Michael Pekikia. Yeah. You and, know, when, uh, they were, uh, when they were about to shut down the original High Spots Wrestling Network, I did, I did do a search for Ethan Cage and found one show that he was on on his own network. But it was years after this. It was long after High Spots started. It was a High Spots filmed show. What were you about to say? No, I was say that uh, you had Lodi and Curtis Thompson as a tag team here. That's something. Yeah. Is Lodi still in WCW at all, or is he completely... No, he's gone. It's okay. too, late 2000, he's and, gone. Yeah. And I forget, Does this is this overlapping with CWF at all, or is that a completely separate company? Uh, Yeah. Separate. Okay. 
All right, uh, Sabu added the NWA World Heavyweight title to his XPW title and the belt he for Stampede Wrestling when a win over champ Mike Rapod on the room 14th in Tampa before about 500 fans after putting him through a table. The two have rematches set for December 1st in Michigan and December 12th in Tampa. At the night of decisions at the Fort Homer Solar Armory in uh, Tampa. So Opening is this, this is Howard Brody or this is his IPW? It's NWA, it's NWA Florida. If it's just NWA Florida, then it's Howard Brody, I guess, right? Well, our opening match is Miss Nobuki Kazaga over Naoshi Sano. Sure. Why not? No, this didn't take place in capture. It's I don't know. That's not really a capture match. I would. That's more of a uh, Onita Pro, maybe an IWA Japan, maybe even an EWF. I'm just saying that type of promotion capture. I'm not saying capture like in general. Capture tier, sure, yeah, sure, yes. sure. Yes, uh, Kikotaro though is a higher tier of indie wrestler than uh, our beloved Naoshi Sano though. That followed up by a Texas Death Match where Adam Windsor beat Brett Cameron Dale in your uh, Marty Funk offer match. Cyborg or Amazon Freddy? Oh, Amazon Freddy. Is that Nightmare Freddy's package delivery? Uh, <laughs> I guess uh, gimmick. The new Heavenly Bodies, Chris Nelson and Vito Danucci over Hector oh. Guerrero and Nick Nitrous. Then uh, Lex Lovett won the Florida Junior Heavyweight title, beating Pepe Prado. B. Brian Blair won a steel cage match over Steve Kern. Sabu won the, when Sabu won the title for Mike Rapala in your main event. And I don't remember how long he holds the title, but Sabu's NWA world title reign basically is a big nothing where the most memorable thing is uh, a wild side show where he shows up in no condition to perform. Yep. Which, which, which Bill then sold the tape of on TV advertising it as Sabu's controversial uh, NWA title defense. He sure did. I didn't miss South. They ran Charlestown, the house hardcore on November 11th. Fans ran the weapons. Man, man, pond over Allison fear suicide kid over Jaden Drago. BJ Whitmer went a two out of three falls over Hazaya. Harry Palmer, Mark Wolf over Cash Flow and Rolling Hard. And then uh, Todd Morton went to a no contest with Bull Payne in the IW Heavyweight title match, which Todd Morton retained his title. They continued the MCW Power Pro feud as the Highland of Memphis wrestled on the mirror 11th as Mick Foley did interview, saying he was as WF commissioner, also commissioner of, of both of those promotions. Sure. R- Randy Hales had announced this week that Bill Dundee was the commissioner of Power Pro. Then when MCW wrestler Steve Bradley beat Power Pro wrestler Spellbinder for the Power Pro title, when MCW wrestler Fabulous Rocker interfered with a sign and was wearing a ref shirt to count the pin, Dundee reversed the decision. Jerry Lawler threw a fireball at Brandon Baxter at an unseen angle where they claimed Slash attacked Lawler with a tire iron when he was trying to help Baxter change a flat tire. Well, there that is. Rep Pro, they ran the, a Rudos Dojo anniversary show in Anaheim on November 10th. American Wild Child and Excalibur over Demento and Gallinero. King Fabiano went to a no contest with Matt Sinister. Mr. Excitement retained the Rep Pro Mexican Lucha Libre heavyweight title over Jason Redondo. And then Buddy George and Rising Sun defeated Disco Machine and Ultra Taro Jr. So yeah. a rare, rare rare Rep Pro show without Super Dragon. Who the hell is Buddy George? <laughs> it's Buddy George. Who? And then he's main eventing. Buddy George worked the uh, SoCal shows. But is he known by any other name? I just know him as Buddy George. 
I'm sure Taro will definitely be the talking, talking about him in the DMs. So there's that. We don't think this is any relative of his without a mask, do we? It's possible. Anything's possible. Who to go to work this first America show since it's firing in WCW in November 11th with San Bernardino for XPW? The main event of the show was Sabu winning a three-way with Big Dave Dudley and John Cronus. Because when you get fired from the number two promotion in North America for uh, stripping nude and freaking out in a foreign country after smoking a joint laced with PCP, the promotion you immediately want to go work for is XPW. This was dismembered in November. Get it? <laughs> Jesus um, Christ. Uh, in Orange Pavilion in San Bernardino. What a ridiculous human being Rob Black is in every way. So you had Kid Chaos over Who to Guerrero in your opener. Pogo the Clown over Crack. Steve Rizzono over Roddy Raw D. Tool won a three-way over Homeless Jimmy and Johnny Webb. Messiah won the King of the Deathmatch title beating Supreme. And then Sabu retained the SPW title beating Dick, Big Dick Dudley and John Cronus. Oh, what a wonderful week Sabu had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. Uh, quite the uh, week in the U.S. independent scene here. Yes, and we should note, by the way, Crack is spelled K-R-A-Q. Yes. And who's the other one I wanted to ask her? Who the hell is Roddy Roddy? I don't know. I do not remember that person. Well, it's XBW. Who cares? Pretty much. All right, let's close out with World Wrestling Federation. And only the first day tickets were put on sale for the event. World Wrestling Federation's WrestleMania 17, X7, has already become the biggest grossing pro wrestling event ever held in the United States. Tickets for the event, which will take place on April 1st at the Astrodome in Houston, were put on sale on November 11th. And by the end of business that day, had sold 48,395 tickets for $2.706 million. In fact, two seven zero six six eighty. With the exception of SummerSlam 92 in London, England, at Wembley Stadium, which is believed that sold well over 50,000 tickets. There are many conflicting stories as to just how quickly tickets sold because it was announced to sell out publicly on the first day. And then in England, they were continuing to advertise that tickets were available and selling tickets until the day of the show. The first day they were put on sale. It was believed that most tickets ever sold on the first day were put on sale in the history of pro wrestling. For recorded sports entertainment, the November 9th, 1997 K-1 Grand Prix Tournament Tokyo Dome sold out 54,500 paid tickets in the first two hours they were put on sale which would be the quickest dome stamp set out we're aware of. Ugh. It's a K-1 Grand Prix in 1997. They had a stage, so probably closer to low 40s. It's believe the most tickets actually sold the first day for a Tokyo show was in a range of 40,000, both for the UWS 1989 show headlined by Akira Maeda versus Willie Wilhelm and 1995 for the famous Nobuka Takada Keijimuto match promoted by New Japan. While the Houston show won't break any North American attendance and gate records due to the size of the Astrodome, it has already, nearly five months ahead of time, broken the American gate record of $1.628 million for the April 2nd, 1989 WrestleMania at Trump Plaza in Atlantic City, headlined by Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. The latest available figures, which were as of midday on November 12th, for 49,544, sold for $2.735625 million. At that point, there were 8,600 tickets left on sale, all priced at $20. Because WF wasn't nearly as certain about the success of selling the cheap tickets, they had done a promotion with the Houston Chronicle so that those tickets can actually be purchased for $15. I mean, the gate would increase somewhere in the neighborhood of 130 to 132 grand based on tickets available at this point in time. There are another 3,700 destructive view tickets that eventually put on sale. 
And another group of tickets that may total as many as 4,400 that are currently being held for potential comps, corporate sponsors, etc., some which also may put on sale, meaning a maximum of 66,200 in the building for the show. But the gate will likely fall short of North America record of 3.45 million in U.S. dollars, more than 4.1 million Canadian for WrestleMania 6 up the Sky Dome in Toronto, headlined by Hogan and Warrior. 86,200 fans in the building. It will be the eighth largest recorded crowd for pro wrestling history. There are many unverified claims of crowds in the 50 to 100,000 range in India, Pakistan, and Singapore over the past century. It will be the second largest crowd ever in the United States. At this point, the paid attendance is already second largest ever for a pro wrestling event in the United States. As both uh, April 5th, 92, WrestleMania at the Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis, Helen Hogan and Sid, which puts 62,167 in the building. And the January 21st, 97, Alamo Dome show Royal Rumble in San Antonio, Sean versus Sid, which puts 60,525 in the building, were heavily papered houses. The largest crowd in the history of American pro wrestling was 78,000. You know, the one forever build is 93,000. For the March 29, 1987, WrestleMania 3 at the Pontiac Silverdome, headlined by Hogan and Andre. That show sold about 23,000 tickets the first day they went on sale. And in line with this show, that was with the Hogan-Andre match already announced. Psychology was a totally different for that era. Her wrestling was mainly a walk-up business. Today, usually about 70% of the tickets for, to a WFWCW show will be sold the first day they're put on sale. And large walk-ups are a thing of the past. The largest live gate ever pro wrestling is believed to be $7 million for the April 4th, 1998 Tokyo Dome show for Antonio Inoki's retirement, headlined by Inoki versus Don Fry. I mean, this ended up being, you know, <laughs> one of the biggest successes they, they had. Um, and this really is what spawns what WrestleMania is today, is this show. Um, they ended up ended up doing an announced uh, 67,925, 62,885 paid. So, but yeah, what WrestleMania is today is because of this. This um, is the first you, modern stadium WrestleMania. Because you look at the year earlier in 2000. They ran the Anaheim Pond. <laughs> they ran the, the Arrowhead Pond, you know, so. And this, this ends up a, being a three and a half million dollar gate in 2001 money. And this is basically the end of the Attitude Era is the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is the end of the Attitude Era because the WCW thing is about is about to get started. Austin Rock this is their last hurrah, basically, in a way, you know, as a, against each other. So, yeah. yeah. Now the the real birth of like the modern mania, like economy, is with the, is in Detroit uh, for Mania twenty three, six years later, because that's the first one back at a stadium after they did a few years not in stadiums to do arenas in the top three markets. But the big part is that it was the beginning of the modern, like, cities bidding for Mania thing. Yeah. And then after Orlando raised the bar the next year, it that became basically the standard. Yeah. This set the template, and then they, you know, went further years later. I mean, this is... I don't know if this is the first year of fan access, but it's one of the first years it's a really big deal, and where they're doing all the different events in the city and stuff. So it's 
setting the template. You know, they had done some of that in prior years. You know, there was the, whatever, the party thing at, in 99 or whatever they called it that aired on USA. There was, um, you know, the stuff in Atlantic City in 88 and 89. There are different things they tried, but this is the first step really towards the modern manias, which then picks up uh, six years later. Yeah, and and <clears throat> WWF was still fairly hot at this time, so that's another thing that goes into people wanting to buy these tickets. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, although things are shifting a little bit, maybe not necessarily in ratings or anything yet, but Stephanie McMahon has replaced Chris Kresge as head writer. Yeah. Yeah, th- there's uh, stuff come about to come here. So. Well... Outside the ring, they have other issues during our week. Yes. <laughs> WFE Inc. filed a lawsuit on November 9th against L. Brent Bozell, the Media Research Center Inc., Parents Television Council, South Florida Attorney James Lewis, PTC Executive Director Mark Honig, and any members of PTC Advisory Board who were parties to what the lawsuit claimed were unlawful conduct. The lawsuit has startling similarities to the 1992 lawsuit filed by Titan Sports and Vince McMahon against Phil Mushnick, which was later dropped. The strategic purpose is likely identical, an attempt to quiet an adversary by putting them in a legal position to where they couldn't comment on WS subject matter. In this case, along with Mushnick, whose influence was indirect, the PTC has done some serious damage to WF in regards to sponsors walking away from the product. This past week, there was a claim that one major toy chain F.A.O. Schwartz was refusing to carry Dove merchandise aimed to children, although others state they had already stopped carrying Dove merchandise before that time. The domino effect in this regard started last year and has continued even as the product itself has gotten far more tame. Maybe Dave just isn't looking that deep into what Bozell's been claiming, but the big difference here is that Bozell did defame WWE and Moshnick did not. Maybe Dave thought Mushnick did. <laughs> no, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's not realizing the depths of how... Well, actually, you know what? In fairness to Dave, I just remembered this part. The most defamatory things they said were not on the website. It was in their email list. It took me a minute to remember that part. Um, so that may have to do with why Dave thinks it's similar. He thinks Bozell is just, he's being loud and obnoxious, but he's mostly just describing things that are actually airing on TV. When it's actually not quite that. It's hard to ascertain where this goes next. It's going to potentially place Bozell in a martyr role and help him garner publicity for his organization and his fundraising. Or it could result in Bozell supporters bailing on him to save themselves from the hassle of being involved in a lawsuit, which would no doubt get nasty in a hurry. The key to the lawsuit would be proving that Bozell and other defendants knowingly lied with malicious purpose in their campaign to get sponsors to pull advertising from the WF SmackDown program and had damaged the WF product name and business in doing so. The lawsuit states torturous interference in contracts, product disparagement, and defamation all based on statements that have been said or written about WF leading the sponsors pulling out. The key would be to prove a malicious purpose, which is a tricky one since the PTC does have a consistent, if one chooses to believe it's a wrong-headed viewpoint, of being against all television shows with excessive violence and sexual content in early primetime hours when children could watch. 
The other key is that the defendants said statements they knew weren't true, which if it can be proven that's the case, then the malicious purpose could go possibly go hand in hand. The 38-page lawsuit filed by Kirkpatrick and Lockhart of Pittsburgh and Attorney Jeremy Devitt states in particular, according to a Doja press release, that Bozell concocted a false list of advertisers who have pulled their support from SmackDown to create the misleading impression that his tactics have been effective. Actually, that statement right there is questionable, as it was written. Because if the tactics hadn't been effective, there are no damages, and it weakens the WF's lawsuit. The WF, when sponsors began pulling out in December, had publicly claimed they were making more money from advertising than the pullout because new sponsors were gobbling up the spots, pulled their premium prices. Which would mean, even if the PTC had lied and had malicious purpose at that time, and at the beginning it would be a lot more difficult to prove, either, let alone both, based on those statements, the WF would have had a hard time collecting damages to their own claims by not selling early that they hadn't been damaged. However, recent weeks and the lawsuit itself, the company's reversed that position, claimed they had been damaged, which, if it has the case, was say the tactics they claimed they were misleading people into thinking were effective, actually were effective. The lawsuit also talks about the PTC threatening to denounce advertisers as not being family-friendly if they didn't withdraw support from the WS programming. Actually, the PTC, for whatever reason, the reason being they only monitor network programming, not cable programming, only went to SmackDown and not WF programming which is a differentiation on lawsuit and story filed on both sides by splitting hairs at the times misleading, but not necessarily dishonest statements. It also claimed they used the same pattern to threaten major retailers and to raise funds using the same malicious and false statements about WFE. The crux of the false statements are twofold. There is the much talked about list with the much talked about statement on the PTC website that is a list of sponsors that have vowed not to sponsor SmackDown because of its content. And not necessarily, although at least a dozen fall in this category as well, sponsors that were former advertisers that pulled out. PTC has not gotten 37 national. National being none of those key words because there are companies that have bought local ads on SmackDown on the PTC list, which they claim shouldn't be on the list. Sponsors to pull out their programming, but I've gotten eight or nine of the 28 biggest sponsors the company listed in its IPO last year to pull out of SmackDown, which is a very significant hit. The second and probably most important claim is the claim that WF program in some form had did something to do with four murders over the past two years or so. And in particular, it goes after the much publicized South Florida case where juvenile Lionel Tate, who had a history of delinquency, is accused of murdering Tiffany Eunuch. Where it's questionable is there have been allusions in PTC publicity that SmackDown caused the problems. In most cases, in question actually took place before late August 1999 when SmackDown debuted. The lawsuit goes at the Bozell salary and expenses paid from the fundraising activities and that the Better Business Bureau of Metro Washington, D.C. cited him and the Media Research Center, parent company PTC, with failure to comply with requirements regarding fundraising practices. Much of the lawsuit background is laced with wording that is surprising to find a lawsuit largely attacking Bozell's right-wing political viewpoint and attempts to taint him because his father was allegedly associated with Senator Joseph McCarthy in the 50s and for his alleged hatred of homosexuals. It is somewhat ironic that a wrestling company would complain about gay baiting since it's been a classic part of heel characteristics designed to get a negative reaction from wrestling fans and pro wrestling for decades. It notes Bozell was once a campaign treasurer for Pat Buchanan, ironically enough, a recent WS sponsor in his 1992 presidential campaign. Bozell operates several nonprofit organizations, one which is the PTC. They claim Bozell's use of the name PTC is fraudulent because there's no such counsel, but simply a name given for a fundraising activity. 
Although the same can be said for many fundraising groups. Yes. Also amusing because um, didn't make it into the article, but years ago when I interviewed uh, the late Dr. Fred Hatfield of the World Bodybuilding Federation for uh, the Fighting Spirit magazine article I did about the WBF, he mentioned to me how much it bothered Joe Weider that Vince McMahon used the names World Wrestling Federation and World Bodybuilding Federation when he wasn't a member of the, like, international whatever of sports federations like Weider was. <laughs> PTC was registered in California as a fictitious name organization owned by Media Research Center. Bozell talks about members, but the NMRC doesn't have members. However, the belief is the people they claim as members would be the people who send money. They claim the fundraising has been knowing have been a knowing violation of Better Business Bureau standards for charitable solicitation because it failed to break down expenses. The suit claims Bozell started in August to incorporate the PTC as a separate legal entity to separate its records from those of the MRC as a Delaware-based nonprofit religious corporation, largely to avoid scrutiny. It claims the matching dollars for contributions the PTC has pushed in promotional material and many major newspaper ads in recent weeks would actually compromise the matching dollars to the PTC from the MRC, from money already sent in as contributions. The only thing written by Bozell in his defense was stating that based on the press release issued by WFE, I can say allegations are completely without merit. I can imagine their pleading would contain the kind of scurrious language in his press release. It does which is so outrageous that it is now being examined by our attorneys in consideration of a counterclaim for libel. Even if Bozell files in a short run, it could mean he's fallen deeper into a trap because being entangled in legalities could quiet him up and cost his organization more money. And the WF has the finances to where a prolonged legal battle works in their favor. And legal stalemate is realistic win for the WF. In a game where more right and wrong, whatever that really means, and for the end result, because it's doubtful it will ever get this far as have a trial, may not matter nearly as much as the strategy played. The Dio suit claims in the summer of 1999 that Bozell used WF to be an unwilling fundraising vehicle. According to the suit, for Bozell, his extremist views and his continuing fraud on the public. They say he began attending to coerce sponsors and advertisers not advertise the intent of entering the WF and use that success to solicit more money. Any group has the right to inform advertisers that they disagree with the product they advertise on. They can even pressure using boycotts or bad publicity as a threat. So long as the information they use to inform advertisers leads to the decisions they make isn't fraudulent, which is the key here. So the case depends on the veracity and knowing falsehood of the claims they've made. The suit claims Bozell used the big lie. A term used as an offshoot because his father allegedly was involved with McCarthy, whose political tactics in later years were referred to as such to tell advertisers that WF is guilty of blatantly marketing pornography to children. The veracity of that statement depends on one's definition of the word pornography. But there has been enough product content that one can certainly make a case, and even a strong one. In defense of that, because there have been things on the show, particularly in 1999 during the Vince Russo era, that would certainly fit into at least a loose definition of pornography, and children make up a strong percentage of the viewership at the time, and in fact a stronger percentage at that point than now. The irony in the claim that the term pornography was a libelous term in the same lawsuit. And it's claiming the popularity of the WF products, citing specifically that China and Sable were on the cover of Playboy, a magazine originally considered softcore porn. There's claim he said that the program violates criminal laws, which if he did say it would be far more questionable because that's a statement that appears to be without any foundation. 
Though your programming causes the murders of four children is the crux of whatever actual meat there is in a lawsuit. Bozell also has claimed that Vincent and Linda McMahon are worse than Larry Flint, which is certainly a point one could make for a very strong argument against, because clearly if there is or was a degree of pornography in the WF product, Flint goes much farther than McMahon's ever dreamed of going in that direction. I'll say. But a defense of that position could be made if one accepts the viewpoint that parts of the product have been pornographic, and that Flint never directly marketed to an audience so young. Probably the gist of the case of the case is anything more than attempting to quiet down Bozell and stop what seems to be regular stories about sponsors pulling out is the Lionel Tate alleged murder of Tiffany Eunuch in South Florida, which gained widespread local publicity and some national publicity when Tate's public defender James Lewis attempted to use pro wrestling as a diminished capacity defense in the case. Lewis attempted to subpoena and called to the stand several of the biggest names of wrestling, including Terry Bollea, Steve Borden, and Dwayne Johnson, for what appeared to be a publicity stunt. That defense has already been thrown out, and all the rest of her excuse for testifying. The claim is that Bozell and Lewis conspired to make this entire wrestling connection story up and make up that the murder in some form had something to do with WF. In reality, when Lewis first gave publicity, he claimed Tate was imitating behavior from a television commercial involving Sting, which would have nothing to do with pro wrestling. Which would have to do with pro wrestling, but not WF. Bozell never jumped on the case un- until long after it had garnered significant local publicity, and all the aforementioned cases made local, and in most cases national publicity, were inc- connected by the media to wrestling long before Bozell was likely ever aware of them. In specific, it mentioned Lewis appearing in a PTC fundraising video blaming pro wrestling for the murder and saying there's absolutely no reason that anyone in this case can point to other than a child acting out fantasies he sees on television and not really understanding the ramifications of that type of physical contact. Dr. Michael Brannon, who in another life wrestled as Dr. Red Roberts, interviewed Tate for the trial. Said that Tate was aware that pro wrestling was fake, which weakened Lewis's argument. Although a child understanding pro wrestling is fake doesn't necessarily rule out an inability to understand potential ramifications of a brutal beating based on viewing a pro wrestling. Lewis is using wrestling as a diminished capacity defense, even if wrestling did make Tate more aggressive or less understanding of the repercussions of physical violence is pretty specious to begin with as a legal defense for murder. That's a different issue than a potential underlying trigger point. The lawsuit's claim is that since pro wrestling was thrown out as a diminished capacity in the Tate defense, that therefore it had nothing to do with the murder. Pro wrestling may very well have had nothing to do with it, and it may have been just creation of a defense where no good one existed. But that's also potentially the same misleading logic used in the mid-90s as the Vince McMahon was acquitted on conspiracy to distribute steroid charges. His acquittal meant the WF never had a steroid problem, or even that use never existed to a great degree, when in fact all the testimony in the trial said exactly the opposite. Justin McMahon himself committed no crime as it pertained to the distribution of the drugs. The claim is that Tate's own experts in the case concluded blaming pro wrestling was based on lies by Tate and that Lewis and Bozell have continued to use this murder in various interviews and literature for publicity, fundraising, and meetings with sponsors. In letters to the CEOs of Toys R Us, F.L. Schwartz, and KB Toys, Bozell wrote that Tate killed Unit by performing several wrestling moves on her with this lawsuit attempting to imply he didn't use wrestling moves. The problem is that any maneuver that someone would beat someone to death with has at one time been used in pro wrestling, so it's virtually impossible. You know, the lawsuit claims it as being a false statement to claim anything involving physical beating isn't a pro wrestling move, even if it wasn't a move learned necessarily from pro wrestling. It cites in the PTC Insider there is a claim that WF Wrestling calls four children's murders and claims the defendants know that claim is false. In order the PTC has purchased stock of some WF advertisers, then have appeared at stockholder meetings, given presentations about the product, including the claim of four murders inspired by pro wrestling, and asked companies to pull out advertising. 
The suit noted that Honig's appearance at the Conagra stockholders meeting, which Dave has ship RD here, but Conagra now is major. Lots of stuff. Uh, talking about four deaths caused by children and wrestling moves learned by watching shows like SmackDown, claiming police reports, autopsy reports, and attorneys for defendants point the finger blame of the wrestling industry that purposely targets children as an audience. It also noted the late Steve Allen made a st- similar statement in the recent MCIWorld.com sto- stockholders convention. Yes, Steve Allen of the Tonight Show fame and WrestleMania uh, 6 fame. The PTC on this website at one point referred to the cases as recent day of tragedies. Certainly Lewis's first public claim in the case involving Steve Borden would have had a pro wrestling tie-in, but not a WF tie-in. Where Bozell may have stepped over the line in his promotional video talking about the four murders, stating the perpetrators were copying what they watched on television with a key line, the fingers pointing directly to SmackDown, and they still don't care. As mentioned, me in these cases took place before SmackDown even existed. However, does that mean a jury would differentiate SmackDown from the more broad pro wrestling industry as a whole? And for that matter, should it? The lawsuit also claims none of the three deaths have anything to do with pro wrestling or WF because, among other things, no legal charges are ever brought or investigating as WF for other three murders. Again, that's not necessarily an all-encompassing argument, as the Owen Hart case would show. As there were no legal charges ever brought against WF in the case, yet they paid a high settlement figure for, for a wrongful death civil case, which one indicated a form of responsibility. There's been publicity claiming the parents of Unit were considering filing a lawsuit against WF, although in that case, Dave couldn't imagine what valid grounds they could have for it. They blamed the Washington murder case, which aired on the Wrestling with Death special on Court TV, which Dave thought was a very weak connection with wrestling, on a babysitter, the connection being he was almost obsessed with wrestling fans and used wrestling moves on the child in the murder, beating up a child because he was tired of hearing him crying. The death of a child in Georgia in the case where the kids were supposed to watch a video of a WF pay show while the man in charge of taking care of them left them all alone and a baby was beaten to death. It was credited to a child saying he was trying to knock cockroaches off the baby. I remember that. The Dallas case where a seven-year-old gave his three-year-old sibling a clothesline, which he told police was something he learned from watching Stone Cold and the Undertaker was called an accidental death when the younger child hit her head on a hard surface. The claim is that Bozell and the PTC have in fundraising letters claimed to have convinced nearly 40 major advertisers to drop their support of SmackDown, which if the letters read as imply would be false because the figure is significantly lower, and the term drop their support does in this case indicate they must have at one point supported it. It is dishonest as well, as misleading to list 40 companies. But the fact that there are many companies on the list that are legitimate, so that just to the point is correct – but it's an exaggerated, and thus, due to the exaggeration, a dishonest point. Dave is being really charitable to Bozell here when he should be. Uh, uh, whether a valid point but exaggerated being dishonest constitutes libel, as opposed to an exaggeration, is a tough one to call. Because the legal terminology constituting libel is a reckless disregard of the truth. Okay, well, no, <sighs> defamation in the U.S. as it applies to public figures, and I guess we would also say corporations, is you need to act with actual malice, meaning you knew that it wasn't true, or reckless disregard for the truth, which means you basically indicated you did not care whether or not it was true. That's how defamation works in the U.S. Now, real quick, because I don't want to forget about this, and there's going to be a lot to go over, so I don't want to lose the thread... Uh, I pulled up the PTC website on the Wayback Machine, specifically their SmackDown uh, campaign page. October 13th, snapshot. The heading for the sponsor list is 
sponsors who have pulled their support. Next capture, January 11th. Sponsors who will not advertise on SmackDown. Hmm. Wonder why they changed that. <laughs> and let me see if the description's any different, too. So, October, it was list of sponsors that responded to the PTC and promised to maintain family-friendly advertising practices. Send a brief thank you note to them. And... Okay, and yeah, same description in January. But still, like... Bazell's realizing he fucked up. Of course, this is no defense of anything, only an irony that figure claim is no less inaccurate than 14 million voters watching the program every week or the ridiculous claim of a half a billion viewers watching worldwide that they used to claim or any of the routine exaggerations that are part and parcel of every business, let alone the infinite exaggerations and outright lies within the pro wrestling business before becoming a public company. And even after, with them adding viewers to every single show up and presenting them in a misleading fashion that's all different viewers. The WF routinely exaggerated its numbers to give misleading impressions about its popularity. The suit claims Bozell threatened congressional hearings and today advertising practices are army unless they dropped advertising on SmackDown. The suit was also critical of the PTC making money off merchants using Toys R including Toys R Us on their marketplace, where visitors could purchase WF items as well as they could link to another website that sold lewd greeting cards. While true, this would have been considered a cheap shot since the PTC dropped Toys R Us immediately when word came out one of uh, could potentially to purchase their toys through their own website. And know that besides the aforementioned FAO Schwartz, they are also attempting to purchase toys or us and KB toys to drop carriage and WF merchandise aimed at children. End scene. Well. <sighs> I, I, I have some very disappointing news, by the way. Uh, there is no SmackDown recap for our week on parentstv.org. Well, uh, we got some that recap from Brian Alvarez, so that, we'll have that coming up. Uh, uh, six and one, half there. dozen of the other. <laughs> we'll, we'll have that coming up uh, as we get finished discussing all this shit. But <sighs> Brent Bozell, <sighs> it's crazy to think about, you know, it's been that long since all this is going on between Brent Bozell and, um, you know, other groups like this. Um, and when and when you say group, we should be clear. Like the thing WWE alleged is true. Like there's no actual group of parents. This is just Bozell. It's Bozell and his flunkies. Yeah. This isn't like what we have going on in say Florida, where you had these nut job parents that are trying to uh, get librarians arrested. For pornography. Right. As ridiculous as it is, there's still an actual group of parents there. Yes. Yeah, there. Yeah, that's actually going on. This is Bozell and his flunkies trying to trying to you know go on a jihad against the WF. You know the thing is though, and Dave, Dave brings up the the point early on in all this. None of this starts until they get they get on SmackDown. Until they get on UPN. Until they get on broadcast television. Yes. Now, Bozell would in later years, I forget exactly when, but as cable, as the cable broadcast divide became lesser, I think, I think part of it was with South Park's ratings getting bigger and bigger. Um, he eventually expands to covering cable shows, but at the time, I think as an idea of, well, this is, this gives us a better argument, 
he was focusing on the public airwaves. And it's well, also another thing too is he started getting more um, appearances on Fox News. So that's when he started going out to more cable stuff. Hmm. But it's just, I mean, you you read all this stuff that this guy was doing, and it's like, good God. I mean, why? Why are you like this? But but that, that, there are people, I mean, West, was it Westboro Baptist Church? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's like those, those folks. And that they barely actually exist. Yeah, but what whatever they do would get covered by the media so hard that it made them much more important than what they actually should have been. Yes. See, the media eats this stuff up like catnip. So they they prop Brozell and people like was it was it was the guy from Fred uh, Fred Phelps. It was basically Fred just him and his immediate family. It was the Westboro Baptist yeah. Church. But the media propped them up so much because of what they were. That, you know, it gave them this platform to get their shit out there, you know, and that's what this is with Bozell. And I mean, any idiot could see that the Lionel Tate thing was, I mean, it's just, it's insane to tie tie that in like they tied it in. And they went so far with it. When... uh... When this ends up getting settled and he has to make that big payment and also issue the public apology, which I the public apology, which I do have open and I should read in a few minutes. One of the things that comes up, and I don't know if he ever said this publicly or only said it to sponsors or what, was that he had been misled by a source into uh saying that Lionel Tate had used the Stone Cold Stunner to kill Tiffany Eunuch. It's probably fucking Lewis. You know, I mean, him, him and Lewis were working hand in hand, but I mean, yeah, this is all fundraising videos. And, and how about the part where he's uh, trying to, you know, do the PTC, the separate thing to try to hide how much money he's, he's pulling out of the fundraising to pay himself. Mm-hmm. It's fucking insane. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the article I did for Fighting Spirit years ago to refresh my memory about, you know, the whole WWE PTC thing. When push comes to shove and everyone gets to see, like, the you know, the transcripts of the interviews and stuff with Lionel Tate, the only thing that's remotely a pro wrestling reference, and even then it's really not, was that he refers to the way he grabbed her as a bear hook. Which is not a term that is limited to pro wrestling. No. And then of all people, the guy interviewed him is fucking Dr. Red Roberts. <laughs> I mean, Michael well, Brandon well, is a very legit forensic psycho. Is he? I forget. Is he a psychologist or psychiatrist? Something like that, either or. But I'm saying the fact that he's the one that doesn't. <laughs> okay, he, he's an MD. He's a forensic psychiatrist. A guy that was a former wrestler. Yeah. I mean, Bozell was so full of shit. Yes. But. The media loved talking about him because of, of, of like we said, they love this type of stuff. Yeah. They love it. So, and this doesn't get settled till July '02. All right, so let, I mean, I mean, Bozell calls you know the pornography, this, that, and the other. Um, 
I mean, really, the only thing you can say about, I mean, yeah, they did have partial nudity on television in 90, in 99, in 98, 99, you know, Jacqueline. Well, Jacqueline Cat. was uh, more accidental on television, but, and even then, Jack- none of that was on UPN. No, well, there's no SmackDown. Jacqueline, the cat, all this stuff he's pointing to was not on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about this whole thing. And why didn't, I mean, why wouldn't people pressing him more on this was like, dude, all this stuff you're talking about never took place on SmackDown and you're going after SmackDown, not the WWF. I mean, it's, it's laid out here. He's going after SmackDown because it's on network television. Yeah. So, uh, I guess maybe I should actually try to pull this up on way back because the, I'm not finding his actual full uh, apology statement anywhere in terms of articles or the WWE press release, but I don't like. I mean, he's he's a is he came he was raised by a guy who worked with fucking McCarthy. Like, why are we expecting any level of truth from him? Yeah, you know. It's a miracle that he didn't call everyone a bunch of homosexual Jews. You know, like... Yeah, well... Yeah, that would have been something. Considering who's involved. Vincent Mann. Yeah, Vincent yeah. Mann's a homosexual Jew. <laughs> yeah, well... But, uh, then again, though, Chris... Who, who, who was... Uh, who was McCarthy's actual right-hand man? A homosexual Jew. Roy Cohn. Yes. Although, as uh, as the Pacino version of Roy Cohn says in Angels in America, does a homosexual have the man he's sleeping with go up to the president and shake his hand? Or whatever <laughs> that whole speech is. Well, well, I wa- have you ever watched the documentary on Roy Cohn that was on, uh, I think it was Showtime a few years ago? Or HBO? I think it was HBO. I don't think so. He he despised being called homosexual. I know. He despised people thinking he was gay. He was very gay. But he was very gay. Okay, here was, we go. It's, uh, it was, he basically said it was that's it, that what he was doing was normal in his mind. So there's no, you know, to be called such a disparaging term like that makes him seem abnormal. Well, okay, so here here's the Angels in America speech, uh, where he's talking to his doctor, played by James Cromwell. Your problem, Henry, is that you're hung up on words, on labels, that you believe they mean what they seem to mean. AIDS, homosexual, gay, lesbian. You think these are names that tell you who someone sleeps with. But they don't tell you that. No. Like all labels, they tell you one thing and one thing only. Where does an individual so identified fit in the food chain and the pecking order? Not ideology or sexual taste, but something much simpler. Clout. Not who I fuck or who fucks me, but who will pick up the phone when I call? Who owes me favors? That is what a label refers to. Now, to someone who does not understand this, homosexual is what I am because I have sex with men. But really, this is wrong. Homosexuals are not men who sleep with other men. Homosexuals are men who, in 15 years of trying, cannot get a piss-ant anti-discrimination bill through city council. 
homosexuals are men who ha- who know nobody and who nobody knows, who have zero clout. I think they left a line or two out of this, but does that sound like me, Henry? You, uh, I mean... Denial ain't just a river in Egypt. Well, <laughs> boy, doesn't Roy Combs sound like a lot like Paul Heyman. <laughs> And it's right there. I mean, when I watched that documentary, I'm sitting. I was sitting there thinking, "Holy shit, this is like." I mean, this is Paul Heyman rationale. It, it really is. Homosexuals are men who know nobody and who nobody knows who have zero clout. Does this sound like me, Henry? It's just just his just the way he explains things is like yes, Paul Heyman ex- I get what you're explaining saying. things. And, and here's nothing about Roy Cohn. Without Roy Cohn, there's no Donald Trump. Yes, he was his mentor. There's that. And Roy Cohn was the guy who um, defended Steve Carell, the other one from Studio Fifty Four. You mean Steve, no, Steve uh, Rubell. Rubell? Rubell, excuse me, Steve Rubell. Steve Rubell from Studio Fifty Four and all that shit. That was going on with the what, 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 what they were racketeering and all that shit they had going on. Some, something like that. So that dude was something else. I said, why? If you if anybody's ever seen that documentary, I mean, hadn't seen it, find it because that is something. There's an HBO documentary, you said. I, it's either HBO Showtime. I want to say it's HBO. All but right. uh, uh, okay, I found the uh, oh son of a bitch. 404 object not found. Motherfucker. Okay, well. So they deleted this from their website within two months. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up Wayback with the specific URL to see if there's an actual hit. That would make this much funnier if they deleted this thing like almost immediately. I gotta think McDevitt made them put it back at some point, right? I okay, guess. yeah, there's there's nothing until September 13th, and I see on Wayback, I do not see the blue bubbles. I see the uh, I see the beige ones, which I believe are all file not found. Is so I'll I'll pull up the Variety article and read from that. But 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 Bozell, I mean, all this is a fucking hustle, man. It's all a fucking hustle, and dude was getting money, big money. Appearances, fundraisers, all this other stuff. He was getting, I mean, how about the stuff? Buying stock in these companies so they can show up at the stockholders meetings to do their shit. Well, that's an old stunt. That's not just him, but. I know, but still. Okay, from the Variety article, since I can't find the full statement anywhere. Uh, I'm trying to figure out where it should actually start. Comparing Vince and Linda, saying Vince and Linda are worse than Larry Flint. That was something. Well, I can think of some ways where they are. Uh, okay, in the retraction statement issued July 3rd, Al Brempozel, president of PTC, said he, quote, was incorrect and wrong to have blamed WWE or any of its programs for the death. Uh, and then, you know, they explained Tiffany Eunuch, blah, 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 says in the retraction that, quote, unquote, false information from parties to the Tate case led the council to charge that, uh, Council C-O-U-N-C-I-L is in the PTC to charge that Tate was watching wrestling on TV when he killed Eunuch. Instead, the PTC said subsequent facts prove that Tate was actually watching the Flintstones and Cow and Chicken. 
They used, uh, quote-unquote, bogus information about Tate Tilapia advertisers, blah, 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 passing along accusations that we now know are false. I wish I had the full statement. Uh, Bozell went on to say, quote, "'Cause I feel a simple retraction is not sufficient, I have personally extended my apology to Vince McMahon. Through this letter, I now make my apology public and specifically direct it to the advertising community that has, in the past, is currently or may consider advertising or sponsoring WWE programming. And then Variety notes the PTC has signed additional statements promising to, quote, never to interfere with WWE business relationships again, never to urge boycotts of WWE products or the products of WWE advertisers, and to, quote, remove from the PTC website, quote, all references to child deaths and all references to WWE advertisers. The retraction letter must from Bozell must remain on the PTC website for six months. Well, he violated that. Unless it's <laughs> resi- unless I, okay, I'm going to need to dig around to see if this is residing now at a different URL on the site, or if it ended up, you know, being moved to another URL. But at least as it looks from what I pulled up, uh, he did not leave it up for close to six months. Um, so that's something. Ay, ay, ay. Just this whole thing, it just so... I mean, it's, again, it's a hustle. It's all it is. Hello. It's a hustle to get clout. It's a hustle to get money. You know, that's all it is. Yeah. And people were falling... I mean, and, and look at that's all That shit goes on... That shit goes on today, even more now today than it did then. And I forget, what was Bozell the fourth indicted for? Fourth and died of what? Brent Pozell the fourth. What was he uh, convicted of or whatever? Oh, oh storming the Capitol on January 6th. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> of course. Of course. Ooh, ooh. Who could have seen that coming? Um, oh, okay. Now I found... Okay, yes. They, cha- they redesigned their website. That's why I couldn't find it earlier. Let me see if there's anything else of note here. Um... Okay, uh, so Media Research Center, Parent Television Council, Dr. Dolores Tucker, Mark Honig, and I... Oh, oh my God. C. Dr. Dolores, Dolores Tucker. Tucker? C. Dolores Tucker. Who is that? You don't remember C. Dolores Tucker? Mm-mm. <laughs> I, C. Dolores Tucker was um, the most hated woman in hip-hop in the 90s. She, could, she declared war on rap music in the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Um... Oh yeah, she was uh, she was something else. Um, oh, she has two honorary doctoral degrees from Morris College. She went after Tupac. Um, she went after uh, because Tupac, <laughs> her she went to Tupac, and then uh, he rapped on "How Do You Want It," great song. Uh, C. Dolores Tucker used a motherfucker instead of trying to help an N word. You destroy a brother. Um. <laughs> She claimed that uh, his lyrics on her in the track Wonder Why They Call You a Bitch inflicted emotional distress for slanders and invaded her privacy. Oh, she sued him. Okay. Yeah, and that case was dismissed. Um, Yeah, Jay-Z went after her. Um, Lil' Kim went after her. The Game went after her. KRS-One did a whole thing on her. Lil' Wayne, Eminem. (laughs) She later went on to serve on the advisory board of the Parents Television Council until her death in 2005. And yeah, as I'm digging around, yeah, she was deep into this WWE stuff. 
Uh, okay, so back. To, well, actually, wait. Or should I stay side? But back? what she was. I mean, the thing is, though, in the seventies, she was like one of the most influential Black Americans in the country. She was one of these people. She was a big part of the civil rights movement. Yeah, she was one of these people that saw where rap music was going as an old, older, you know, black person and did not like it one bit. And I and I knew him locally around here. I mean, so but she went ne- you know, next level with all her fight on her with hers. So, yeah, um oh, when uh in a meeting with MCI, I don't know if this is the stockholders meeting where she Steve and Steve Allen were there. Steve Allen, yeah, we mentioned him a while ago. She said Steve Allen. She said, bear in mind our outrage over WWE SmackDown, which, by the way, I love that when like when PTC and others put the name here in this era, they always include the exclamation point stylization in the uh, name. Is fueled by the fact that three million children weekly. Wait, there were, were there three million kids watching each week? No. No. Are treated to heavy doses of violence, racial stereotyping, foul language, graphic sexual innuendo and sexist comments. Moreover, be that as it may, and then from there, notwithstanding, a portion of SmackDown airs during the traditional family hour, a time when impressionable children are more likely to be watching television. Are these MCI's values? And then Alan continues, Wrestling shows are having a deadly impact on our children. Your children, excuse me, four children have been killed by peers of emulating wrestling... Okay, blah, 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 I'm not reading this bullshit. I mean, basically, Steve Allen, he's one of these that's got hoodwinked. Yes, he became a fuddy daddy, and he got hoodwinked. They, they, what, what people like Bozell will prey on people like Steve Allen, people that were older, that you know were you know impressionable. They just wanted their, they just wanted things to be like they used to be. Yeah, you know, and it's just people like Bozell. They they see an opportunity like that with with somebody like Steve Allen. They pounce on it, and it. It sadly, it makes people like Steve Allen look like fools. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so Bozell's statement, now that I've found the actual statement uh, in O2. So, uh, so MRC, PTC, Dr. Dolores Tucker, Mark Honig, and I have in the past made statements regarding so-called wrestling deaths. Children killed by other children alleged to be making pro wrestling moves they saw on TV. We made such statements to members of the MRC and PTC. You have members? Okay. The media advertisers on WWE SmackDown program, retailers that sell WWE-related toys and merchandise, public officials, and the public. MRC and PTC also produced a videotape as part of a fundraising campaign in connection with its national campaign to clean up TV now, also with an exclamation point, which advanced the notion that the murder of Tiffany Eunuch was caused by the influence of pro wrestling on Lionel Tate. The videotape included interviews with Lionel Tate's lawyer, advancing the notion that the murder of Tiffany Eunuch, the victim, was directly caused by the impact that professional wrestling had on Lionel Tate. We based our statements on media reports and source information. We now believe, based on extensive investigation and facts which have come to light since making those statements, that it was wrong for MRC, <laughs> PTC, their spokespersons, and myself to have said anything that could be construed—oh, construed, fuck yourselves—as uh, blaming WWE or any of its programs for the death of these children. Simply put, it was premature to reach that conclusion when we did, and there is now ample evidence to show that conclusion was incorrect. I now believe that professional wrestling played no role in the murder of Tiffany Eunuch, which was part of our Clean Up TV Now campaign, and we convinced that 
am am equally convinced that it was incorrect and wrong to have blamed WWE or any of its programs for the deaths of the other children. Uh... Because of our statement, PTC, MRC, and WWE have been in litigation since November 2000. WWE vigorously advanced its position that neither it nor professional wrestling led to these deaths. WWE also contended that MRC, PTC, their spokespersons, and I had misrepresented the number of advertisers who withdrew support from WWE SmackDown television program after receiving communications from the PTC, some of which regrettably connected the WWE and SmackDown to the deaths of children. As such, WWE exercised its right to... Follow. Okay, you get where this is going. Um, says WWE was correct. Um, it was... And again, just repeatedly repeats like that it was wrong to say all this. Lionel Tate, the Lionel Tate stuff we mentioned that was in the Variety article and whatnot. Um, oh, and then I'll use his exact words here. We were also told by a source that Lionel Tate killed Tiffany Eunuch while executing a wrestling move unique to a WWE character called the Stone Cold Stunner. We have since learned that this was not true, nor was there any evidence that it was true. Yeah, you know, the judge saying it was inconceivable that he was mimicking wrestling, etc. And, I mean, let's put it this way. Like, even defamation suits that end in settlements, how often do you get this? You know? Chris? Are you muted? Sorry, I had to, I had to cough. Uh, I forgot I muted myself. Um, yeah, it's rare, very rare. Yeah. So, yeah, and pay and paid a seven figure settlement too, if I remember right. So, there you go. And yeah, unfortunately, we do not have a, uh, we do not have the SmackDown review for the week from uh, old Brent Bozell. We have the week before. We have the week after. But it, he did not review this week of SmackDown. But like I said, though, we do have Brian Alvarez's review of SmackDown. So let's go to that. Quick review. One of the worst SmackDowns ever. With a total embarrassment of a main event. So maybe he did agree with Bozell about some of them. <laughs> let's go to the summary. Triple H came out to a brand new interest music, which sounded like a slowed down version of his old theme. This would have been my time, wouldn't it? He'd been using my time for a while at this point, but is it? It's. It's not the game. It's not. It's not Motorhead yet, is it? Motorhead's not for a couple more, or maybe it is because he's using Motorhead by Mania, isn't he? It is Motorhead, yeah. Okay, so this be. is the debut of it. I guess so. Let's see. Back as a top heel again. What a genius! Hunter said the fans made. Okay, him yes, sick. yes, he's pivoting here because he just turned heel. Okay, that makes sense. Hunter said the fans made him sick, which appeared to make them sad. He said he hated having to hear their cheers for so many weeks. Hunter called out Rikishi, who oompa loompa himself down to the ring. Rikishi said he enjoyed running over Steve Austin. Rikishi explained how he ran Austin over in mechanical detail, which included him getting in the car, turning the key, and applying the gas. Rikishi said Rock was just an excuse, and he didn't give a damn about him. Crowd started chanting Rocky. Rikishi said Hunter was his new family now. Hunter said he was the one who really gained the most in Austin's absence. Well, he's right about that. He claimed he was the accomplice all along. He also claimed responsibility for pushing a cart that ran over Rock on Raw. This segment was so long and not very exciting, which is why we're not playing any clips. Foley came out. He announced Rikishi versus Rock and Hunter versus Austin Survivor Series. He also signed Hunter and Rikishi versus Rock and Austin later. 
You know what the stupidest part of this is? Everything? Well, besides that. They could have just had it been Triple H from the beginning. Yes. He fit the one clue, which is that the driver had blonde hair. Mm-hmm. I am curious just to hear what the, the crowd or the hair dryer sounds like reacting to the debut of the Motorhead song, though. that new song being so prominent in the mix that you can barely hear anything else they're trying That's to get it not, over i guess not one of jim johnson's finer efforts either no and it's basically it is just a reworked my time just a very big right before you pause you can hear my time my, the my time thing yeah also uh <laughs> paul looks like a caricature of a man on steroids here <laughs> I mean, the way he is walking, the way his arms look. Oh, I thought I muted it completely. Okay. Uh, like, he, he looks like the SNL sketch with Jay Moore and whoever is the bodybuilders, who can barely move. Yeah. And he's still one of the best wrestlers in the world at this point, somehow. Well, he, did, he didn't have, have all the injuries yet. <laughs> I mean, honest to God with how huge he is at this point, and he gets bigger after he comes back from the quad tear, yes. It is amazing that he was working as well as he did. It really is. Yeah. Like, he was taking big bumps. You know, people forget how giving he was in the ring for a lot of this run <coughs> in terms of bumping around for his opponents and stuff. Like, like he was not wrestling like a guy who was carrying as much muscle as he was. No. Oh, is this the, is this, does Rikishi, yeah, he must have the bad man theme at this point, right? Well, let's hear it real quick. Oh, wait. I'm going to turn it on. Danced his way straight to the bank. Oh, King, here is that monster. The man driving the car, which ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin almost a year to the day. And isn't it it's funny to hear Triple H stand in the ring just now? And, and God, the, these shows were not designed to uh, be listened to on headphones. <laughs> I don't even just mean, like, the canned crowd noise being obvious. I just mean, like, the way it's mixed. I mean, okay, that's going to be more obvious to me, listen, you know, locally, and not the sound being streamed to you over Skype. Because I'm actually, you know, listening to it, bleh, listening to it in stereo. But... The way that, like, first with the Triple H entrance, the music is so far in the front of the mix. And here, the fake crowd noise is so far in the front of the mix to where you can barely hear anything else. Like, this is not... These shows are not meant to be heard this way. <coughs> well, they were meant to be analog. <laughs> well, 
Well, that's the other thing, too. Like, if you're watching it on tape, you know, if you're watching it after the fact, it's meant to be something you recorded off TV that's degraded. And, I mean, it should be similar quality if you're watching it live, though, I would think. But, yeah. All right, so you heard Rikishi's music there. But, yeah, it's just <clears throat> not good. Not and also, good. I, I mean, his heel turn just never should have happened, too. No. Mr. because he wanted to be heel. Not only did he want to be a heel, but he wouldn't let them do the angle and stuff anything. Mm-hmm. Which, okay, okay now, with hindsight, since presumably there are already a couple at this point, do we, I, we don't have an official start date, but I think it, it's fair to say there are already a couple. Granted, he is maybe cheating on Tyna, again, depending on what you think of what version of that relationship you believe is he right to not want to do the angle storyline based on pro wrestling precedent now that she's his girlfriend in real life yeah. I mean he kind of is right yeah. the problem is that he's already cheating on his girlfriend yeah. anyway Billy Gunn came out to the new re-music build as the one Billy Gunn oh, lots of new music on this show well that's an improvement for sure Thank God I, Brian couldn't hear the worst of new music because for some reason he thinks that t- would, they would be nearly as bad as ass, man. Okay, let's hear this. Calling Billy G here. Yeah, wait, let's hear that. Well, that changed between taping and broadcast. Yeah. Clearly. Um, uh, Billy beat Eddie, Latino Heat, Eddie Guerrero by DQ when Perry Saturn ran in. Total squash, and Eddie didn't, didn't get one single move in. If the point was to make Billy look good, they did it, but come on. Things like this just cheapen the Intercontinental title even more. Just Eddie's a champion. Radicals ran after the match and destroyed China and Billy. It was hilarious because Benoit had China in the crossface, and she sold it by tapping rhythmically, rhythmically on the mat. Malenko, meanwhile, had Billy in what appeared to be a chin lock, and Billy was apparently unable to do anything but roll his eyes in a comical manner. Lord. Yeah. I forgot the Radicals got back together. Like, I genuinely have yep. no memory of the storyline. It didn't last very long. Because, you know, we've talked about in the past how, like, everyone forgets the Radicals were only together for, like, three months. And we they never broke up about and this. They, got back, they got back together. Well, this is the time period, like you said, where we're going through the changes in the, st- the writing people. Yeah. So. And they've got their matching gear and everything. Um, also, Billy G, excuse me, the one Billy G, he looks younger now than he did uh, 23 years ago. Well, 
Lots of people do I'm guessing not having a painkiller problem while also being on testosterone replacement will do that. And I'm not, yes. I don't mean Ta- that as a joke. I'm, I'm serious. Terry Runnels with Saturn, by the way. All right. Edge and Christian met with Mick Foley and cried about the Dudleys getting the first title shot against RTC. Oh, fuck. Foley told him to shut up. Do we want to see uh, Edge and Christian and Mick? Since... Might as well. It's quick. And they're always... I'm curious if this actually holds up as funny. Austin and The Rock tonight! Hurry up! Hey, Foley! What'd you call me? Mick. Hey, Whatever. We just got a bucket full of hainosity dumped right over our heads. We had an agreement with the right to censor. We helped them win the tag team titles. We get the first title shot. That's right, Mick. We show up here today expecting a chance at regaining our World Wrestling Federation tag team titles. And instead, these... Two beaters, the Dudley boys gets get the first title shot? What's the deal? The deal? The deal is the right to censor doesn't make the deals around here. I make the deals. So I decided the Dudley boys will get the first title shot, and you in return get to face a very angry, off hardy boys. That's the deal. If you don't find it to be an ideal situation, deal with it, it's final! Edge and Christian and the Hardys tonight! Chris Jericho challenging William Regal for the European title. All right. Um, all three of those men have actually aged very gracefully. I guess. They had a promo happened in the King Jericho feud. This really is the most pathetically set up feud. Oh, this first, is the uh, coffee feud, right? First, King was mad because Jericho spilled coffee on him. Then he was mad that Jericho didn't have to wear a mask. Maybe next, Kane can be mad that Jericho is blonde or Canadian or under six feet tall. Jericho came out and cut a promo. He showed pictures of a male model, George Bush, Al Gore, Britney Spears, and Mona Lisa all wearing Kane masks. Fans booed Bush and Gore wildly. This was something. This was just like something out of Conan O'Brien. And for those of you wondering, yes, WF did hire some people from that show to write storylines. Clearly not anyone uh, good. <laughs> Oh, I forgot about the uh, Rangers-style Y2J jersey. Yes. Lillian was shown waiting for Rocket Austin outside. Kurt Angle arrived. She didn't want to interview him. Who was writing Angle's storylines? Hunter? Yes. <laughs> By proxy, yes. Hunter, I mean, Hard, Hunter Hardy used to be Edge of Christian when Matt Van Christian after Jeff hit the, the Centon, Swanton. Uh, they did a more old-style match with Jeff selling a shoulder injury. The bad guys working it over most of the match. Undertaker beat Chris Benoit and Jericho and Kane in a four-way to determine the number one contender for Angle Survivor Series. This is okay, but it made no sense as the guys kept tagging out, which each time ensured they couldn't become the number one contender. Undertaker and Jericho after the press power bomb. That's right. He also gave Kane a hella choke slam for good measure. Rock arrived over an hour late. He ignored Lillian and stormed inside. RTC beat the Dudleys at the Val Venus hit bubble with the tag belt behind the rest back. Okay for what it was, but Godfather looked worse than ever. Austin arrived over an hour and 15 minutes late. Angle came out. He said the fans owed him apology. He said he told them that Hunter was a bad guy and they didn't believe him. <clears throat> Angle said the fans should cheer him. They rudely booed. Undertaker came out. He said he was going to beat Kurt up, but it took him five minutes to say it. Kurt was so funny here, he made this worthwhile. Kevin Kelly interviewed Crash. Uh-oh, here we go, Bix. We gotta play this. 
Okay, yeah, I gotta skip ahead to that. I wonder how Kevin Kelly sounds. Well, he's interviewing Crash Holly. But he's doing a backstage interview, so... I know, it's a different... uh, Probably a different... Well, you got a long way to go here, bitch. (laughs) Okay, yeah, sorry, I forgot I hadn't skipped past the four-way yet, but... Also, this leads to Undertaker at uh, Survivor Series against Kurt Angle, where... uh, Oh, I have to skip past this, too. Where where, uh, Eric Angle does the twin magic gimmick, and also Undertaker is wearing a very perplexing pair of pants. The tag, t- the tag champs RTC here is Godfather and Buchanan. All right, so there's the angle promo. So it's after the angle promo. Okay. You mean, you mean uh, Brooks Jensen Sr.? Uh, I guess. All, All right. right, so... Okay. Here. Yeah, and there's producer mom. Right. Crash, could you introduce us to this young woman who helped you attack Trish and TNA oh, Monday night on Raw? I'll tell you who I am. I'm Molly Holly, Crash's cousin. Yeah, she's a real athlete. Pure Holly. I mean, look, I don't mind taking on Task or Albert. Even at the same time, I mean, but Trish, I can't fight her. She's a girl. So when Cousin Crash called for my help, I came right on over. Come on, Maul. We got business to take care of. Hey, how about that? Molly Holly. It's Crash's cousin. Oh, she did a number on Trish this past week on Rocket. Uh-oh, speaking of Trish. So Crash and Steve Blackman beat TNA. It was actually pretty good, and the crowd was crazy hot for it. Molly looked like she almost killed herself giving tests at Top Row Frankensteiner. Looks like they were set up a six-person with the girls involved. So here we go, the debut of Molly Holly. Yes. <clears throat> Who had been working in Memphis Championship Wrestling as Regal's valet Ophelia uh, until Regal got called up. Yeah. But uh, here she is. So there you go. Also, when you consider that she's not really in that different shape from what she'd be in later, it's weird how they're, like, knowing how Vince is. They're clearly trying to present her as hot here, and then they stop doing that. (sighs) Which was weird. You know? Yes. Because, I mean, she's a very attractive woman. Yes. You know, and I just don't know. It's it's Vince. You just don't know when Vince gets a hard on for somebody, and not not, not, not in literally sense. in this case, but not in a good sense. I was right. So he did for her. Uh, and well, I mean, she dressed differently as a heel and had the dark hair, but other than that, okay, I'm curious how this Rana goes. Oh, yeah, she landed wrong. Okay, whose fault is that, though? Hers. Okay, I'm trying to... She doesn't extend out far enough. She's too close. Okay, she doesn't tuck enough. Yeah. And she she basically either does or comes very close to crashing heads with with Test. All right. Uh, that's uh, that's not good. It's never good to mess up a move where basically the move is 90% the other person. Chris from WrestleMania press conference aired. Only two things to note were Vince admitting this would not be the mo- most ten WrestleMania ever. And Angle totally out of character talking about how he enjoyed performing for the fans. Oh, we've got Bob Collins out of character. He's not Wink Collins here. Let's see this. 
the first step on the road to WrestleMania. Coming to Houston, coming to the Reliant Astrodome, Sunday, April 1st. He doesn't get a Wrestling Chiron. Federation will have its finest hour all for you at this year's WrestleMania. It's a special day, so I would like to say that it's great to be right here in Houston, Texas. 66,000 tickets will be on sale. Um, this will not be the largest attended WrestleMania, but it will be the best. We already have reservations from 38 states and from 10 foreign countries. On Saturday, tickets go on sale, 10 a.m., here at the Astrodome. When I show up at the Astrodome, I'm going to show up with a big set of guns. What's up, hometown? I guess not many people know that Death Valley is really outside Loop 610 down there by T.C. Jessica. They're puppies are back in Texas. In front of 70,000 fans uh, going crazy. Is that Nydia? Looks like her. Is she from Houston? <laughs> <clears throat> she's. Ta- I think she's from Texas. Uh, Houston. Born in Houston. That's her. It's wild how often this happens, isn't it? Well, people start out as fans. You know? That's her. That's definitely her. Yeah. Huh. Standing next to uh, Linda McMahon's uh, double for security purposes. (laughs) Well, more like Vicky Guerrero uh, uh, haircut at times there, too. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a great opportunity for me to display my athletic skills and continue to do what I do here in the WWE to entertain people. We are going to make this WrestleMania 17 the greatest, without a doubt. It will be biggest, it'll be Texas sized, it'll be customized, it'll be Houstonized. It is going to be an awesome, awesome event. For the first time ever, WrestleMania comes to Texas. All right, Deborah met with Angle and said that she felt unappreciated. She said she signed him to a mystery opponent on Heat. She refused to say who it was, said this person was very deserving of a shot. This was as bad as something you see in WCW. You see, the Heat ratings, as Lawler noted, really are sinking like the Titanic. So Brian guesses they're going to try and draw viewers by claiming Angle has to defend his title against the deserving opponent on that show. Well, the deserving opponent ends up being Crash Holly. Yes, that will build trust amongst the viewers. Well, let's see if this is WWE bad, shall we? Yeah, I, I as soon as you said that, I got curious. Also, wait, is she a GM? What's going on? Is she, is she the commissioner of Heat? I think so. Oh, wasn't she like Foley's like assistant or something at the yeah, point? Yeah, and I'm looking at that Tom's vending machine back there, and that brings back some memories. Tom's of Maine, Finland? Which one? Tom's Tom's uh, brand of like, potato chips and stuff, snacks. Oh, Okay. Do y'all have that up there? No. We have that. We still have that here. Uh, Lance Crackers. Uh, they bring them in. They're part of their little group. So uh, we sell the full other things. They're cheap. They're two five dollars for a uh, a bag of those chips. It's so Regular. weird looking at original recipe Kurt Angle. By the way, a different human being. Like I said a while ago. Hey, hey Deborah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And we think you are just greatly unappreciated around here. Well, thank you. Finally, somebody in the company gets I it. I know. And you know what? Uh-huh. Because of that, Mick and I have arranged a special title match for you Sunday on Heat. And it's against a really special, deserving opponent. What? 
What the heck are you talking about? Who is it? Oh. Well, actually, Kurt, Nick would prefer that I didn't tell you. Because it'd be a lot more fun that way. Oh, I get it. Mick Foley couldn't cut the mustard as a legitimate champion, so he's taking his frustrations out on me. Typical. Well, you tell Mick Foley I'm ready for this mystery opponent. The only mystery is how badly I'm going to tear this guy apart after I kick his butt. (sighs) And King the Champion, Kurt Angle, is hot. He's got a right to be living. I mean, he's got to face The Undertaker in 10 days of Survivor Series, and now this? He's got to defend his title on Sunday Night Heat? He's got a reason to be hot. Against a deserving opponent, as Lieutenant Commissioner Deborah said this Sunday. Lieutenant Commissioner. And who's the deserving opponent going to be? I don't just how much early Stephanie shit is there that no one remembers? A lot. Good lord. Austin Rock went to no contest with Hunter Rikishi when the Radicals ran in less than one minute after the match started. That's it. Fitz versus is booking this show for sure. Or uh, Bischoff. Rock and Austin clear the ring afterwards. Doug should be ashamed for giving fans that hideous main event. Hunter's hip hurts. So what? If he can't work, don't book him in the main event. And then decided it can only go one minute. That crash should have aired in the middle of the show with a four-way determined that no one could turn there for the world title going on at the end of the show. Things like this kill WCW. Yeah? <clears throat> yeah, you can definitely tell. Well, you can see why Hunter's hip hurts. Look how fucking big he is. Uh, you can tell uh, <laughs> that the times are changing here creatively in WWF. So. Yeah. And also, all the like the big bumps he takes are on his hip too, or he takes mm-hmm. her off to the side, like the Harley race bump to the floor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. SmackDown drew a four point eight seven, five point six zero realistic number rating and a seven share. It placed four from on the six networks in its time slot, beating Fox and WB. It also beat ABC and CBS for second place by NBC among adults eighteen thirty four, besides being number one among those eighteen and under. That's the Brent Bozell demographic. Conversely, the older audience is the poor the show does. We should come as no surprise. If, Mar- if Marcus SmackDown does better than 9.0 or in New York, 9.1, where SmackDown on Thursday had more viewers than Monday Night Football four nights later. That tells you where the NFL is at in this era. Chicago, 9.3. Dallas, 9.2. Houston, 11.5. <clears throat> beating even NBC, except against 30 minutes of Friends. Raleigh, 9.2. Memphis, 12.6, winning the night. <clears throat> Thanks to the King, I guess. Wheat Marcus for Boston, 3.5. San Diego, 2.2. And Cincinnati, 0.8. 0.8. In <clears throat> San Francisco, had SmackDown be considered a sporting event, it would have been the sixth highest rated one in the week, trailing three NFL games, a college football game, and golf on Sunday. <laughs> <clears throat> wow. And how, how about those numbers, and especially since most of those are top markets, too? Yeah, I mean, they're good, good numbers in a lot of the markets. <clears throat> Some of them not so good, though. It, they beat Monday Night Football that week in New York. <clears throat> All right, so let me see. All right, so Monday Night Football that week. It's the, follow- it's the following Monday, though. It's the one we're going to be talking well, about the Raw from. That's what I'm going to. The 13th. All right, so... As I scroll down here, that game was Denver and Oakland. So you got Denver. John Elway's not on Denver anymore <clears throat> against the Oakland Raiders. So, of course, nobody I mean, in New York is watching. 
a good matchup. Denver was eleven and five that year. Hmm. Oakland was twelve and four that year. So good teams. Just didn't have the didn't have the real star power. Yeah. At the time. <clears throat> but yeah, impressive stuff. Raw on November thirteenth from Columbus, Ohio was generally viewed as a lackluster show. This is Dave now. There was some good wrestling, but from a storyline standpoint, there was something missing. I wonder why that is. There are certain things which may be made in an angle at a later date regarding the position of Rock and Austin. In every case, such as when Foley ran down the Bayface team for the main event, he said Rock's name before Austin's. Austin, since his return, has clearly been positioned as the star of the show. It's hurt the Rock because he loses something as the number two guy. And while Austin will always get a huge pop, it just isn't the same as before he was injured. You know, this would have been a great era for a brand split. Even though they didn't have the roster death. But, or something where Rock and Austin probably should have been kept separate. On separate shows, mainly. Mm. Not on the same show. I mean, not necessarily being every week. Maybe, but all you know, maybe Rock's on Raw doing something, and Austin on SmackDown, something like that. You know that they're featured more heavily on one show than the other. Yeah, instead of featuring both on the same show, and all, and Austin looking so much more of a bigger deal than the Rock. You know, and that way, when it comes time for Mania, they've been kept apart so much that it means even more. Exactly. It's hurt the Raw because Lucifer's number two guy Austin always get he's probably such the same before he's injured. Angle beat Crash Holly to keep the title with ankle loss submission. I thought that was on heat. I guess not. <laughs> uh, Crash said he win the title with one hand tied behind his back, but quickly behind Angle's back, undid his arm. Fans were really into near falls when Crash had Angle down, which amazes his Crash's position as a prelim wrestler. It either speaks volumes for what a great worker Angle is, because Ric Flair used to get people the pop for TV job guys getting near falls in his era, or that nobody takes it seriously as the top heel. Or maybe both. I don't know. Angle's in a tough spot here. Yes. Because he's the champion, but when you look at the star power on the shows, he's what? Fourth. Fifth? Four fifth? Fourth at best is how he's positioned. Well, no. Raw, Austin, Triple H, Undertaker. Well, I was saying, I wasn't, I was saying, that's why I said at best. Because I, I can see an argument mm. he's positioned ahead of Undertaker, but. Undertaker's about, Undertaker's about to beat him, ain't he? No. That's right. No, he doesn't lose the title until uh, February. That's right. That's right. Also, Undertaker, I mean, he's not using the nickname yet, but Undertaker definitely looks like someone who would be nicknamed Booger Red at this point. Yes. I, uh, also, I, this is the most uh, supplemented up he ever looked until uh, the later streak years. Angle crack crash with, crack crash with a chair shot until Bob ran in, followed by Andrew Christian, and then Undertaker clean house on Andrew Christian. Angle pushed Undertaker in the face, and he just laughed at him. Wait, Kirk! Oh. Wait, you're saying Kurt cracked Crash? Yes, Kurt cracked Crash. Kurt cracked Crash. I can't even do it once again. Yes. All right, uh, Foley sub of six men with the same people later in the show. Jericho and Steve Blackman, that's a team, beat Test and Kane. That's a team. Jericho did everything almost humanly possible to make this a good match. Finish saw Test hit Kane with a Kane. Dave's been waiting a long time to be able to type that. <laughs> when Jericho moved and then Kane, Ben came with a lion saw. Kane attacked Tess afterwards, choke slammed him. 
It's funny seeing them stand together because Kane's supposed to be seven feet tall. And Ross said Test was six foot six. But even with lifts in his shoes, Kane was the same height as Test. Well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, let's see here. Oh, yeah, they're the same size. Oh, yeah. It's it. I mean, it's like what I mentioned. I mean, they're not the same size, but still when... Was it... What show was it? Was it Beyond Show? So, someone booked Cruel against Sawyer Wreck recently on an indie show, and they kept hyping Cruel as seven feet, even though he was clearly not ten inches taller than the 6'2 Sawyer Wreck. Tess actually looks taller than Kane here. <laughs> In a way. Radicals came out for an interview. Benoit was kissing up Triple H. They were just fighting him last week. They tried an explanation with Benoit saying he respected him so much when they wrestled each other, but it didn't come off well. Triple H is not Ric Flair. He they, wish he was. Just to be clear, they were feuding a month a month ago at most. That's what I Dave, mean, really more Dave. like two weeks ago. <laughs> That's what Dave just said last week. Um, yeah. Dave says, Triple H is Dusty Rose in the 80s, but a thousand times better inside the ring. Not only is he positioned where he's the center of everything, if you and everyone, but everyone in their interviews puts him over. I wonder why that is. Foley came out to the main event. Kane was being a Jericho backstage, th- threw her through a window. Jericho was bleeding from the arm and the head. Dudley's beat Raven and Taz in a fog machine. The pyro, <laughs> yes, caused, they did. The, the pyro caused the building and ring area to be a cloud of smoke. Dave gave the guys a lot of credit for working through it without paying attention to it, but it killed the match. They did a deal where Raven and Taz were totally incompetent in getting the table in the ring. Dudley set a 3D on Taz for the pin. Raven attacked Taz afterwards with Taz suplexed him through a table. Lawler was making fun of the fact that Taz and Raven got no crowd heat. The circulation in the building wasn't good, so the building was filled with smoke whenever pyro was used during the show, but this was the only point it became dreadfully obvious on television. <clears throat> yeah, Taz is already a joke. <laughs> At this point in time. You know? You know, with hindsight, I remember thinking this the last time that, for whatever reason, I pulled up the debut against Angle at the Rumble on YouTube. With how quickly things change, it's amazing that they even gave him the big win over Angle. Should win WCW. I don't know how much better he would have done there, though, at that time. I think he might have been pushed better. Well, he would. you know what? He would have had Russo before long, though. Yeah. And Russo was one of the advocates to bring him into WWF, right? Yeah. That was part of the problem. <clears throat> All right. Well, we're going to play this. There's a funny comedy bit where Michael Cole was supposed to interview Lowdown and Tiger Ali Singh. Let's go to the clip. Funny. Prepare to talk to uh, Tiger Ali Singh and Lowdown. Well, that should be an, an interesting conversation. He'll get his money's worth, I can assure you. Uh-oh. There's another limousine. Who's this now? There have been like two or three limos. Oh, there he is! It's a rock! Oh, wait, we still have the radicals. Which day does it Man! Man, you call that? You call this a spread? Of course fruit I call it a spread, spread man. some meat around here. Come on, man, what's the matter with fruit? I like fruit. Come oh, on, baby, a little more. Hey, you guys want to order some food? Let's order some damn food. But let's not forget what tonight's about. Orale. Well, I'll tell you what this, what's it about is the fact that the Christian radicals take off, off to the rock. Chop- All right, about to explode out of his shirt. Yeah, he is jacked. Well, 
Yeah. All right. And the one and only Billy Gunn here tonight, and they're acting off a nonchalant. Well, it looks like they're enjoying this new relationship with the McMahon Helmsley group there. Did you see that nice spread? Oh, I saw hey, it. Terry, peel me a grape, okay? That's great. Uh, at this point, with his hairstyle and everything, Lawler looks like Fred Willard's character from A Mighty Wind. <laughs> that shirt he's wearing. He wore the same shirt on SmackDown, but that shirt is something else. Yeah. Get in on that. Let's take it back now to Michael Cole, standing by with Tiger Ali singing Lowdown. Well, Tiger and Lowdown, you guys have requested this time. What do you have to say? Exactly. Rock, 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 rock. Wait a minute. Rock, rock, please. <laughs> Sorry, just give me a quick second. There's huge news tonight. First, There's more to it. So keep, keep it going. Oh, okay. Keep playing. Might not be aware, isn't here tonight. He's being treated for a broken nose. But the huge news is Commissioner Foley has put you in an eight-person tag team matchup. It's going to be you, the one Billy Gunn, China, and Stone Cold Steve Austin against the Radicals here tonight. The Radicals. The last time the Rock saw the Radicals, they were sticking their noses where it didn't belong. So seeing as Rikishi is not here tonight, The Rock realizes he's got one more chance at sending a message to Rikishi through the Radicals. And this is how he's going to do it. Seeing as we're so close to the holiday season, The Rock is bearing gifts. The Rock has got gifts for everybody. Starting with you, Chris Benoit. The Rock's gift to you, Chris Benoit, will be a very rare, very exotic, brand new set of Wolverine testicles. And The Rock's gift to you, Dean Malenko. The Rock is going to give you six inches. No, 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 no. He's not going to give it to you there where you need it. So The Rock has heard. The Rock is going to make you finally <laughs> a five-foot-two champion. What? He really did bury motherfuckers on promo, didn't he? Oh, he sure did. He's not done. <laughs> also, as it would turn out, uh, according to the autopsy, Benoit would have needed those new testicles. <laughs> Uh, and Rock's hairline here is uh, definitely something else. And now on to you, Perry Saturn. The Rock's gift to you. The Rock knows that you've got one eye that goes that way and another eye that goes that way. Wait a minute. And The Rock is just hoping for one single solitary second that the eye that's going that way is looking at The Rock's hand going that way. So The Rock will slap that crooked eye straight. And now on to you, Eddie Guerrero. The Rock's not got one, not two, but... <laughs> the group of fans that had uh, the individual letter signs, uh, R-O-C-K for The Rock, realized they are on camera during a cutaway. But one of them did not realize uh, right away, so it was R-blank-C-K. And then the other guy was like, oh shit, and lifted up the uh. I don't know why, but that amused me. Three gifts for you. The Rock's got a big sombrero. The Rock's got a donkey. And The Rock's got a nice hot bottle of tequila. So you can ride off in the sunset, S.A. Well, the Rock wound up in the... He's on a roll. Uh-oh. As for you, Rikishi, with everything you and The Rock have been through, it's personal. It's more personal than it's ever been. The Rock has got a special gift for you to be delivered this Sunday at Survivor Series. Broken nose or not, this Sunday Survivor Series, Rikishi, you will smell 
what The Rock is cooking. Oh my gosh, what a real war to Survivor. Uh, hey, hey. I already wrestled once tonight. I wrestled on Heat last night, and now we have a six man tag against. Wait, so who did he wrestle on Heat? <laughs> let me find out. <laughs> As let, let's let them t- uh, let Team Eck uh, have their uh, discussion here, and not yes, look. Not yet, Team Wreck. Crash, Hardcore Holly, and the Undertaker. Kurt, what don't the worry heck? about it. Hardcore Holly. This is yeah. your chance to prove that you are the superior athlete. That's right, dude. And besides, I have a battle plan. I'll take care of Crash Holly, Christian. You take care of Hardcore Holly, and Kurt, you take care of Taker. Hey, Edge, that's a good strategy and all, but my vision was a little different. You see, I'll take Crash. You take hardcore, and Kurt, you still got the Undertaker, huh? You know what? Either way, you take the Taker. That's just great, guys. Thanks. Yeah. You know what, Kurt? How about some music to soothe your frazzled nerves? Sweet. I call this Crash. He worked Crash on both sides. Two, three, four. It is Crash. It is Crash Holly. He is dumb, but otherwise jolly. He had a scale, but now he doesn't. Hardcore Holly is his hit cousin. Guys, 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 please. Just go. I'll meet you out there, all right? Just, j- just go. Let's go finish this song. All right. <laughs> Sometimes they call him Elroy Jetson. Go down, Tiger Alley, sing I apologize. You wanted some time, and now you're going to... Where the hell is Foley? <laughs> Where the hell is Mick Foley? He's in his office, Y2J. Why? Why? Because I want Kane at Survivor Series. That's why. And I am going to chop him down. They never got their interview. How about that? Do you think Jericho's wife hung out with Brent Bozell the fourth at all? <laughs> Possible. Bob Holly's uh he's got the supplements going here too. Mm. Uh, <laughs> also, I mean I I'm sure it's more the neck surgery than other stuff, but boy does Edge's voice sound different. So does Christian. But they're younger. They're younger. Undertaker and Holly's beat Edge, Christian, and Angle in a good match. When Undertaker pinned Angle with a choke slam on last ride, it'd be nice to give Angle a win over someone who was even a mid-carder as a title defense. But from a bookie standpoint, it does make total sense to present the challenger, pinning the champion in a tag, leading to a pay-per-view title match. They pushed the depth that Taker was a favorite to win the title, which usually means he's not going to win. Mm-hmm. Austin did an interview. He didn't say much. It was probably good to have a change of pace interview from Austin, but the fans didn't know how to react to it. Hardys and Lita beat the good father and Buchanan and Ivory by DQ and about where if Ivory was pinned, she would lose the women's title. And if G and B were pinned, they lost the tag titles. It's probably as good a match as possible with considering the heel team. A lot of good near falls before the heels were DQ when good father would pull the ref out of the ring to stop the count was a real weak finish. It must be hell to work in that outfit. Ivory has to wear in the ring in particular, that long skirt with the high heel boots. And she injured her ankle trying. Why is Billy ever working in heels? Very stupid. Very stupid. She does switch to pants before long, though. Yeah. Venus came out and joined his partners laying out the Hardys and Lita. Even limping, Ivory managed to get her heat spot and laying Lita out with a DDT. Radicals had a food fight. Not liking the food, the fruit and vegetables in her dressing room, the Triple H Stephanie would munch on in order to take out steak. Benoit was on the phone to Triple H. Oh, oh, Benoit <laughs> eating steak? Was he having it steamed <laughs> with the eight egg whites? 
<laughs> Did he tell everyone that they needed to go, uh, that one of them needed to fuck the waitress in the hotel after, and they'd all be watching in the hotel room closet, pleasuring themselves? Like, apparently he told, uh, was it London or Kendrick? Whichever. Apparently a true story, by the way. He just liked to have a good time. In a really strange finish, coming on the heels of the previous finish, Regal beat Road Dogg by DQ in the European title match. Road Dogg had no voice, which was too bad, since that may call for him to rap and not wrestle. They wrestled for a few minutes with Road Dogg on the verge of winning. Then K. Quick came out and attacked Regal, causing a DQ, and cost him to all the European title. K. Quick explained he did it so because it was time to rap, not wrestle. Oh, Dog we're going to have to watch this. So Dog wasn't mad. He was happy. And they started rapping in the ring. People seemed into it at the beginning, but it went too long. I think, didn't I tweet the, I don't remember how I ended up watching this. Didn't I tweet this clip at some point? Or is this a different segment with these guys? I don't know. Because if I remember right, this is very weird. Uh, Okay. Teddy Long, our referee here. I just get quick. So yeah, okay. So Road Dog's about to hit the uh, Boogaloonie or whatever. Oh, chipping and jiving and knee dropping. William Regal with a microphone. He was winning. Match going on there, K Quick. What's the story with this? Oh, there's also a sign in the front row with Skeet and an arrow pointing down. (laughs) Ah, Skeet, 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 Skeet. (laughs) Maybe that's for Benoit and Jamie Noble while they're in the closet watching (laughs) London and the Waitress. Oh yeah, they just hooked up for, as as a team the night before, and then for no mm-hmm. apparent reason he costs him the match here because it, it's time to wrap. Oh. It ain't time for you to be out here strapping. It's time to raise the roof, get rowdy, and start rapping. Rapping. You love oh, rap, don't you, Dale? You better call somebody. D O double G. They can't quit get rowdy. Move some things. <laughs> One uh, of the strangest segments. 
And anytime the wrestle, it's on the wrap. Or anytime the scrap, it's on the wrap. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, get down. That's the blackest thing I've ever seen. God. God. God, they were right. Uh, uh, quick. Uh, Brian is the greatest black wrestler of all time. Wait, who's that next to him? <laughs> Foley and Deborah did probably Foley's weakest segment of the year. Well, excuse me, Austin interview. We did that. Um, Deborah isn't good in speaking roles. Okay, well, I guess we have to say this. I guess. How old is Ron Killings here? Wikipedia just has his birth date as 1972. So he's uh, 28. He's already, I mean, he's already bet his Tupac encounter, so. When did he start wrestling? In the late 90s. So who, have, who actually trained him? Was it Hamrick or Gene Anderson? I've heard a few stories. Oh, uh, if, if Gene Anderson trained Ron Killings, I, I, I would have loved to see a video of that. I mean, he trained men on a mission. I know. So Cage Match says his career started March of uh, 97. Oh, trained by Manny Fernandez, according to Cage Match. Oh, so he's, he's even better. Do you, do you think he would, he would uh, regale... Truth with all of the stories of the time he spent in Nam. <laughs> Probably. You know, the time he did not actually spend in Nam. <laughs> Alright. So let's go to the Foley Deborah thing. Oh yeah, I guess I need to skip Austin here. Serious Austin, yes. Oh, that was quick. Oh, RT or, or excuse me, Stevie is at WWF New York. So wait, Steven, why is the manager Richards. not there with, with his uh, champions? Uh, Steven Richards Binks. Uh, All right. How much money do you think this is losing per day? A lot. This is your key to stop. This Sunday, Survivor Series is going to be one of the best pay-per-views I've ever witnessed. And, you know, to me, Deborah, the most fun thing about being commissioner is making the matches. Why don't you show me? <laughs> okay, I will. We already know we have got Triple H versus Stone Cold. I know. And I hope Steve just ripped Triple H's heart oh, out. Feisty, Ooh. aren't you? Then we've got Rikishi. They're not an on screen couple yet, are they? They're. I mean, it's known. It's known, but they have not directly acknowledged. No, no, they're not linked together now. I forget, are they married yet? I don't think they're married yet, but they're. Because they're together. married by Mania. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Versus The Rock. Oh, yeah. And The Undertaker. Versus Kurt Angle for the WWF Championship. Mm -hmm. And based on Y2J's request, we're going to make Chris Jericho versus Kane. Oh, I like that one. That's a good <laughs> okay. one. And how about this? Uh-huh. A six-person tag match between Steve Blackman, Crash, and Molly Holly versus TNA and Trish. That Molly Holly's got oh, some I spunk, know. huh? I like her. What? Can I try? Yeah, Can I? yeah, please. Okay. Please do. Okay, well, you know what? I saw... I mean, what I saw Ivory do to Lita earlier was so unfair. So I think we should do a match with Ivory against Lita for the WWF Women's Championship. Oh, Very this is good. so exciting. Oh, it, it really is. And you know what? We're going to make one traditional Survivor Series-type match uh -huh. with the Hardys and the Dudleys teaming up together to face Bull, the Good Father, and Edge and Christian. You know, I like that. All right. How about, How about that we 
how about I take a look at those puppies? <laughs> what? Denver, let's face it, they're, just, they're so soft and cuddly, and sometimes I just want to whip them out and snuggle with them. Would you hey, be offended? Can't do that. Look out! <laughs> those guys. Oh. oh. You are so thoughtful. Stuffed animals. You are so thoughtful. Oh. Oh, they're just so cute. So stupid. And here they come. There's the ninth wonder and the one Billy Gunn. Eight-person tag team matchup. They're going to join forces with that man, the people's champion of the run, along with Stone Cold. But China and Billy Gunn are always holding hands here, too, by the way. So they are an on-screen thing, I guess. Maybe, I guess. Can you just imagine Vince's like direction producing that segment? Foley and Deborah? And then... <laughs> you need to make it seem like you need a motorboat. Your motorboat or titties. <laughs> oh, oh, <my> God. <laughs> oh my goodness. Alright, so then we get rock. Well, you're off. actually holding stuffed animals of puppies. <laughs> we get rock, Austin, China, and the one Billy Gunn beating the radicals in ten twenty four. Match wasn't nearly as good as you'd think. Something was missing. Part was China doing the sell, and she has no experience selling for a long periods of time, and it really showed. Saturn also didn't look that good on his offense, but took a hell of a beating. At one point, he slid across the announcer's table like it was made of ice. Good in spots, bad in spots, depending upon who was matched up with who. Austin, at one point, must have stomped on Eddie 60 times. Finish was a stun on Eddie. Rock and Benoit brawl backstage. Tremendous backstage brawl with Benoit killing himself to make it look good. That's oh, nice really? Choice of words. <laughs> That's a nice choice of words. Uh, Rock was there a Bowflex involved? Oh, goodness. Rock finds a special. But in the parking lot, Triple H and Rikishi drove a car. Rikishi hit Rock with a sledgehammer as the show went off the air. Uh, I mean, he's a murderer. Fuck him. But. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, he killed people, too. That's what I'm you know? saying. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and we, by, by the way, the one Billy G. Yun is uh, looking Ted RCD LJN shiny here. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's something else. He's polished. Yes. Mark Henry sporting dreadlocks and new music won a dark match. For the live crowd, Austin Drain Beard in the show. There's our parking lot battle here as we're watching this go on. I know we didn't Rock watch be- it, but uh, watch him a Rakishi's riding shotgun in the car, Triple H is driving with a sledgehammer. <laughs> and he hits Rock with it, who gets nailed into a bunch of wires. Rakishi is wearing an amazing white suit here. Yes. Uh, I love how wrestlers in that era always love driving their Lincoln Town cars. How you know they're making money, brother? Well, those are rentals anyway, so. Well, here, yes. Although, uh, according to his book, Downtown Bruno made enough money in Memphis in 86 that he had some kind of Lincoln Town car. And uh, boy, did that read interestingly when he uh, went to Kansas City as his next territory. <laughs> yeah. All right, Raw drew a 5.0 rating, 4.66 first hour, 5.29 second hour, 7.4 share. Nitro did a 2.55 rating, 2.90 first hour, 2.2 second hour, and a 3.6 share. 
The total wrestling audience was 8.1 million, which is on the low side, but had most of recent week's totals. Oh, that Monday Night Football game we talked about a while ago with Denver and Oakland? It drew a 12.33 in a 21 share. That's still pretty fucking good. Now, they did a disappointing 5.3 rating for the overrun. It actually peaked at 5.53 for Edge and Christian and Angle against the Hollies and Undertaker. So the overrun wasn't even the peak. The Austin interview along with Hardy's and lead against RTC was also up there with a 5.51. In head to headquarters, Raw opened up with a 4.06 with Angle and Crash against Nitro's 2.51 with Chronic against Booker and Luger in the beginning of Nash and the Thrillers, which would be the closest gap in a long time and highly inexplicable as to why other than people are conditioned to Raw opening with a 25-minute promo and know they don't have to tune into the first segment. But still, one would think the idea of Rock, Austin, or Foley would be doing an interview would be more exciting than Chronic. Maybe it's Kurt Angle and Crash Holly, Dave. That's the reason why. People are like, oh, this, oh, this is the opener? <laughs> uh, other quarters saw Raw to 4.68 for Jericho and Blackman against Test and Kane. And 2.2 in the Nash thing and Cat, you know, Skipper. 5.11 inning of the Radicals and Fo- with Foley. 1.96 for Goldberg against Alice Wright and Disco in the beginning of Storm and Rection. So Goldberg's losing ratings. 4.79 for Raw for Rock and Jericho. So Rock lost ratings. To 2.13, ending of Storm Rection and Chronic, Sting and Steiner. Chronic is picking up ratings here, Biggs. And that's something. And that was the uh, the last of the quarters. Had that knockoff of Love Dump is their entrance. <laughs> Weekend numbers for the 11th and 12th saw Livewire at 1.2, Superstars at 1.1, and Heat was up to a 2.57, which isn't much lower than it was averaging on USA. The WF Syndicated show has been a ratings flop on Telemundo. Telemundo! And only do, after only doing about a 2.0 average, which is bad number for the network in that time slot. WF got the slot from WCW, which had been doing a 3.0. This, so, yes, it's a WCW Nitro Festival de Lucha, which originally was going to be an original show, then ended up being basically the Nitro matches involving luchadors. And then, uh, as all of them got fired and all that, just, who knows, uh, that got replaced by a Spanish dub of metal. So it was metal. Uh, w, uh, yes, W, W, F, A, uh, metal. Metal. It was a heavy metal. All right, larger due to raw moving to its network, TNN cracked the top 10 cable networks in primetime for the first time in history of the month of October. Why USA fell from number one, number five in prime time without WWF. TNN averaged a 1.2 rating for the month, 1.12 rating for the month of October. And October 1999, the network averaged a 0.81 in prime time. That latter number also showed just how specious what was said for so long by so many ECW supporters about it being the only show in the network to get any kind of rating. ECW was the highest rated show on TNN for almost every Friday night. There was one or two weeks where that wasn't the case, but it drew ratings that were slightly above average for the network for the most part. The funny part of all this is that most of the increase can be attributed to two hours of 5.0 ratings, which is the largest audience ever to watch any show on CNN by Raw every week. The press release put out by the network tells the increase also because they rebranded the network as a national network into the We've Got Pop slogan. Well, of course they're going to do that. You can't, put all the, can't give all the credit to WF, you know? Well, as we talk about on the... Uh... 2000 WCW sale drama Patreon show. As with ECW, it seems like they also have no trust in WWE. So there's also that. We've got pop. 
Yeah. Access Hollywood did a special on WF over the weekend, which we were told might as well have been written by WF itself. It did mention Stephen McMahon as the head writer of the TV show. It also created WF's recent turnaround, not to the popularity of Austin, or the Austin McMahon feud, or the Survivor Series, or any other angle of personality, but to the admission by Vince that pro wrestling was staged entertainment. Of course, that's the reason why. Since that came in 1989, everyone else in wrestling also freely admits it today, it must have been one of those very slow developing angles, which Dave guess means WCW are due for a big turnaround a few years from now when that slow building angle hits their company. What the fuck? What? So this is from the WF side of things, too, since Dave said it's basically, uh, you know, a pup piece. That's Although, crazy. if you look at old articles and you dig around... Vince and WWF really were admitting it was a work, more or less, going back to at least 85. Yeah, in a, in a way, they were. I mean, they, they were being sly about it. They were more sly about it, yes, but... I'm trying to see if this is on YouTube. It looks like it's not. I do remember well, I, watching this, though, because I remember the, thing the about, Stephanie thing. The, the, the thing about sports entertainment, though, that people get hard on about... I watched the episode of Mid-South recently from 1982. Mm-hmm. One of the weeks where Jim Ross is... Uh, one of the uh, guest announcers, one of the very early shows he did, mm-hmm. he used the term sports entertainment then. Did he say surcease? <laughs> no, or uh, not incapacitated to a permanent end or med- local medical facility either. But he did so, use sports inter- spine. Yeah. But he did say sports entertainment. All right, let's go to the torch. Some in WF weren't thrilled with what they interpreted as Rock trying to show up Austin in subtle ways during the Raw eight-man tag match. Rock went to some of his babyface spots early, eliminated the chance for Austin to get in his big spots. <laughs> no one was sure if it was intentional or not, but either way, sources backstage afterwards said Austin showed signs of being displeased. Even on television, his body language as a match indicated he was not thrilled. In general, the feeling was the radicals didn't work well in that eight-man environment, especially when it came to feeding the babyfaces in a well-timed fashion early in the match near the finish. It wasn't a great night for Austin anyway, since Bobby got early in the night coming out for his interview was noticeably less than usual. When he stepped in the ring and was met with silence after his dramatic pause, some thought that meant fans wanted to hear what he had to say. Others interpreted it to mean the crowd didn't care enough to keep cheering him. This is the type of stuff that's leading to the, you know, them turning him heel. You know, yeah. feeling that he's not what he was. Also, he's just bored. I mean, it was his idea. Yeah. He needed a change. He needed something. But it was, that was one of those things that was tough, you know? What do you make of his... His thing that he's said in recent years that at Mania, after he wins the title with Vince's help and all that, that he should have gone up to Vince and just called an audible and been like, I'm about to give you the stunner. And just called it and made it that he used Vince but to get the title back, but that was it and he wasn't turning heel. That's probably what he should have done. Yeah. It just would have been so much truer to the character. Yeah, probably that's probably what they should have done. And it keeps it keeps them having an issue with Rock, although Rock's going away anyway for months. But no, I think, I think it's All a right, fair we're... observation on his part. Yeah, 
Trying to stay with the torch, Eddie Guerrero's push has been diminished due to concerns about his dedication to being the best he can be. That lingering concern over his off-camera approach approach is likely why China was taken away from him and aligned with Billy Gunn. Wow, that's quite the coded story uh, six months before he goes to rehab. Yeah. Yeah, and also uh, makes you wonder because, you know, the whole story allegedly is that his friends were trying to hide him being visibly in no condition to perform from JR and the office. And then we're like, you know what? We need to, we need to let him get in trouble. So he gets sent to rehab, but I don't know what else this could be a euphemism for. So it seems like quite a lot of people knew he was in a bad way at this point. You could tell, you look at that, look at him and tell. So, by the time he's in Did rehab, it, though, he puts on all that muscle. Yeah, but I'm just thinking you look at his face until he was having issues. Mm. Staying with the torch, the decision to make Triple H the blonde hair driver who had Austin was a last second decision. Made but he's not the blonde hair driver who had Austin. <laughs> was the last second decision made days before it played on television. There was internal dis- discussion debate over who should be the driver. There's consideration given to making Billy Gunn or Xbox the driver as part of an ongoing multi layered storyline. The DF is booking week to week now more than ever, even when it comes to big concepts. It's not due to disorganization or lack of effort, but rather because the staff believes it works just fine that way. Ah, just like Lord Michaels. I know people have people have issues with the way Triple H is doing things today. You know, same shit all the time. But it's building. Yes. All this all this shit with, with Judgment Day and Cody and and, and Jay Uso. And all and all that stuff, Sammy and all that stuff, all that was building to war games. Hmm. It's, it's just, they had to get here, you know. You need to use a main event Jay Uso's Christian name though. Main event. <laughs> yes, but I'm just saying. I mean, so it was all building up to war games, you know. And yeah. they supposedly, from what you know, p- people have said, they've got the next year booked, the next year plus, basically. So. Unless you know injuries happen, so you have to change things, and other things could happen too, as far as like new additions to the company, maybe departures from the company. But yeah, they pretty much have the next year booked. Uh, That's because you have to change things if someone gets hurt. You can just do what Tony does and just put the entire storyline into a holding pattern for months and months. <laughs> I mean, that's a, the thing that wrestling's been missing is missing yeah. this long term planning. You know, yeah. This booking week to week and changing the show, changing the shit during this fucking show, and talent getting the TV and not knowing what the hell they're gonna do. I mean, that's just that's crazy. It's been crazy forever. It's been crazy since WCW, you know, basically started that shit in the nineties. You know. Yep. Another example of toning down. This new version of DX will not be allowed to do cross shops on television. That's from the Observer, unless you yes. didn't mark it correctly. No, no, no. That's from that's from Observer. All right, house shows. November 11th, Cincinnati drew seven seven thousand two two sixty two, paying two hundred eight twenty two. Uh, Dayton on the twelfth drew fifty thirty two, paying one six three forty four. Same night in Huntington drew forty one fifty nine, drawing paying one forty one seven twenty three. Raw at the new Nationwide Arena, Columbus, Ohio drew a set of thirteen thousand two eighty four, paying four thirteen one forty eight. Merchandise for the week was three seventy four eight nineteen, which is eight fifty eight ahead. That's fantastic. We, yeah, 
Weakest weekend for house show business in a long time, which isn't something to be alarmed about yet. The days of every show coming close to capacity appear over, but they've has, still had a couple of good sellouts, good size arenas. Austin's first matches back in the arenas are not popping business, and these weekend shows are all out rock, but that can't be used as an explanation because there were plenty of shows about Austin and Rock that just weeks ago were selling out. Dave went blame on the move to TNN or in the ratings drop of secondary shows as well as Raw because SmackDown's still delivering the same audience it has for some time, and now it gets stronger first-run competition. In Cincinnati, the main event was Austin Undertaker against Kane and Angle. Angle were twice, earlier beating Jericho. So it's been one missed show due to transportation problems. Apparently, there was an administrative miscue, and they forgot to put Benoit's name on the flight list, and he couldn't get on the flight. Oops. Wait, administrative problem on the airline's end? Maybe on, w- no, probably maybe on WF's end. No, because if it's on WWF's end, then it's just that they didn't get him a ticket. <laughs> maybe that's a fancy way of saying that, Bix. I don't know. All right. Um, and Chris Benoit uh, would never have a, any emergency keeping him off of a WWF show again. Well, you're rolling tonight, aren't you? Bob Holly returned losing to Regal in a European title match. With Split Cruise on Sunday, Dayton used Austin Undertaker over Kane and Angle as main event, while Huntington had Jericho over Benoit clean with the walls as its main event. All right, let's go to the Raw report. Triple H's problems were diagnosed as a problem with his SI joint, no, not Sports Illustrated, and a torn membrane surrounding a disc in his lower back. In layman's terms, it's an inflamed sciatic nerve, which is causing back spasms, and he also has hip problems. I'm dealing with sciatica right now. It's not pleasant. <laughs> it's not a pleasant feeling. I mean, it, we, it can also I be mean, a bit of a feedback loop thing, too, because muscle issues can then cause sciatica. Because if the muscles wrapping around the nerve or whatever, it can irritate the nerve. Um, so, yeah. But sciatica is not fun. No. And then you can do about it, basically. It's slowly going away for me, thankfully, though. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're sitting down and laying down or something like that. You don't have – it don't bother you. It's that standing and walking mm. that gets – all right, um uh, – one would think he should be ready to time for interview, but you know he will, being he's in main event slot. He'll be getting treatment rehab all week. All supposed to be 100% by December and getting close to it now. Road Dog has strained tendons and ligaments in his shoulder. Xbox returns to early December. He suffered from whiplash after getting a power bomb from Jericho in the cage match. As a number of spray viewing tests showed that it's a six or seven vertebrae, cervical vertebrae that barely degenerated. When he returns, he'll likely avoid as much as possible taking bumps on the back of his neck. Ron Killings using MK Crush debuted on Heat, SK Quick, doing the dual rapping gimmick with the dog. And Southern Journey said it'd be really bad. Rikishi's injury was broken cartilage in his nose, which makes breathing difficult. Gun, stem, and shoulder problems come back from surgery. And Chris just does numbness in his arms from the stinger in the Mercy pay-per-view. Regal had lower back problems, but is working through it. And Farouk, in recovering from knee surgery, had fluid on his knee. Wait, has Christian been working matches, though, since the pay-per-view? Uh, he just worked, yes. He worked both shows. But, like, was he hidden and not really doing anything? Or... <sighs> yeah. Okay, that, that that's as long as he's not actually doing anything and being trusted to protect anyone with numbness in his arms and whatever. But, also, yeah, that, that stinger he got, because that was, uh, that was Conquistador's Hardy, Hardy's, right? Mm-hmm. That stinger was scary. Because he, he was trying to do the unprettier on one of the Hardys and it just wasn't happening. Like, that was rough looking. 
Yeah, I mean, it was. You know, that's something that used to happen a lot that we don't have nearly as many cases of anymore. Wrestlers getting stingers in matches. Yeah. I wonder why that is. It's just, I guess, the different ways of working now. I don't know. Because, like, it's, if I remember it, it's like it's an acute bruise to the spine. Yeah. So, I don't know how much of that is luck or what. Um, I remember Lance Storm explaining to me once, uh, it was first, I think it was Fighting Spirit article about Danielson, about how he got fr- kind of freaked out when Dan, remember the Danielson-Orton match where Danielson gets the alleged stinger, which probably wasn't a stinger. He thought it was really concerning that Danielson theoretically got the stinger from doing, you know, the the English dropkick, missile dropkick off the top rope, because it's not, that's not supposed to be the type of thing that gives you a stinger. But the thing is to me is that it's amazing that we have way less injuries now than we did back in this era. Like, you read those old Raw sports that we read in here. There are so many names of people just banged up, injured, problems. I mean, WWE, AEW's had a lot of injury issues, but WWE has been really lucky in the recent years with injuries. Yeah, and when it is this kind of stuff, they hide the person and they're not really wrestling. Exactly. But they might keep them on TV, but it's not, they're not going to make the person wrestle through it. Yes. Um, and also, I mean, I, they have more actual medical and They're know, chiropractic, very, massage, yes. physical therapist type of personnel on the road. You know, back then, it was just fucking Francois. Yes, Francois Petit. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, it, that is indeed his real name. Was, so there oh, you go. Shit. Who, who knows? I mean, maybe. Yeah. I wonder if he used his cryomancy uh, skills at all. <laughs> um, Big Show weighed in at 441 pounds. Mark Henry at 336 in their weekly weigh in Ohio Valley. Dave bets Henry's weight hasn't been that low since early in high school. Uh, hey, Torch. Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll, maybe I should pull it up, but I mean, here's the thing with Mark Henry that people don't get. Um, he has like a really like unique like thick bone structure he's a very u- uniquely built person yeah i'm pulling up the sports illustrated article about him because i mean he and he's built he's built like a fucking like like a like a appliance like a refrigerator you know like we refrigerate perry what's uh i mean he is built that way that's just how he's built you know he's just a big dude okay so a in big, 91 big when he was 19 He's six three three seventy. Okay. Yeah. But um they're talking about you know various coaches being convinced that he's clean. They were further assured by a second opinion four months ago when Henry accidentally dropped a three hundred and fifty-two pound weight on his foot and suffered only a bruise. The doctor who examined the x-rays of the foot was dumbstruck by the thickness of Henry's bones and the density of his muscles. His body fat has been measured at 22%, which means that if you took all the fat off of him, he would still weigh 289 pounds. He's just a big dude. That's what I'm saying. Just a big man. Yeah, so him being 336 at this point, he's in incredible shape. And he was when he came back, yeah. He really was. 
and but also people need to understand like when he's bigger though like this is a guy who is going to be in this is a guy who's going to be in i mean because again they're saying zero percent body fat which is not realistic so this is a guy who is in incredible shape at 300 plus pounds but anyway all right um Torch, Jeff Hardy saying he plans to slow down his high risk, high impact stuff for the sake of the longevity of his career. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, oh wait, do, uh, I was gonna say I thought I didn't have it, but I did uh, when I rebuilt the soundboard have. That bullshit There you go. Here's the situation with Chris Chatty. Oh boy. Chris Chatty came to the WS show on August twenty fourth at the Nassau Coliseum and asked about getting a job. He was asked what his contractual commitments were to Paul Heyman. He told WF he was working without a contract and had no commitments after the November 5th pay-per-view show. He was told to give him a tryout once he finishes his ECW commitments, which he has. There's been no, there has been no contract signed, developmental otherwise, or even offered. Only he was promised he'd get a tryout. In the conversation, Chatty said he would have no problems going to Memphis or Louisville. The tryout went well. Chatty just had his first child, and wrestling with families are a lot more likely to look at options outside of ECW, given the precarious state the company is in. Particularly undercard wrestlers not under contract that are working on a per-night deal, so the company cancels so many house shows. Of course he asked about getting a jab. He's a jabber. <laughs> yes, he is a jabber. And this does not go anywhere. I gotta say that he doesn't have a contract. He's he has no commitments with ECW past the next two weeks. And they're still like, oh, yeah, we'll give you a tryout after, after you finish your commit. Like, there's no reason to do that other than whatever games they're playing for with Paul. Like, am I missing yeah. something here? Or is that, like, fairly obvious? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, on, and that's kind of fucked up that it's like, okay, maybe they did, did, had no desire to give him a job, which they don't hire him, so I guess not. But, like... That's fucking with that guy's livelihood and money to make him think he has this option potentially when, like, he could be trying to get more indie dates. He could be, if he's able to get paid with any consistency by Paul, take more ECW dates. But no, they're planning this in his head for no good reason. Like, what? Because of whatever weird backroom bullshit deal they made with Paul to give him the loan? No. No. Alright, let's continue. Don't know if there's a new policy or what, but the NBC affiliate in Huntington, West Virginia was planning on running some news highlights on a morning show the next day, but they have banned all local media from shooting the matches or getting inter- interviews with the talent. Just in that city or anywhere? But that's why Dave's wondering if it's a trend. <sighs> uh, I, something, something must have happened some, somewhere. Yeah. Alright, so we're going... Let's talk about this. This is uh, the, almost the close of the show. Yeah. Channel 6 in Indianapolis has what would certainly be construed as an unwanted tie-in to SmackDown tapings this week. It was doing a multi-part feature on Dr. Joel Hackett. Uh-huh. A latter day, Dr. George Zaharian, who has been suspended by the Indiana State Medical Licensing Board. Melanie Pillman King, <clears throat> that's right, Lexus King's mother was on a news report saying that Hackett overprescribed Perkinan and Darvacets to Brian. She says she complained to Hackett, who promised to cut back on the prescription pills, but claims she never noticed a change. Hackett said he doesn't believe he was to blame for Brian's death. 
King also blamed it on Dr. Edmund Schein, who prescribed human growth hormone to Pillman the months before his death, blaming Hulk Hogan with setting Pillman up with Schein. Yep. Hackett made a strange defense of himself, saying that other doctors were giving drugs to wrestlers without even writing prescriptions. At least I was writing the scripts. But I can tell you right now, there are other doctors out there, but I'm not going to mention any names because they know who they are, who are actually bringing the drugs to the arena and giving to them. Hackett has a strange distinction for prescribing drugs to at least three wrestlers that have died. Louis Mucchio was another one. Spicoli. Mucciolo. Mucciolo, excuse me. The third is unknown other than it was part of the Indiana board's evidence against him. Hackett has not been charging any crimes, although the news force said police investigations said they would like to see changes, charges filed. Hackett was well-known among the wrestlers both both WCW, who used him to write scripts. After Pillman's death, the death banned him and several other well-known doctors among the wrestlers from backstage access to the events. Hackett at one point tried to claim discrimination. He said he was not the only doctor singled out. To be clear, that's because he's black. Later, the WF warned their wrestlers to stay away from him. Although even after the warning, several continued to get medication, including steroids, from him. Even after the medical licensing board had temporarily suspended his right to dispense prescription medication. Well, if he had his DEA number taken away from him, how was he even – or was it only happening on the local level and not somehow not on the federal level? How is that even possible? Also, like, let's just be realistic about this, like calling him the new Zaharian. Joel Hackett was way worse than Zaharian. Like, to whatever degree you want to say there are degrees. Like, Zahorian, I think it seems... He was in it for the money, too, but there was, I think, a degree to which Zahorian thought he was helping the wrestlers and just being a fanboy. I mean, Joel Hackett was a fucking drug dealer. Exactly. Exactly. He was. Zahorian, and, like, we know Zahorian reformed himself and got his license back, too. You know, I don't think Hackett got his license back, right? No. Zahorian was a guy who was around wrestling forever before all this. He started doing the stuff he was doing. Yeah. Hackett was just a fucking leech. Yeah. And a fucking leech. He was a, a clout chasing leech. He wanted to be, he wanted to, uh, you know, have the clout with the boys. And, uh, he ends up getting charged in January, pulling up an article that from the still archived. Hope they don't uh, try to cull their archives in a uh, misguided attempt to get search engine optimization that won't work. But I, all the IGN wrestling archives are still up. So we've got this story from uh, January 24th. He gets charged with 48 counts on January 24th. Half of them are making false statements, which I guess would be a federal right because making false statements is not a local level crime right yeah. making false statements law enforcement and the other half are controlled substance fraud and deceit do we have any idea who the third wrestler is though we, we've talked about this we've talked about this before we never could find out okay because i i'm assuming it's someone in the same general time frame but <laughs> i feel like i'm forgetting there's like are we thinking maybe like a Rick Rude or someone like that? I I don't know. But all right, well let let's close the show on a on a higher note. As a good bigger for weekly, Vince bought a private jet to haul his ego around in. Also, all the TV writers are major execs. <laughs>
Yes, the private jet. Here we are in 2000, the beginning of the private jet. Yep. Where lots of uh, Kid Rock and ACDC would be played. Yeah. And other things going on. God, I love these bands where all their songs sound the same as each other. (laughs) It's kind of amazing that Vince isn't a uh, 90s Aerosmith fan when you think about it. Yeah. But, yeah, that's the beginning of the plane where I'm sure nothing terrible ever happened to any employees. Yeah. All right, well, next week on Between the Sheets is a Patreon-requested show. Yes. As no William Russo Lanham. this week, but William Lanham picked uh, Survivor Series 98. Yeah, yeah. November, November 15, 21st, 98. And yes, we do have Survivor Series 98. And uh, Dave has a lot of thoughts on on this show, especially the, the big angle at the end. Okay, I got it. I just, yes, uh, just no further details. Does Dave like the booking of the show or dislike the booking of the show? I think He's kind of uh, waiting and seeing, but he has thoughts. But we have uh, all that, and we have uh, – how about this? Considering what we talked about on this show. Issues between Vince McMahon and Steve Austin behind the scenes. Ooh. So we'll have news on that. Austin's not happy. So we got Survivor Series. We got Raw, and then we have a – we won't talk about the Raw itself because we've already talked about it. But on the Raw taped the night after the live Raw, the return of Shawn Michaels. As uh, Commissioner Shawn Michaels. Commissioner Shawn Michaels, yes. And we'll have news on all that. Um, we'll have, uh, of course, house show news. We'll have WF trying to get on Univision. Yeah. So we'll have news on that. Hey, wait Plus, a second. Just how many fucking times does Shawn turn in the next six weeks? A lot. <laughs> we'll have we'll have a Newsweek story on Steve Austin. And a letter to the Observer, which, I, which is something else. That's all I'll say. I don't. I don't want you looking at it, Bix. I want. I want this one to surprise you. As far as who wrote it, you mean? And, all and what it's about? It, it's about WWF, yes. Okay. But I had to put it in here. All right. So don't not look. All right. Um, because it's amazing. Vader makes his big debut in All Japan. Team with Stan Hansen on the tag tour. So we'll talk about that in the tag league and doing good business off of that. New Japan has issues. Masahiro Chono. He's afraid he may not be able to wrestle again, and that's something to talk about. Plus, uh, news on uh, Onita and and the New Japan and uh, stuff going on there. Lots, and I mean lots of indie scum in Japan going on. All your favorites here. So we'll have that. Uh, we got a, a ring show to talk about. All right, we got a big show in AAA. We got news on CMLL working with WCW. We have that. The Learning Channel ran the Secret World of Pro Wrestling, so we'll talk about that. Ooh. I think that's Chris online, Tam- so we might want to play clips if we have time. Chris and Tammy are on a leave of absence from oh, ECW. That's always good. Plus, we have an ECW arena show in an era of ECW where they were running on fumes. We'll talk about that when we do the show. Um, a big Ohio Valley Wrestling show, one of their first big shows. We'll talk about that. Memphis Power Pro, we got, it's November 1998, so we got Jason Ventura shit to talk about. And uh, WCW, Dave has a lot of thoughts on WCW, as uh, they put on a pretty damn good Nitro, but 
they are in the shit as far as creative right now. So Dave talks about that. And uh, we'll have Nitro. We'll have Thunder. Nitro includes a Monica Lewinsky lookalike. So we'll talk about that. Oh, Bam Bam. God, the Hogan stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Bam Bam Bigelow and Goldberg throwing down. We'll talk about that. Oh, wait. That. Is this the one at the Nassau Coliseum which, with uh, Luscious Johnny V as one of the Secret Service agents, too? This is Wichita. Okay. Um, although Johnny V's mentioned in the notes, but that's the Nitro before. But Dave reveals that during the week. Okay, because I was remind I was reminded of the notes for the uh, the Warrior Show. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so WWE's in in the heart of the heart of America in Kansas. Have a Saturday night taping, which uh, a couple of wrestlers decide they didn't want to wrestle. We'll have news on that. <laughs> And uh, Thunder, like I said, uh, we'll have news on the Warrior, news on Dennis Rodman, and Bret Hart interviewed by Slam Sports, where he has a lot of things to say and stuff from his Calgary Sun column. All that and more next week on Between the Sheets. All right, you can follow me at Chris Zona, K R I S Z E L N E R, show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Big said David Bix. Oh, why am I doing that now? I'm thinking I'm at halftime. Yeah, it took me a second, and then I was like, wait, 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 wait. wait. I'm, at ha- I'm, I'm doing the plug thinking I'm at halftime. <laughs> okay, anyway. well, it's time to talk about whatever Tony fucked up this week. <laughs> well, I did it here, so more people will hear it now. So there you go. All right. Um, big thanks, as always, to the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you and take it slowly. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you and make you want me. Now that I escape, sleep, walk away. Those who correlate know the world they kick. Jail bars ain't golden gates. Those who fake, they break. When they meet their 400 pound mate, if I could rule the world, everyone would have a gun in the ghetto, of course. When get the up and on their horse, kick around, drinking moonshine. I pour a sip on the concrete for the deceased, but no, don't weep. Why Clef's in a state of sleep, thinking about the robbery that I did last week. Money in the bag, banker look like a drag. I wanna play with Pelicans from here to Baghdad. Gun blast, think fast, I think I'm hit. My girl pinched my hips to see if I still exist. I think not. I'll send a letter to my friends. A born again hooligan, only to be king again. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you and take it slowly. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you and make you. I play my enemies like a game of chess where I rest. No stress if you don't smoke cess. Less, I must confess, my destiny's manifest. There's some cortex and sweats. I make tracks like I'm homeless. Rap orgies with orgy and best. Capture your bounty like Elliot Ness. Yes, bless you if you represent the fool. But I hex you with some witches brew if you do do. Voodoo, I could do what you do. Easy. Believe me, frontin' chicken give me heebie-jeebie. So why you imitating Al Capone? I be needing Simone and defecating on your microphone. Ready or not, here I come.